I heard about this uh, Star Wars celebration and I said, I had to come here. Everyone's really nice and we're all into Star Wars and we all have something that we can share. It's great to see all these little kids running around with lightsabers just like I was as a boy. This is one thing we can really enjoy as a family unit. There were people from all these different countries all over the world coming together and having a great time. You say, oh, I like Star Wars and you have an instant connection. It's a connection to your childhood. Everyone here at this convention has this in common. I'm from Germany. Chicago. Mexico. Utah. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. Virginia. California. I'm from Ukraine. It's my childhood dream to come here. You will not find a better atmosphere than Star Wars celebration. We are all a big family yes. and a lot of fun. Everyone on this side of the Atlantic, even a lot of people from the States. Celebration Europe. Wonderful. We're here at the Star Wars Celebration Europe. It's actually in Europe. It's in Europe, yeah. yeah. The atmosphere is absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. It's just everyone coming together for one big cause. It's got a unique experience of being in Europe. I've met so many amazing friends. We've been enjoying taking pictures with all the characters. Thousands of like-minded people. Hopefully I might meet a couple more cool Darth Mauls if he's in here, though. And, of course, Red Boba Fett, so it's all good. Oh, yeah. May the force be with you. Que la force soit avec toi toujours. Möge die Macht mit dir sein. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 26, Ollie's Bad Motivator. Joining me as always are the usual Rebellion, an expanded universe fan, loose completist, and R5D4 focus collector. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, pal. Evening, guys. Now, Rich, early days of the podcast, you mentioned that you had missed out on a Lily Leddy 12-inch Tuscan Raider figure. And then when listening to Mark Hockley's interview last month, you realised something, didn't you? Yes, I did. That Tuscan Raider that he only managed to snag because he was bored and he was sitting in a cafe that had a little bit of Wi-Fi signal, he pipped me for that. And I mentioned a couple of times on the podcast how I lost one for 180. Well, he was the one who bid 185. But I've got a good end at that story because he's basically said to me that if I contact his girlfriend and made a little bit of a decent offer, she'll probably sell it. So I'm sorted for it anyway. Okay. It's Mark's favourite piece, so I can't see No, that. no, 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 no. That's what he might have said on the podcast, but I've been PMing Mark quite a lot, and he's and he's he said, which, you know, you're such a nice guy, it really belongs in your collection, doesn't really belong that much, it's, it's tainted for him now, so I've just, got, I've just got to sort the final little bits and pieces of that, but it's, it's coming my way. Mm, okay. Tell you what, it would look nice in Stu's collection. Look lovely in a box. <laughs> you mug. <laughs> in the right. back of a garage. Yeah. Back of the garage. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Lovely. Early days, boys. 
<clears throat> Next up is our Star Wars completist. From toys and stationery to clothing and props, he collects the lot. As long as it's vintage, a TIE fighter pilot focus collector, it's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Bonjour, Stewie. <laughs> um, no smug comments about Wales and England? I don't mean I'm very, very, very happy for um, me. <laughs> well, I was only just telling you I've got some Welsh ancestry, so all good. Uh, next up is our Leia-loving and Padme-loving and Ray-loving collector, who's currently collecting Empire Oddball items and putting together a mint-on card run. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. Oh, hello, Stu. How are you, Pete? Uh, annoyed and depressed, because England, again, produced rubbishy football. Poo. Uh, Pete, your little Empire Oddball items, what's your favourite to date? What's my favourite? Well, that's a question. That is a question. I think, at the moment, looking at it now... I think it's my little cup. Your little cup? I've got a little tiny cup. I'm not quite sure what it's for. It looks like it could probably drink alcohol from it, but it's a little tiny cup. No handle or anything. Just a Maybe it's a beaker. Can't beat a bit of beaker. <laughs> and finally, our mint on card and loose collector who has a side focus of Luke X-Wing pilot. A man who has agreed to perform his CCP PBP rap at Celebration. <laughs> it's Jezebel. <laughs> Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Now, Jez, you always say you're an afterthought when we ask you questions, me in particular, I think. So this is a bit of an afterthought. (laughs) Rich made a sweeping comment to us last month that the song from the last show was in his top three favourites. Actually, I think he said he's only liked three. Um, Off the top of your head, what has been your favourite tune on the show? There we go. Um, Star Wars that I used to know. Oh, mine too, mine too. Love it. Yeah. Very nice. Right. Now, last month, we didn't discuss our recent acquisitions and we will only sporadically do them in the future. Now, I shamefully have hardly purchased anything in the last two months. But we want to go around quickly and get everyone's highlights, rich highlights of what they've acquired over the last 60 days. So let's start with grants. Oh, OK. Um, I think the first thing I, I'd like to highlight is a Helix uh, pencil point of sale pot. Um it was on a major long payment plan as well. I believe, well, Craig Spivey, who I always go to as probably the most knowledgeable person about Helix that I know, says that there's probably only six known. So it's a major, major find for me. Still sticking with stationery, picked up some HC Ford counter shop displays. And I'm beginning to realize that probably everything HC Ford had had a counter, uh, counter top display. So um, found a new one that I didn't know existed. And these are actually really tricky to find they're a lot more tricky than i than i expected so so chomping away at them i'm i'm really uh another piece of stationery that i got which i thought was quite interesting was a swedish playmix notepad and it's kind of unique because it's got a the front cover of it's got a publicity still from empire strikes back on on the hoff set with all the main characters on it and on the top it says return of a jedi so you know right logo wrong film or maybe the other way around yeah nice bits and pieces yeah, man, really cool. Quite happy, but uh, it's getting a bit pricey. I'd be like, oh, you know, we had um, Kathy Kendrick on, and she did the trading cards on oh, the yes. Oddball. Found that very inspiring. Got some, uh, got a Costa Rican Star Wars wrapper, a Spanish Empire Strikes Back wrapper, and a bootleg Greek pack of cards. So all pretty tricky to come across, but much more of a uh, an international collection going on. How do you go about displaying your little um, the little trading card packets? Well, normally just try and get the counter display boxes to try and make it look like it did back in the shops. But the wrappers themselves, well, I was going to come to this later when we discuss it in the NA, but you can get like the acrylic frames 
And if oh, you slide yeah. them into the acrylic frames and they can stand up, they look really nice. But the problem is if you have 30 different wrappers, that means 30 different frames and it gets a bit bit of a clutter there. Yeah, I've got a couple of little wrappers and things. I was wondering. Yeah, nice advice. Okay. Um, Peedy Weedy, been buying much? Um, not really, not really. I guess the, the kind of highlights, a couple of mocks. Um, obviously off my list was the Bespin, uh, white Bespin guard, if we're going down a racial route, uh, on Empire Strikes Back card. I think he's a 48 back, but, but that's very, very kind of nice and fluffy, and uh, completes my amazing run of two Bespin guards. Um, I got my first Ewok on Return of Jedi card. I was, I was going to avoid the Ewoks, but, you know, I couldn't in the end. Can I, can I guess which one? Go on. Is it low grey? No, it's not. Oh, it's um, it's Romba. No, it's not. It's Chief keep going. No, keep going. Is it Wicket? Oh, well. No, no. <laughs> Go on, are you Luma? almost there? Luma. Sorry? No, Luma. it's not. No, Pat it's not. Blue. No. Darth Vader. Close, Rich, close. There's only two left and I can't think of who they are. Um, <laughs> Wicket. Warwick. Warwick. No, keep going. I've, I've known them all apart from the one it is and I don't yes. know. Tebow. Tebow, yeah. Yay, well done, children. <laughs> Yeah, um, that was off off Uncle Ian, obviously. And the best man, white best man guard came from Michael Cooper, our friend of the show. Um, and the only thing I really kind of bought is obviously some lots of Ray stuff, obviously, and, and slave layer modern stuff. But I got some ship parts, so I've been slowly assembling all those loose ships you gave me, Stu. So I've, I'm halfway through my slave one. I've only got a couple of pieces to get. And uh, I think I've almost completed my Millennium Falcon as well. Um, and I've started, started putting bits on uh, the B-Wing, which was quite quite uh, sparse of parts. But that's what I like doing, assembling parts. So I bought a big bunch of, of objects for, for your, the ships you'd like to uh, give me out your garage. Have you got the um, carbonite block for the slave one? I have not. I found one the other day. <gasps> oh, this week. Yeah, I've got you, three now. If you, want, if you want to send me one, I'll, uh, we'll bring it to celebration. Oh, well, I'll, I'll bring it along in a couple of weeks, Sean. Good man. Yeah, same. All I've got then is the back door, and that's it. Um, let's go to Richard next. Well, Pete, I wouldn't hold your breath, mine, because I'm still waiting for a lightsaber after about five years. <laughs> I've only oh, known yeah. you for three, two, two and a half. <laughs> um, the last sixty days, the prize for me has been me Jedi forty-eight D or five D four, which I'm pleased. Um, Ian's bringing it over from Celebration for us, and actually, that's it. I haven't bought anything else at all. What? Really? Really? Wow. Well, well, well. Um. Jezebel, he's been splashing the cash, so uh, this could take a while. He's loaded. Yeah, I've got nothing. Are you all right? What's wrong? I've got a couple of things on the way from America, uh, courtesy of our Mr. Sanderson. But no, everything uh, everything I've looked at, I've got outbid on. I've forgotten about wrong day Vectis. Got distracted reassuring my sister um, on the day that we decided to leave Europe and my sister was having a meltdown. And as I was talking to her on the phone, I realized that I had just forgotten about something I was watching on eBay. Shocker. And then the other thing which arrived was a fake. So um, <laughs> I haven't had a particularly uh, good couple of months from that point of view. But I do have two lovely things coming, which I'll get at Celebration. Is your Lads. heart really in this, Jez? I mean, you, you, <laughs> you bombed not. out of your top five, what was it, most wanted. You give yeah. up on that straight away. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm giving up on it. He hasn't given up. Remember, I the loser's got to do a forfeit. That's He's just right. got no chance. Yeah, i got to run around the, puka, uh, the snooker hall naked or something. Or other. That's what happens, isn't it, when you have a wipe, wipe out? Um, no, I, I was... <laughs> I got sent a link for a non-Sonic-welded Luke X-Wing. And I was like, right, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that'd be a nice little collection. 
and uh, I was watching it and watching it, and then uh, my sister phoned me having a bit of a global crisis meltdown, to which, uh, you know, Big Brother had to step in and reassure her. And then after about 20 minutes or so, it was like, oh, God, that's another reason why it might have been a bad vote, but we're not getting political. Um, so uh, so I missed out on that one. And then, Jez, um, Jez, yeah. do you just cover your ears for one second so I can talk to the other three? Okay, okay. Um, lads, we've been doing this a couple of years now, and I wouldn't imagine any of us would pick up a fake mint on card um do we before we continue need to kick uh, jess back out the really yeah. perform, it? yeah. it's not good it's not good guys it's not good at all he's there for the comedy value though yeah, he's like, can't see months. his ears can they hon yeah give but another three month probation but he's more again he's more the scrappy dude we've got to be careful yeah anyway. if we all go to the toilet at the same time a celebration so he'll just think we're going we'll have a proper discussion and maybe a vote yeah, okay. Oh, no, no, no more votes. No more votes, please. <laughs> Bad time for votes. We'll end up voting ourselves off the podcast and he'll be in charge. It'll all, <laughs> go, all go wrong. And Nigel Farage will be doing it with him. Anyway, at least continue. it won't matter that no one can hear him. Right. Well, I haven't bought hardly anything at all. A couple of loose die-cost ships. I have gone down the route of buying a lot of magazines from between 76 to 84. Who were? So I bought Star Logs, Fantasy. It's only strange to say, I bought two uh, Metal Hurlants and it was only that... That French one that you talked about last month, Rich, in um, Acquisitions, that it came from a door. And I thought, I don't remember ordering that. A Best film surprise. review. I bought my second Playboy magazine with another Star Wars article in. Oh, yeah. Good articles, eh? Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah. Um, I have bought myself a shipping box of the Return of the Jedi R2-D2 erasers, which uh, I don't really know why. I have bought a micro collection Wampa Cave. Oh, that's nice. nice. Um, yeah, all the bits in there, piece, you know, still bagged and whatnot. And... I've been started to try to fill my Return of the Jedi scented erasers display box, and in two months I've only managed to be able to buy five. So it's going to be a, taking me a bloody. How long? Do, how many do they hold, Grant? Six, twelve, twenty-four, thirty-six, mate. Ah. I can't ah. believe I know that. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Uh, Jez? Yeah. Uh, can I take my headphones off now? Can I come back in the room? You told me to go away and not listen. <laughs> now. We are this month bringing back the intro question. So I believe Grant has been sorting this. So this could go either way. It could be an off license or it could be a serious trilogo question. So let's see what the mad Welshman has come up with. Grant. Uh, well guessed, Stu. It is a serious trilogo question. I've noticed recently that Britain is in the news a lot, particularly in the United Kingdom. So I thought I would have some questions based on Star Wars in the UK. All we have to do is a series of questions each. You get three points uh, if you get it right. If you haven't got it, then it goes to someone else, uh, and they have a chance, if they get it right, of getting a point. Um, So there'll be 12 questions, and you'll have four each, and it's all going to be based in the UK. So my first person I've got up is Rich, and if Rich, you don't get this right, Jez will be able to uh, have a go at answering it. So, Rich, are you ready? I'm ready. And hopefully the people who are listening can take part as well and scream at their stereo and stuff when you guys don't get it right. Oh, and no whinging. If you whinge, I'm going to replace that, edit it out, and replace it with the sound of a vacuum cleaner because it'll sound just the same. Okay, Rich, for you, question number one. What special offer, UK question, what special offer is on the Pally Toy 65 pack? Um, nine no. Oh, well done, Rich. That's three points for you, mate. Why is one? Okay, Pete, you are next on the list. 
Name three vehicles that are on the Paddy Toy 12 pack. No idea. Stu, chance for one point. Um, I'm going to guess Land Speeder. Correct. X Wing. Correct. Tie Fighter. Oh, Stu, one point. Well done. Oh, well done, mate. That's got to be worth a. That's, oh, this isn't a win. This is me bigging you up, Stu. I'd give you two points. Yeah, buddy. You have nothing to do with this. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, number question number three. And this question goes to Stu. And that is what non tri logo figure can be found on a tri logo ATST pilot card? Miss card. Which non tri logo figure? Yep, didn't appear on the Trilogos. Okay, wait there, so we had... Which ones weren't on there? Warus Man, Power Droid, Forlom. I'll go Forlom. Forlom? Yeah. But no, mate, it was the Death Squad Commander. Yeah. Oh, sh- <laughs> You all just a point there. Can I have a point? Because that was I recently on the forum. Got it. Uh, that was on the forum recently. Yeah, sorry, that was supposed to go to Rich. Uh, Rich, you get a point for that. Thank you. Boys. Uh, Jez, your question... Finally. Okay. What does the 70D Tri logo have on the front of the card that other Tri logos do not? Ah, the 70D Tri logo. That's one of my favourite ones. That. Um, yes. On the front of it, it has a Made in So and So sticker. Incorrect. Mm. Mm. Pete, over to you. That's the point. What do you think? Oh, okay. Uh, it was a barcode. Okay, next question. Pete. Uh, name three Empire Strikes Back Paddy Toy diecast ships that were carded. Oh. Oh. A, uh, a cloud car. Or oh, twin pod cloud car. Mm-hmm. Falcon and, uh, um, a slave one. Sorry, Pete. That, that, that was uncorrect. Rich? Good. Name three Empire Strikes Back Pally Toy diecast ships that were carded. Oh, um, and did he have none of them, right? I need all three. All right, um, Falcor, the Falcon, and Darth Vader's Tide. Mm. There was no Empire Strikes Back Pally Toy diecast ships. Ah, oh, good question. <laughs> Pretty. <laughs> okay, Stu. Oh, he's and a cheat. If you don't get this right, it goes to Jez. Name one of the two 12-inch Pally Toy figures that were, was produced in the UK. Palatoy. Uh-huh. UK. I don't know. Boba Fett. Jez? Leah Organa. Correct, Jez. One point. Yes, yeah, Luke one. and Leah. Luke and Leah were the only ones produced in the UK. Still reeling from my 70D. Rookie mistake. Okay, Jez. This question to you. If you don't get it right, it goes to Stu. Okay. Okay, Denga and the Vader carry case were all part of the Empire Strikes Back Bounty Hunter promotion. What other item could you get? Hold on. Ooh, Stu, for a point. Oh, I've got a feet. Is it the, um, the little, the survival kit? Well done, mate. Tough question. One point. <laughs> no win, just no win. Jez is going to get definitely eliminated off this podcast. <laughs> you don't have a good night. Oh, no, I'm a good night. Rich, this one for you, and if you don't get it right, it goes to Pete. It's another Paddy Toy question. Woo-hoo. What was the last What was the last Paddy Toy back for the fixed arms C-3PO? Oh, it's the 40th. 
Pete, any ideas? <laughs> um, 77. It's a 41. Really close there, Rich. Okay, finally, uh, last last four. Uh, Stu, which Empire Strikes Back mini rig was released on Trilogo? Oh, bloody hell. Um, it is the MTV7. Mate, that's a fantastic. Well done. Three points. Jez, name two hybrid figures on the Trilogo from the Empire Strikes Back. Two of the three. Okay. Two hybrids. So you've got your Bespin Guards, Black. Bespin Guard Black. Is that one of your answers? Yep. And the white one. Yeah. Well done. Three points. <laughs> okay, Rich. Name a vehicle or playset on the back of the Palitoy 20 back. Oh, Palitoy 20 back. Um, the desktop PlayStation. Oh, well done, mate. Three points there. And finally, Pete. <laughs> what, monster, what monster was not released in the UK? Juba. Oh, no. Is it Juba? It is, mate. Three points. Well oh, done. my God. I got one right. <laughs> okay, final scores. Uh, Pete, you were on three. Hey! Jez on four. Stu mm-hmm. on five and Rich on seven. Wow. And that's on five. I got I got two of my questions correct. No engine. No engine. Oh, he's whinging. I'm the vacuum cleaner. I'm just pointing something out and it was three points correct for answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I stole the point as well. And I just like yeah. to say, before we start this podcast, I wouldn't have been able to empty, answer any question on any of those things at all. There you go. Um, I'd like to say that we th- uh, Grant thinks Rich won. We think... Stu one. So one. being British, can we just have another vote until we get the right answer? I'm going to start up a petition. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we go over to Rebel Briefings. Yep. Vexit after Brexit. Vectus with another haul. All the best to Mete. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Uh, Rich, Vexit after Brexit. Now, I kind of know what you're talking about, but uh, I'm not quite sure what Vexit means. Yes, you saw a post by former podcast host Ben Coomba over on Star Wars from UK, had put a post up about the impact of us leaving the EU and the possible consequences that could have on Star Wars collecting. Now, I don't want this to be political, and all of us are fully aware that there are bigger things in the world to be concerned about at this moment in time. Right, guys. At present, we enjoy free trade. That's trade that incurs no import duty or tax with our European allies, and that will continue for at least another two years. However, recent uncertainty over the so-called Brexit has caused two very expected issues. The first one is the decline in the value of the pound, and the second one is the expectation that HMRC, which is our tax collection, will target goods imported from the EU for a similar duty that we pay from the States and other non-EU countries. Now, I'll come to you first, Joe. You're somebody who probably delves mostly into the US market when you're bored and you're browsing eBay. Are you more wary now 
of the pound to dollar exchange rate. It's funny, actually. I've only looked at some Sigma items today, and it's not a massive, massive difference. Around, you know, I've noticed things on my watch list are up by a couple of quid, but that's all. So at this moment in time, I shouldn't think it will have too much bearing on my purchases. But time will tell, won't it, to see if it goes uh, gets any weaker. Well, it's dropped approximately 10% at the moment, hasn't it, the the value of the pound to the dollar. So something that would have cost a pound is now pound ten pence. So low-value signal items, you're, probably, you're right, you probably are looking at a pound or two there, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, nothing too major. Obviously, yeah, like you say, if it's 10% high-end values, uh, it is going to be an extensive change. But at the same point, if you um, can afford those high-end items to start with, it probably won't be too much issue. Difficult to see, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to predict. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to point on that of the, the higher placed items. Also, if you deal on eBay and you're buying items, so obviously I buy a lot of uh, modern stuff like the Slave Lair stuff and Ray stuff that I can only get in the States. And obviously the more you buy, um, you know, always look for people who are using the eBay services. So you might pay a little bit more on your sort of postage, but the, then the, the, the import costs are kind of covered. Um, if you're dealing with an independent who doesn't use that kind of system and doesn't the, um, the import tax via eBay, then you could be paying a lot more import tax. You should always look for that just to reduce your costs anyway. And that, and that's obviously in the listings. If it says zero import costs, it means that they're, yeah, that's already factored in. So look for that. Cause I mean, I bought some stuff from the States recently and got stung quite badly on the, the import costs because it wasn't via eBay system. The weaker the pound gets against the dollar, I mean, it is going to cause trouble. And that's, I'm surprised that uh, more Americans aren't coming over to celebration because it's going to be very cheap in London soon. The way I'm looking at this, and, and, and I don't know if I'm wrong here, if I'm bidding for an item and if the pound has crashed 10%, then is it wrong of me you thinking, well, if I'm bidding on eBay, it just means that I've got to bid a little bit higher than I would have done a month ago to get the same item? Well, <laughs> technically, yes, because you're always going to... The price is the price that's there, Rich. So whatever you bid on it, I mean, it just, it's just going to mean, you know, where, normally when you look at eBay and the price in dollars, it's like, oh, well, that's good. You know, it's only like, $34 and really it's, you know, 25 pounds, then, then it's always going to tell you the, the exchange rate, but it, it's still going to, going to cost you exactly what, what the amount is. But if you buy it, you know, if you wait too long, the, <laughs> if you wait a week to, to pay for it, you may, may be paying technically slightly more because the, the value of the, uh, the pound has, has, has dipped. So, yeah. Grant, somebody who's been there, seen it and burnt the hole in the t-shirt, is it likely that the dollar will probably dive in the future, possibly as a result of the election, and we're back to where we were in the first place. And is this all just episodic? Uh, no, mate, it's a collapse of Western civilization. Maybe live in interesting times. What I'm trying to get across here is that, although our market has dipped slightly, you're right in what a few people have said here, it's very, very uncertain times. Don't know what's going to happen with the rest of Europe. That's going to rock a little bit. Is China not the big winner here? Uh, well, no, not really, because... What happens to the pound will affect everyone. You'll have economic contagion going around the world. You've already seen two trillion knocked off global shares and stocks and bonds and all that kind of stuff. So everyone gets affected. But I think it's a little bit too complex, a little bit too early in the day to actually get a full understanding of what happens. Jez, is it likely that we're going to see more exporting of UK items? And if so, what would you expect to see going? Yeah, very much. Potentially, you could see some of the auction houses with big auction houses we'll be talking about later on, I'm sure. Um, but you'll you'll see these things where people think, all oh, right, yeah, now, actually, if it's come down a bit, my you could turn it around and say, I'm not actually paying that many uh, that much buyer's fees anymore because I'm getting it so much cheaper. So we could definitely be exporting with regards to auction houses. And potentially, I've already seen a few people 
on uh, Facebook groups, etc., just thinking, do you know what? I'm a little bit concerned about my future now. Uh, so not just the value of the pounds, but actually the whole thing has just changed my outlook on everything. So whilst I was collecting with some sort of spare money, I'm I'm actually gonna I'm, I'm gonna start selling. So I've I've seen an increase in people selling stuff just because they think right I'm just out of this game. So auction houses and Facebook stuff. I think Jez brings up a really interesting point there. If we go into another recession next year, maybe this could pop the uh, Star Wars price bubble that we've been experiencing recently over the last couple of years as people will be perhaps looking at what they can afford and what they can't afford. Uh, maybe this will be the end of the big uh, Star Wars hike that we've been seeing. Yeah, you've brought actually my conclusion a little bit further forward in that now. So to wrap this up, guys, and to give out an overall statement, what do you really think the impact of this is now and can we really tell? I think that um, it's very possible that all the Americans will be buying up all our paddy toys. I think it's a, a very unstable situation at the moment, Rich, until I think our governments or, or, or leading parties sort themselves out, then the markets will reflect that. Do you think that we're going to start to see a lot more UK-only trading going on? I would probably think so for a little while. I wouldn't be surprised if, if some people stopped selling to anyone in the States completely. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I'm not talking small items like bits of Millennium Falcon and stuff. I'm talking the big card backs. I I wouldn't be surprised because I mean, suddenly you you could you could lose like half the value of your mock overnight. And now that's interesting, Pete, that you just said that because that would really concern me that much. I mean, obviously it would if I was spending four four figures on on a mock, but if I'm only spending, I don't know, two hundred pound or or three hundred pound on a mock. And because of currency fluctuations, then halves in value. It's all relative to me. And, you know, like Grant's been in this game for, what, the best part of 20 years. And things that he was buying for 10, 20, 50 pounds are now going for hundreds of pounds. It's just another gamble, another evolution of the, of the cycle that we've been going through. I'd be slightly concerned, Rich, because, I mean, like I said, um, overnight, your item you just sold might have, uh, might have doubled in price. I would just like to say, to, to wrap this up, hopefully we're all going to see lots more UK deals going on, because it is nice to see the Palatoys stay in the UK. Although, bizarrely, it's nice that Mark's going to let his leddy 12-inch Tuscan Raider come to me, so um, that's a Mexican product, product starting it all off. So, cheers, Mark. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Uh, Vectors with another hole, Rich. Still not sure about the timing of this. Tuesday the 19th of July, which is only two days after celebration ends, we'll have another huge Vector sale. Now, this isn't from one collection, although a lot of the high-end stuff is. There are many items here from multiple collectors, and we've got a mix of high-end items. You know, you've seen the pictures of the rocket firing effect with missile. There are some fantastic Dark Times items, such as Ewok items and um, posters and things going all the way through to the, the endless supply of mini-rigs that never seem to go anywhere. Lots and lots of beaters and things. So, guys, you saw all the pictures. Are there any highlights that you would want to pick out as being, you know, your choice for this month? And um, We'll have a look at that one next month once the prices have been realised. I saw all the photographs you put up, and, uh, oh, my word, I don't know where to begin. There's just so many, so many things. Uh, let's talk about, we don't do this that often, Yak Face. Card in Yak Face, but uh, there's something special about that one, isn't there, Rich? Um, there probably is, Jez, but it was over a month now since I've been there, so you're going to have to remind me. It's a, it's a carded uh, Trilogy Yak Face with an unpainted hand. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. And I just thought, okay, try to yeah, face these things have gone through the roof. I was delighted for Grant when he got his a couple of years ago at a really reasonable price, really good. And uh, these are now people are saying, yeah, thousand dollars, nine hundred dollars. These things are going up really, really expensive. But for an unpainted hand, maybe some miscard crazy variation junkie is going to go after this, and there could be a bit of a bit of more on that one. It'd be good to see. Mm, yeah, good shout that one. So. Is that a tri-logo yak face with unpainted hand, yeah? Yes, mate, yeah. I mean, there's so many things there, so many things. But, uh, yeah, that would be a good one to see. Pete, anything caught your eye? I thought it's quite bizarre things. There was, um, I think, isn't it, there's an exhibition stand, Plans, which is like, is that is that actually at the auction? Or is that, I think it is, isn't it? It's, it's just bizarre. And there's, I mean, obviously there's more brochures and stuff. and So it's the Earl's Court exhibition stand, Plans, for Palatoy. Yeah, so that was a was that a toy favourite Earl's Court, and it was the. Well, I'm assuming so. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, and, it's a and, very strange, strange thing to do. <laughs> and it was basically how the stall was to be set out, and where yeah, the, where yeah. things were going to be positioned. Literally, yeah. literally the blueprint floor plan of of that stand. I mean, I mean, who who would want that? Um, maybe Lawrence Dyer would would be interested, but um, I don't know. I just like what a bizarre thing to come up for auction. I mean, it just, I mean, it must have been pretty big and, and comprehensive to, to have had a, a huge floor plan, but um, I'm, I'm, I'd am I'm be staggered to see that go for lots of money, but I'm sure it will. I'm sure someone will pay a fortune for it. Yeah, good shout. Stu, anything caught your eye? Um, I haven't had a proper in-depth look at it yet, Rich. Yeah, generally, the bits you were putting up are all stunning, but um, I haven't actually had the time to properly go through it. I do think the date of it is a bit peculiar, straight two days after celebration. Are they having a present set? celebration are they advertising this stuff no but nick dykes who is as i've already mentioned as part of ic toys who is at celebration he's now obviously involved with vectus and i would be very surprised if he didn't take some catalogs down or at least took some pdfs of some of the stuff that they've got down there but there is no vectus presence yeah surprising so, Stuart, as you've just mentioned there, two days after celebration, Grant, odd timing, or do you think they've actually got this right with the expectation that there would be a lot of people in this country for celebration who may travel up to Vectors? That does seem a very strange time to host it, doesn't it? I don't know, maybe they get a lot of international bidders. Yeah, I think that's right. That's what they're banking on. I think it's a fantastic time. Go on. Yeah, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are saving up for celebration. As you said, there's going to be a lot of travellers here as well. There might be people who are saying, right, I'm going to do celebration because at the time when they planned it, booked it, Orlando hadn't been announced. So people were thinking, right, I'm going to make a a bit of a UK trip of it. So let's face it, there could be people from the continent and from all over Canada, Australia, wherever here, and they'll be here for a little while. So whilst they're here and whilst they've got the currency at a good exchange rate and they're here, they could end up getting themselves a nice bargain as well. And for the UK people as well who have gone to celebration, and sometimes you come home completely skinned, but sometimes you might come home thinking, oh, do you know what? There wasn't anything which I had. So I've got a little bit more spending money, which I haven't spent. I'm going to get a Vectis. So this could be a really, really good time. They've nailed it. They've really done well with the uh, advertising as well. So they, they could have pulled off a blinder here. The item that I was quite intrigued with was the, the pinball table. It's like a wooden pinball table where you pull the lever and it shoots the metal ball up. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And from memory, I think it had. Did it have three PO and R two as the? Um, yeah. Is the bezel? On the yeah, back? it's got. Yeah. That, it's that was got, a nice item, and 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 to still have the original balls. So I'm intrigued to see how much one of those go for. Haven't seen it before. It's got three PO, three PO and R two. I think it had a tie. I think it had Darth Vader's Tie Fighter in it as well. Yeah. Rich, what about the printing plate? 
Ah, the printing plate, yeah. Um, Matt Booker sent a copy of that to, um, I think it was Gus Lopez to see, you know, if he'd seen anything like that. But, yeah, so it was a printing plate for a local newspaper, wasn't it? It was an advert for Jedi from memory, was that correct? Yeah. Advertising Jedi in the cinema. Yeah. And I think, Stu, it may have actually had, was it Margate or Rams, Rams Bottom, whatever, wherever you live anyway. I'm sure, I'm sure it had a local, <laughs> I'm sure it had the local cinema. France. France. Um, I'm sure it had the local cinema actually is in the bottom of that advert. Oh, I didn't say that. Keep an eye on that, and we'll see how much that I goes for. But I must. Have, I mean, was that a, so? Sorry, was that a, for a newspaper? I thought it was for a poster. No, it's for a newspaper. Oh. It's a newspaper's printing plate. Mm. This will be my first Bectus, um auction. I've never been able to get to any before, so I'm I'm really looking forward to see how it goes. I'm sure it's going to be extremely dull, and I'm sure I'm going to be bored out my mind. I will be there, and I'm looking forward to it. Rich, I think you should give your phone number out so people can phone you to bid on stuff. My phone number is on every women's toilet door up and down the country. <laughs> that what? Bad. Don't go near this man. He's a complete loser. <laughs> sorry, what, sorry, like... that was uncalled for. That was harsh, harsh, any? Yeah, just yeah. get harsh today. Just thought I'd get in there quick. <laughs> Rich, what do you mean, like in the doors in their house? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, what, what, have, you, have you been going around people, random women's houses and just write your number on doors? Have you not heard of the Phantom Door Squibbler? <laughs> no, is it... Uh, are you be, be heading to court soon for this? Going back to what they've got, mate. It's, <laughs> I've just seen a miscard. It's a Jawa miscard on a FET. First shot, sample cards, rocket firing. They've, uh, they've pulled it out of the bag. And another Palatoy box worth of... Um, full of Discord commanders. The amount um, of PPP carded figures. There, there are no Palatoy Luke X wings. Don't, don't be worrying about that. There, if you're after a Palatoy Luke X wing, there are none there for you to bid on. Um, you'll get the wrong day anyway, Jazz. There's a carded Vlix. There is a carded Vlix. There's miscards. There's something for everyone. This yeah. is the, uh, this is the auction of the year. As far as I'm concerned, this is the best one I've seen so far. And there's no R5D4s. And finally, something of a bit more a uh, serious note. You've got it down as all the best to Mete. Uh, Rich? Yes, yeah, Stu. So, obviously, I think everybody is aware now that um, Mete, who we had on last month's podcast and the brilliant interview in the Market Watch with Pete talking about Uzai's, was in a, a terrible car accident. And we don't want to dwell on that too much. But for more of us at the Vintage Rebellion, Mete, all the best. We hope you and your family get home from Turkey to America safely. And for those who aren't aware, Mete's insurance didn't cover his medical bills. So he has some items for sale on Facebook, which are well worth checking out. Please don't mess him about. Okay, Mete needs this money to settle these medical bills. Um, so if you're interested in them, buy them, transfer the money to him quickly, and let's get him back to the States with his family safe and sound.
did you like better, Jedi or The Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. Empire had the better ending. I mean, Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his father, a uh, hand gets frozen, take away by Boba Fett. It ends on such a down note. I mean, that's what life is, a series of down endings. All Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. Now onto this month's interview, and we are delighted to welcome back Oliver Subweeks, who we had on last month's newest acquisitions when he told us about his latest purchase of a pink poncho. Welcome, Ollie. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Information like you gave last month. We're hoping you've got no end of it for this month. <laughs> oh, dear. No, no I pressure. I disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> and joining me to go through your interview is Rich from the podcast. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Obviously, you're a big, big pre-production or known pre-production um, collector, especially of R5-D4. So before we get on to that, we want to go back to your childhood. When did you see the films initially and what kind of impact did they have on you at an early age? Well, I think I, I, I saw the Star Wars film when it came out around Christmas time on the TV. I'm trying to think how old I was at the time. I was in, in, the, in England. It was probably a few years after it was released in the cinemas. So, um, yeah, so I saw that for the first few years in the, in the, on the TV at Christmas time. I probably saw Empire Strikes back on the TV when it was released. I hadn't seen either of them at the cinema. And then um, probably Return of the Jedi. I didn't even get to see that at the cinema, actually. I think I probably saw that on a video rental or something. So, so I must admit, it, it wasn't so much the films that played a huge part of it in my life, but it was more the toys, really. I think that when they came along, kind of return of the Jedi era, the kind of 65 back wave figures, that that's when I really kind of got sucked into Star Wars and probably started paying a little bit more attention to the films. I and mean, I love the films, but it was the, the toys that really captivated me. So it was more the return of the Jedi line of toys? Yeah, um, definitely. I think I remember getting those at Christmas time and kind of tearing apart the packaging. I can't remember if they are tri-logos. Yeah, I remember tearing apart the packaging and uh, the figures and then just literally every year after that for birthdays and Christmases, that was all I wanted. And, you know, whether it was more figures or more vehicles and stuff, I was just, just hooked on it. So I became uh, a little bit obsessed and uh, for a fair few years. And I remember my uh, mother a few years afterwards deciding that I was 
I was too involved with my Star Wars and uh, she made me sell it all and put it all up in an advert and, and sold it off to someone someone down the road. I think so that was quite a quite a difficult moment to cope with in my life. And then there was a long kind of period without any kind of collecting or, you know, I'd kind of moved on in my life and kind of grown up a little bit. And um, so kind of completely forgotten about it. And it was only probably about six or seven years ago that just when I was browsing through eBay, I kind of thought I'll give it a go and have a look see what these kind of things were retailing for and um, stumbled across a few loose figures and and were thinking, wow, £10 for a credo, that seems a bit crazy to be spending £10 on a, you know, (laughs) where's this going to take me? So I did and then, yeah, I just wanted a few more and then started working towards a full set and before long started um, actively collecting and trying to work towards a full set. So that was me back in the game and uh, my mum would be disappointed to know that <laughs> it had absolutely no impact on me selling off my toys as a kid. I was uh, hooked again 30 years later. Did you get carried away at all in the Power of the, Fo- uh, the Power of the Force 2 or the Episode 1 hype? No, not really. Well, not so much in the toys. I mean, I, I think I went to see the films, and at that point, um, a lot of my friends were just as excited about seeing it as I was, and, you know, they weren't... Uh, collectors and I wasn't really a collector or didn't consider myself a collector again at that point so but no I mean I I love watching them I probably wasn't as critical on them as I am now so it's funny I kind of enjoyed watching the films again at the time but you know I look back now and uh, I I tend to kind of scrutinize them a lot more detail so yeah I wasn't really you know that critical at the time of the new films. How old were you when your mum sold your collection off? (laughs) Oh god Um, so I must have been probably about 10 or 11 I think so I've been a fair few years of obsessing over the toys so yeah 10 or 11 kind of just going to uh, senior school and uh, put your toys away and uh, be a grown man kind of thing so uh, do you a reminder now say like you know I'm spending this money now mum because you sold my collection (laughs) I I haven't rubbed a nose in it yet no to be honest with you but uh, (laughs) I I, I can just imagine her shaking her head and if, if I brought it up and yeah, so I mean, I think there were probably some traumatic times when she made me sell off my collection, but uh, no, it's all good now. Has she got an opinion on you collecting your childhood toys now? Well, to be honest, I kind of tend not to, to broach the subject with her, but uh, um, I don't. I, I think that I mean, I remember as a kid saying, you know, "These will be worth something when we're older," and, and it's just like they won't be. There are millions of these plastic toys made, and no one's ever going to bother about them. They're not going to be worth anything. And I think, every, you know, a smile says everything, doesn't it, sometimes? Uh, um, so I don't think any words are necessary. I think she probably knows. <laughs> you said when you got back into collecting, how long ago did you say it was? Five years ago? Six years ago? Um, yeah, about six or seven years ago now. So I think it's 2009, 2010, yeah. And via eBay, you just had a browse and you found... What, what, what was your first purchase? My first purchase was a nice mint or near mint Greedo figure. So just a, a loose figure. That was just the first one and yeah it felt quite extravagant to be honest I mean 10 pounds on a little plastic old toy it kind of felt like throwing money in the bin almost but when it when it turned up I was just kind of hooked I was like wow this just kind of brought me straight back to my childhood and having all those figures and I think that Greedo figure was probably one that I never had as a child but I remember a a friend of mine having one and uh, it, it was one of the ones that I'd never really seen retailing in the shops so that was kind of pretty cool and then I think I can't remember what the next one was but I just started picking them up in a few job lots and stuff and by that point I was I was quite committed to finishing and um yeah, it was probably my favourite achievement in terms of collecting over the last six or seven years was just putting that set together to be honest with you. Nothing felt like it, just um putting that last figure in the cabinet and looking at them and uh I would say that um, 
it was very rewarding. So I'd say to any other collectors, really make the most of that because I don't think you ever quite get the same buzz with um, you know chasing after things and making acquisitions as you did when you're putting together a nice loose set of figures. And then it was kind of you know chasing the next buzz from there. So so you've got your loose set of figures. And you say, well, I'll be happy and content with that. But of course, you never are, despite how many times people tell you. I started going towards the variants and looking for some kind of um, you know, rare and foreign variants and stuff like that and started building up a, a set of those and before long you're kind of chasing after the vinyl cape jars and the DT Lukes and uh, orange hair Lukes and goodness knows what that costs an absolute fortune for production figures and that kind of um, filled the void for a little bit. And then I kind of got to the point where a lot of my friends that were in collecting who collected variants as well, they started down the, the path of um, COO collecting, you know, or, you know, collecting different figures with different copyright markings and the, the, I thought that a lot of the differences were fairly negligible and I just I kind of I liked something that was kind of in your face different and quite noticeable and these these differences seemed quite minor and trivial and I started losing a bit of interest at that point so I was just looking for you know what's going to be the next thing to kind of continue on my kind of collecting journey I started for a brief bit of time collecting mocks and a few palatoys and so forth and I think I got to about 20 different carded figures and I realized that I just didn't have the capacity or the room to kind of continue on to where I wanted to get. I think I was putting, trying to put together a Return of the Jedi set at the time. I got to about 20 and then thought, well, this is, this is probably going to both either break the bank or, or fill the room. And I don't have the um, display area for it. So I kind of quit on that. And um, it was at that point I started looking into a bit of pre-production and uh, thinking I, I might kind of venture into... Uh, that kind of area. I think it was mainly around the, you know, some of the prototypes that were either unpainted or in non-production colours. Uh, I guess you know you shouldn't collect prototypes like their variants and all. But if truth be told, there was probably a little bit of that kind of collecting style that had an impact on me. I loved the things like the red coat Bib Fortuna and the white coat Bib Fortuna and the black cape Squidhead. And these are the kind of figures that I, I kind of saw and coveted and, and thought, thought were really iconic and kind of dreamed of picking up. They were, I guess, my kind of holy grails at the time of collecting. Sorry, have you ever managed to pick up any kind of figure like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously at the time when I first started into prototype collecting, I thought, no, I'm not going to be daft enough to kind of spend that kind of money on uh, on a prototype, you know, that's just insane. Um, but, you know, you start making that jump to something um, a little bit more expensive and then the, the next step isn't quite so hard. And, you know, a few years later, you know, I'd made a few kind of downsizes in my collection as well. So it wasn't like I was just um, throwing the money out of out of my bank account. I, you know, made, made a few sacrifices along the way and sold a few things off. But, um, yeah, I mean, eventually I, I picked up a white coat uh, Bib Fortuna I managed to pick up a, a Leah Pink Poncho, and very recently, as we spoke, out, uh, spoke about on the last uh, episode, the Leah Pink Poncho carded sample, and of course the hand trench coat with the non-camo brown trench coat as well. So, um, so these were, I guess, some of the real iconic pieces that I never really foresee myself ever owning at all. Right. Um, before, we, before we move on, I'd, I'm just going to get some of our listeners might not know what uh, the background might be of something like a, a white caped Bib Fortuna. Could you give us information of where that was available and why it had a white cape and any, yeah, absolutely. any backstory of it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the figure will be called a, a pre-production sample. Effectively, um, the, the figure is ready for production, but I think the soft goods uh, wasn't quite ready at that point. And they would want to put together some sort of 
a test piece for the packaging, a carded sample, and they'd want to kind of test the integrity of the packaging, such as how the bubble fits and the bubble and the card and figure fit together. So they would basically just um, you know, produce a cape in whatever particular material they had at the time. I don't think it had any significance at the time. Um, and put that on a card. So then you got these strange anomalies, a few of these carded samples, which were pre-production. Um, so like the, the white coat Bid Fortuna. There's a red coat Bid Fortuna as well. I don't think uh, one of those has ever been found on a card, though. Someone said to me the other day that they thought that the white coat Bid Fortuna was earlier in the process, but actually um, the, both of the figures have got copyright markings on, and the, the red coat is actually found on the, the Taiwan factory figure, and the white coat is found on the Hong Kong factory figure. So it's literally just a, a test piece. And I, I guess maybe some of these have been pulled off the cards and um, have entered kind of circulation of pre-production collectors. So they, they've got the copyright markings on them. Um, I guess a Kenner engineer would probably call them a pre-production sample. So they're not first shots. They're not lacking copyright markings. And they're very close to the final stages before they started producing them. What kind of rarity are these? What, what kind of numbers are we talking um, well, I, I believe the red coat Bivratuna, there's uh, probably five known to exist. I've got tabs on about where four of the five are. And then for the white coat Bivratuna, um, I'm not 100% certain on the numbers. I've got my tabs on about three carded uh, ones, and I'm aware of two loose ones. So there might be one or two more than that, but I don't think a great deal more. We're talking mega rare here. Yeah, they're, they're pretty rare. They're pretty rare. And I think because of the their iconic status as well. A lot of them are really locked up in some big collections uh, and unlikely to see the light of day. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of hype about them as well. Um, I guess when you think about it, it really is only just the uh, non-production colour coat, but it's uh, really quite attractive to a lot of collectors and, um, you know, they don't often turn up on the market. The ones that are carded, are they on just a standard Bifortuna card or are they... Um, that's a good question. So uh, the, the white coat Bid Fortunas I've seen have all come on, uh, all the carded ones have come on a Walrus Man card. I think it was an Empire Strikes Back 48 back card, actually. So as with most kind of pre-production, um, sorry, uh, carded samples, they tend to be uh, carded on a previous wave for a different character. There are, I think, three carded ones on the Walrus Man card. And funnily enough, uh, a loose one came up uh, a month ago that someone asked me to authenticate and it was a genuine example but funnily enough there were some pictures of it and, and the, um, the original owner claimed that it had been pulled off uh, a card years ago um, by the guy he bought it off and it was uh, on an original uh, 65 back Big Fortuna card but obviously it's an open example I can't confirm either way that it actually existed on that card to begin with it might have just been popped in there yeah. to make it more than it actually is. But, yeah, they, they, the, only, the only carded ones that are sealed have, have been on the Wars Man card. Yeah, I bet that looks quite a nice combination, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these carded samples, I think it's the, um, the combination of the figure and the card that are really quite striking, like the Leah Pink Poncho on the Hoss Stormtrooper card and the, uh, another one that I will kind of put up there with that and the, the Big Fortuna is the hand trench coat on the 65-back Emperor Royal Guard card. So that's a really striking combination, not only because of the figure and the, uh, and the card, but because Han's got that um, brown non-camo trench coat. So it's really quite a striking um, difference and, and really unusual. So, yeah, they're fantastic pieces to, um, to see. 
And what was the rarity lot on the harness? I th- actually think, um, funny enough, I had a, a loose one, which I recently parted with, when I say recently, literally just a few days ago, um, in a kind of a three-way trade for a, uh, a piece I was after. So my understanding is that there are probably two or three carded samples out there. Uh, and I think the loose figure I own was um, certainly, according to Tom Darby, the only one he was aware of. Um, although there was one in one of the Tomarts catalogues that was pictured, and it appears to be slightly different, as, as you know, as, as hard as it is to tell. So there might possibly be another one out there, but um, yeah, for all intents and purposes, they're, they're pretty rare as well. Uh, probably more so than the red and white coat Bid Fortuna. Oliver, um, can I just ask a question? You've you've been beyond what I call the event horizon, which is where <laughs> your wallet gets sucked into the black hole, um, crossing over to pre-production. Now, my question is, is that a lot of collectors, and I'm aware of, probably myself included, are at the point now where we've done everything we wanted loose, we've possibly done everything we wanted to collect hoarded, um, and there are various different pathways to go, whether it's down oddball and cigarette items, or whether it's down um, variations and, and different kind of box items, or this is a pre-production way. What made you choose the pre-production way? And secondly, what advice would you give to somebody who's at that point? I would say that it was, I mean, I love the loose figures. Um, funnily enough, my collecting style was very different uh, three, four years ago. And I like loose figures rather than, uh, I wasn't really that into the packaging side of things. And I like things that were different, the, the, the different colored prototypes and stuff. And as I said, it's probably the influence from collecting different types of variants that probably had an impact on me wanting uh, to kind of leap into the pre-production side of things. But, um, you know, a lot of friends kind of ask similar questions about, you know, you must be crazy to drop X amount of money on a prototype. But, you know, it's really not like that. I've made a lot of sacrifices in my collecting along the way. And I say the same thing to them. They say, you know, how can you uh, spend that amount of money on a figure? I say, well, you know, I've sacrificed a lot. I've I've sold off pretty much all of my production collection a couple of years back. So, you know, as, as time went on, I sold off my variants and sold off all my carded figures. And, and then I started um, selling off, um, you know, pretty much anything production, all my loose um, set that I was so uh, proud to put together as well. And I thought I'd never sell that. I thought that would be the last thing I got rid of. But and I've literally just injected every single last bit of, of cash from all my production stuff into buying uh, pre-production stuff. And then I started, I guess, following a few focuses. But, you know, along the way, it's um, it's difficult to, to chase after everything. And, and you start realizing that maybe some of the focus is unrealistic or you make some some guy might come along and say, I'll trade you this, but I want that piece from your collection. So it kind of ruins a particular run you might be working on. So along the way, I've kind of it's not that I've given up on things, but I've had to sacrifice a few things. And I say to my friends that, you know, um, when, they, when they're saying, oh, I want to buy this, but I can't really justify it. And so we'll sell something, you know, sell your sell your figures or sell some carded things and, and get it if you really want it. So, I mean, some of these guys that I, I um, but are my friends and you know they say wow you know I can't believe you spend that amount of money on a um, on a prototype and then I, I go around the house and they've just got wall to wall of carded figures and box stuff that's probably triple quadruple the, the amount of money I've spent on my collection so yeah it's it's not really down to value I, I've got I've got a pretty small collection these days and it's it's uh, certainly quite compact but I'm I'm happy with everything I've got right now and as I said, it has it's come at a, a cost, though. There have been a lot of sacrifices along the way. With pre-production collecting, do you find um, you don't see a great deal of pieces coming up generally for sale? Is it a more who-you-know kind of situation and getting into certain circles? 
to be able to collect? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily think I've, I've ever been in those kind of uh, circles, so to speak. I've I've got a few other friends that collect uh, pre-production, but I think there's a lot of networking. Definitely. I mean, a lot of this stuff does exchange hands, you know, behind the scenes. You know, when I first started collecting, I just couldn't find anything. I was just, you know, where is it all? How do you guys pick this kind of stuff up? It's, um, it's not on, on the forums. It's very rarely on eBay. Um, but you just start networking with people and um, trying to work out deals. I think the hardest bit is just picking up a, a, some stuff to trade because trade is, is king, really. A, a lot of people aren't interested in cash. It's, it's what you can trade them for, for the piece. So picking up those initial few trade bait pieces is the most dis- difficult part. And once you've got a few interesting pieces, then you can start working your way towards the things you want. And similarly, I guess, when I built up um, a reasonable kind of collection of prototypes, up to about two years ago, I think at one point I probably had about you know 20 or 25 or more um, prototype figures. It was pretty good trade bait for working on particular character runs that I wanted to focus on. So once again, was uh, had to make a few sacrifices to pick up pieces towards my R5D4 focus and, and other things I was chasing after. Do you find the market a lot more competitive, a bit more dog-eat-dog? Yeah, it is. I mean, the, there's, there's lots of scraps out there and, you know, I think that... Uh, a lot of these deals can be, uh, you know, quite complex. You know, two or three-way trades, or even more. Um, and um, I think you've just got to, you know, toughen up a little bit and and just think that it's only toys. And some every now and then you get kind of let down or or backdoored on a deal. But you know, it's just part and parcel of it. I think uh, just the way it kind of works in a competitive nature when you've got limited numbers of these things in existence. I guess so. I tend not to lose any sleep over it and. Uh, um, you know, I've lost out on a few things and, and at the time I thought, well, that kind of sucks. That's not particularly a great way to, for things to have turned out. But, you know, just shake it off and think, well, it's not really that important. It's just, just toys and probably saved me a fortune in the long run anyway. So. Getting back to the actual items then, I know we said we weren't going to touch too much on the Pink Pond show because it was last month. But you did have a bit of a, a follow-up story from what was spoken last month you were telling us previously. Yeah, it was quite strange that actually, because um, I know you guys had asked about you know what else existed out there, and you know in all in all honesty, I'm, I'm just taking a um, an uneducated guess, let's just say, and I, I think I said at the time I was aware of another card is sample and a production like figure and a hard copy, um, but I didn't think it was probably very realistic to, to kind of add any of those to the run, um, and then out of the blue, a guy contacted me about authenticating a Leah Pink Poncho figure um, literally a few days after that. So um, fortunately, he's looking to keep hold of it, which is fair enough. It's a great piece. But it was just really interesting to that it just turned up out of the blue. Um, it's another one I can add to the list that I know is out there. And it's got some interesting differences as well. Um, well, I, I kind of thought so, whereas my first shot was unpainted. Uh, this had a different copyright marking um it actually had an unproduced hong kong copyright so i don't know for any of the variant collectors out there there are two lear poncho figures there's one with a copyright on the boot and there's one with a copyright on the thigh um well this was a one with a copyright on the thigh and on the opposite thigh it had the the hong kong uh, country of origin which is obviously unproduced so the interesting thing was as well that it had the light brown hair and was fully painted uh, and seemed to match very similarly or, or as identical as I could possibly tell to the figure on my carded sample. So um, it's likely that the, the figure on my carded sample actually has a Hong Kong copyright as well. So there are two types out there, and I'd love to add that to the uh, um, 
the little minimum at some point if I ever get the chance. Um, there's possibly another one out there, actually, because this one really came out of the, um, the blue or what's the, what's the phrase out of the wild. So I had heard rumor of another production like one out there, but the guy didn't really know what he had. He just said to me, look, I've got this this figure. I think the cape might be custom. It's got a, a copyright that I hadn't seen before. It's got, sorry, it's got a copyright. Um, so maybe it's not a pre-production figure. And I said, well, yeah, it's an unproduced copyright. And that, that cape's definitely genuine. So um, I think he realized what he'd uh, just picked up. I think it probably cost him about 20 pounds on eBay at the time. So uh, um had I'd had my save searches working, I could have been mine. So, but you know, um, it, was, it was great to see it, even if I don't own it. It's fantastic to see another example. You do know that there's easier focuses than a pink poncho. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'll be honest. I was happy. We just I was content with one uh, loose first shot. And uh, it, as I mentioned uh, when you invited me on the last episode, I never in a million years imagined that the card sample would come my way. Um, so like I said I, I'm, I'm not hoping for anything else I'm happy with what I got but then again you know if I ever got the opportunity I would leap at it Ollie in your pre-production collection are you mainly looking for um, complete figures or are you going to go further back to like wax sculpts and uh, clear moulds and things like that yeah good question I'm, um, I'll be honest my kind of interest in uh, the figural side of pre-production has mainly been around the, um, the first shots and you know, kind of proto-moulded figures I've never really been inv- interested in uh, engineering pilots or even first shots with, you know, just lacking copyright markings or like something that's kind of bold and out there and, and quite noticeably different. And um, it's not really so much about what um, what purpose they served in the pre-production process. And I know, I know a lot of um, pre-production collectors probably think that's strange, but for me it's more about... Um, just having something that's obviously different and, and uniconic and, and, and unique. And uh, I guess maybe I'm just uh, attracted by the, the, the kind of the colours and so forth, something that's bold and stands out. So I guess hard copies, you know, they're expensive and um, especially the painted examples, they don't leap out at you necessarily. And I know it's quite strange to say that uh, some other pre-production, pre-production collectors might think I was mad for saying it, but... I've never really been that attracted to them and, you know, the, the sculpts. And I think it's the um, maybe the money uh, or perhaps I'm just not in the circle of people where I've ever um, been offered a sculpt. I've had a couple of hard copies offered to me in the past, but I think it was just the the outlay for, you know, they were all painted hard copies, funny enough, and it just didn't appeal to me, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, I would say I've, I've never really been interested in kind of going to that um, stage of the, the pre-production collecting for the figures um, I kind of like things that are uh, kind of production-like almost. So I like the production quality of the figure, but um, I like kind of unusual characteristics. And, and you know, more recently over the last few years, my collection started moving more towards the, the 2D side, so the, the, the pre-production packaging side of things anyway. So, and it's funny, because I never thought it would. About three years ago, I kind of, I was like, oh, proof cards, yeah, not so interested. They just look like carbacks to me, and um, it's all about the figures. But, yeah, my my collecting habits have taken a complete um, swap around and I've actually let go quite a bit of my uh, figural kind of prototype collection to pick up um, more of the 2D proof cards and cromlins over the last few years. Yeah, that's interesting you've said that because that's what I thought. You've now completely reversed that and you've now gone down the pre-production route and you're right, the, the, there's not a lot of difference between some of the card backs and the and the proof cards and that that you've got. And yet, if you look at things like um, your Big Fortuna, you know that the difference is striking. Yeah, true. I mean, the, the, there isn't a f- first, but 
um, I think that the, the differences are definitely more uh, more subtle, and that things like proof cards and the Kremlins are just I don't, I've always felt like more displayable, um, almost like pieces of art. And yeah, I, I mean, I think um, I started working towards a little focus around R5D4, and it's just a little sub-focus just to kind of keep me occupied while I think I was kind of failing miserably on some other runs I was working towards. And and uh, it's funny because that's a figure that there's there's no figural stuff out there. There's an engineering pilot. I don't really classify it as true pre-production. There's a photo sample, but no true prototypes exist for it. So I kind of knew along the way that, you know, this is a strange focus considering I'd really been into the figural stuff that I'd focused on a figure that didn't have anything figural out there really. So, um, but as it kind of grew, I got really hooked into the um, the card back art and the subtle differences in terms of the card stock and the, um, some cards being unpunched and some cards being having the, the the two squared lower corners and some having the four round corners and yeah, I kind of got hooked into that side of collecting and uh, of course then there are a lot of other cards that are unproduced as well. So there's the revenge proof cards and there are the revenge cromlins and. There's the unproduced power of the force um, proofs and problems, which are pretty standout items. So, and then it kind of hooked my interest in, it and it was just after I kind of worked through that kind of run, I was just uh, all about um, all about that way of collecting, and I love the way they displayed in a nice uh, acrylic case or kind of up on a display wall or something. I thought they looked incredible. So, um, that was where my correct, um, collecting started to go. Well, I must admit, your R5D4 cards are so impressive. Most people. One or two proof cards or sample cards, beautiful. But this is this is a different level for me. Now, I'd like to go through some of these cards. The one that really, really stands out to me is the Revenge nameplate mock-up card. Can you explain what what that is to the listeners and uh, how you come to grab a piece like that? Yeah, I mean, it was um, I think it's about the third or the fourth proof card I I came across, and I think this is one of the ones that was rescued by Tom Niehausel. I think I hope I've pronounce his name correctly he's a, a kind of guy that rescued most of the um cromlins and uh, and sheets and stuff like that um years ago so there are various it's called a nameplate mock-up so w- when it got to the uh, revenge of the jedi kind of uh, proof cards that were made and they were about to um scrap that idea and go with the return of the jedi uh, at some point there was a bit of a design change and they um decided to change the the writing of the R5D4 from the actual letters and numbers to kind of a more to the phonetic writing of the name on the nameplate. And I think that there's a copyright marking change as well. I, I keep forgetting which way round it is from TM to C or something like that. I'm not sure what it is. So just some small differences like that. But um, so they rather than just uh, going straight ahead with producing it, they had to kind of create some sort of mock up and they literally got a, um, a Piece of, a small piece of paper and um, printed on the correct type font um, for how it should be and the correct size for that, that nameplate and um, literally just stuck it over the revenge proof card and that was used as a mock-up just to kind of show how it would look um, and then I think that the I can't remember what came after that but then it's uh, when you look at the next proof card you can obviously see that the name's been um, spelt out phonetically on the nameplate so it's kind of pretty cool it's a, a missing link of, of how that change was made and uh as far as i'm aware all these nameplate mock-ups are one of a kind it's quite it's quite a late change isn't it going into return of the jedi i didn't realize that they changed the names to return yeah and it's, and it's not just for rfo d4 that uh, there's a lot of them that were kind of changed and i don't quite know what the um the thoughts were behind that maybe it was just as we were 
I guess, moving into to Europe and so forth. And with the pronunciation, I'm not sure I'm completely throwing something out there. I, I don't really know the... Sound like Rich, just guess, guess the answer and go with it. Yeah, I'll just guess it and go with it. So, I know obviously, you know, we started moving towards... Um, um, you know, try logos and stuff and uh, um, being more kind of European based of the language. I don't know. Possibly. So just just winging it. <laughs> his, his name's spelt out on the try logo card, is it? Rather than... Uh, you know what? I can't even recall. I'm guessing it is. Rich, you could probably confirm that, can't you? If you give us 10 seconds, I could. It's just a little bit too far when we reach at the moment. <laughs> Do try logo proof cards of this kind of thing exist? Or sample cards? No, there's, there's very little out there for the 2D packaging stuff. I think there's been, a, if I remember rightly, maybe some Lily Leddy kind of um, proof cards. I can't really recall. So, I mean, there's there's very little out there. I think there are some unused Palatoy card backs, um, not really, I guess, proof cards. They're more kind of production-like that just didn't get used. As far as I'm aware, there's literally very, there's very little, maybe one or two known pieces out there. So nothing try logo as far as I'm aware other than maybe... Um, some alternative photo art that was used on the Tri-Logo cards. Yeah, I've just checked my Tri-Logo there. It is R5 spelled alphabetically with the um, R5D4 in brackets underneath it, so it's, it's a subheading. Yeah, oh. yeah, so, sounds right. Ollie, just listening to you there about your R5 um, proof collection, and, and it's clear you're getting to the point now where you're getting a little bit bored and you're looking to trade it for <laughs> perhaps a loose collection or... Um, a nice 12 inch loose set um, I'm sorry, I would really love a, a loose star 5D4 figure so if you've got one of those then we oh. might have a deal I might have one or two um, <laughs> but just <laughs> what I'm really intrigued in is that your collection of proof cards have just seemed to fall together so quickly um, now I might have this wrong but it just looks as though that you've got some stunning one of a kind items that have just all come together quite naturally well I, I you know there was definitely a bit of luck in there um, and I think that if I had uh, realised the challenge of, of how rare some of these were at the beginning. I might not have uh, necessarily aimed to, to kind of finish the run. Um, you know, when I first started, I was just happy with one or two cards. Um, so I picked up a 41 back, which is one of two known examples and a revenge. And I thought, you know, if I don't pick up anything else, I'll, I'll be more than content with that. And then I guess along the way, I, I, I um, came across a few other examples. And I, because of my prototype collection, I had a bit of trade bait. And I guess that that's helped so I would say that, yeah, definitely luck and, and having some good trade bait, uh, as well as sometimes having to, you know, make a few um, a few kind of wild offers along the way as well. Uh, so, like I said, again, some sacrifices. And, um, yeah, so there are nine known proof cards for, for R5-D4 and three Cromlins. And of the nine proof cards, I believe that um, other than the Revenge, which is, I guess, relatively common in comparison, there are 50 known examples the other eight proof cards, um, there are eight of them which are one of a kind and one of them which is one of two. So um, there's still one I'm looking for. It hasn't, uh, hasn't shown its head. I believe it was sold at Celebration 2, uh, I think it was in 2002 by Steve Denny, um, and hasn't been seen since then. So hoping it exists and is in some collector's hands and hasn't been you know, thrown in the bin or, or, or what have you, but hoping one day that will come my way to complete my set, and that would be fantastic. And I uh, still need a couple of Cromlins as well to, to go, and there, of course, uh, three Cromlins are one of a kind. I managed to locate one of them, which is great, and the other two, unfortunately, not yet, but yeah, maybe someday. For those listeners who haven't seen any of your items, um, are they available in any of Matthias's books, such as the new proof and the Cromlin Strikes Back, which is coming out next year? Uh, well, that's a good question, actually. So the funny thing is about R5-D4, even though it's a... Star Wars character is there's, there's no 
um, 2D pre-production stuff other than the actual original photo art that, are, that have actually ever turned up. So there's no Star Wars Cromlin, there's no Star Wars proof cards. The actual earliest proof card is the 41 back. So nothing in Matthias's original book. Um, I, um, Matthias asked me for a couple of photos of some of the Empire Strikes Back cards, so uh, they might well be in his, um, his next volume. Was it Cromlin Strikes Back? So certainly looking forward to uh, picking up a copy of that. And, yeah, there might be a, a few pictures of, of my proof cards in there. Who knows? I'll tell you another piece that um, obviously stands out, which is the Power of the Force 92 back sample card. Obviously not produced. How, how do you come across an item like that? Because they are stunning, aren't they? So what, the R5-D4 one? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was literally a friend that... Um, flagged it to me i think he'd seen it and literally in the background in someone's limelight or something on a shelf very eagle eyes and i think that when you when you kind of um get a name for kind of collecting a particular character it does help a lot you know a lot of people look out for you if they see something they'll literally um drop you a message on facebook about it um, moments later so um he just let me know about it and i you know i hassled the guy for a little bit and came to uh you know several months later came to some sort of agreement on a trade which um it was you know it was uh we both got something out of it i helped him with a couple of uh his focus runs by i think he got a couple of prototypes out of me and of course um i benefited from from getting a one one of a kind unproduced sample card for um for my run which was really at the time one of my favorite pieces for the run so um yeah, I guess it was purely through through chance and someone spotting it along the way. But it's funny, sometimes these things tend to rear their heads. You you, you go looking for something, someone knows you're looking, I think, potentially, if it doesn't fit their collection, um, you know, they might be more open to considering a trade and, and uh, make you aware that they currently own it. They might not, you know, hand it to you on a, on a silver plate, but they might make it be known that they, they're open to working out a deal. Or So, yeah, that's, that's the way it happened. Has a, has a coin ever turned up for that? Because I'm aware of the droids coin that has R5-D4 on it, um, but I haven't seen an R5-D4 standalone coin. No, I think just as you say, the droids coin, there was never a, an R5-D4 coin. As far as I'm aware, I could could be wrong. I haven't really, I haven't seen anything like that. There might have been some provisional art made for it, I'm not sure. But uh, um, to my knowledge, no, because um, I don't. I mean, there was no mock-up made of, of R5-D4, so it's not like some of the unproduced um, Power of the Force things actually made it as far as um, a mock-up um, you know, figure on a, on a proof card or whatever. Um, that was one that was never never put together as far as I'm aware, so no no coin was um, was ever needed or, or planned for, I guess. It's a shame there's no mock-up, because there's quite a few of the mock-ups of the unproduced, isn't there, on the um, Power of the Force, because I've seen the FX7, it looks absolutely amazing, and I reckon R5 would be standout on that card. It, it would, yeah, I mean, I've, I guess there's um, two ways to think about it, is if it's, um, if it's a mock-up, it's another example that exists, where um, which is great, but I, I love the idea of um, having the only proof card uh, that's known out there and the fact that there's not a mock-up, mock-up as well there's just a Cromlin so it kind of makes it all, all the more a little bit special because it was never made I guess it was never, never completely put together so you could always sell that aspect on it couldn't you I could I might just do that when we get off the phone maybe just <laughs> stick a figure on it although I don't have a, an R5-D4 so I might just pick up a <laughs> wheelchair or something <laughs> draw it on <laughs> and you've got a Revenge of the Jedi uh, chromalin. Now, we have covered chromalins, but not for quite a while. So, could you give us an overview of what a chromalin is before we talk about this? Oh God, yeah, putting me on the spot with that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on on the terminology at all, but 
uh, as far as I'm aware, it's, it's, I mean, it's a, basically like a proof card in a way, but it's, um, it's used to check the color registration marks and, um, sorry, color registration and marks and blemishes or positioning and alignment. Effectively, it's, it's completely different. It's not, it's not really card at all. It's four sheets of clear, um, photosensitive acetate. So there's one for each of the, the process colors. So cyan, magenta, yellow and black. And they're exposed some way to the light and um, then they're aligned with each other and laminated together with some sort of overlay. And it kind of produces a, a very high quality, one of a kind, very color rich proof card. Um, sometimes they have they have marked changes on them and and uh, therefore there might be a second or third example might be required. But for the most part, they're one of a kind. So um, so they're, they're sometimes known as the real the, the true proof cards out there because they're the, the first the first proof cards to be uh, uh, produced. I hope I've got that right. So I'm, I'm sure some of the other pre-production collectors might be able to put it together a little bit better than I have, but that's my rough understanding. If you had no choice and you had to give me either the chromalin or the uh, nameplate mock-up, which one would you keep? <laughs> that is a tough one because obviously, um, I mean, I think the chromalin's more special. Um, I'm not really that... Uh, wowed by by some of the mock-ups and you know it's just a nameplate effectively on a revenge card you could argue but you know it's part of the set so i would probably pull my hair out deciding on that i don't think i can make the decision so it's a lose-lose situation either way well in this run you've got nine i've got nine down on my list yeah from that's photo is that correct i've got eight proof cards and one cromlin yeah so i've still got one proof card and two cromlins to go so just just to give the listeners an overview you've got esb 41 back ESB 45, ESB 47, 48A. Yep. Revenge Proof, Revenge Nameplate Mockup, Return of the Jedi 65 back, Power of the Force sample card, and the Chromalin, yeah? That's right, yeah. If I had to push you for just your one favourite item in that run, what would you choose? I would say probably probably the Revenge... Uh, probably the Revenge Chromalin, I think. And I love I love the Offerless proof cards as well because the 48A and the Turn the Jedi and the Power of the Force are the only Offerless proof cards known for R5D4. And I love that how it makes the the photo kind of more visible. But yeah, I mean I I love Cromlins. They're just the, the rich colour on them um, and kind of the Offerless Revenge as well is is really great. I think. And you said there's two other Cromlins that exist for this. Yeah, so there's a Return of the Jedi Cromlin and a Power of the Force Cromlin as well. I'm aware of um, where they're both located, but haven't worked anything out so far. But maybe one day in the future, so we'll, we'll see. No, I like to think that. And is there any pre-production items that you're looking for outside of R5? Um, well, I mean, you mean apart from uh, Leah Pink Poncho? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, outside of the two that we've kind of covered. Yeah, this. yeah. I mean, I'm working on a few kind of smaller runs. I'm, I've uh, got a, a few Leah Bespin Cromlins. Um, and I would love to pick up the third Cromlin for that. So I'm looking for a revenge Cromlin I'd love to pick up. I'm kind of, uh, I've picked up a few Hoss Stormtrooper pieces as well recently, so I'm looking to pick up a few proof cards for that. But I've got a few mini focuses going on, but, you know, I, I think that those are really my main character focuses at the moment, and I think that uh, they're, they're probably going to keep me 
well occupied and, and keep my wallet in, in plenty of action for the foreseeable future. So I, I try and rein it in. I see something else I like. I think, no, that's, that's, that's not sensible because when you least expect it, sometimes it will you know, get handed to you on a plate and then you think, oh, Christ, I've got to pay for it now. So <laughs> That's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> Things come up yeah, when you can't, haven't got the cash. Control your spending, yeah, exactly. What is Oliver looking to do in the next year? What is your, you know, what is your goal? What are you looking to acquire? And if it's just to document and record, then fine, so be it. Because it, that, that's just as fun and interesting as as actually purchasing things for me. Yeah, I think you know the unknown of what you know where your collecting is going to go is 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 quite exciting. And sometimes thinking, yeah, what what is your next purchase going to be? And you know, I think some of the pieces I'm chasing after are one of a kind, and probably. Uh, you don't envisage picking them up. You, I've, I've had a fair go on a few of them sometimes, so it's maybe not realistic. But then you know, something out of the blue will come. And uh, I recently just uh, completed a three-way trade on a piece for my collection, which is a um, really lovely piece. I'm looking. I can't. I shouldn't really talk about it until it arrives on my uh, on my doorstep. It's probably a week or two away. But that kind of came out of the blue and has, has I guess, started a, maybe a, a new interest in for a different character. Maybe who knows? But. Yeah, I kind of, uh, you know, other than those those kind of those kind of runs I'm working on, I guess it's just to have fun. And I've, I've been lucky enough to meet some good friends along the way in collecting, and I love catching up with them for beers and, and chatting and uh, um, seeing stuff that they picked up as well. So I think that's a lot of my interest in collecting these days. You know, just having a few friends over, we have a film night, and disappear down the pub and grab a few beers and um, catch up on things. So that, that's what I really enjoy more than anything like these days. I'm, I'm just vi- envisaging you having, I don't know, the, the, the pastel blue Leah Poncho figure arriving that's just sitting on your doorstep <laughs> because the My Hermes guy has just chucked it on your step and went, you know, in, I'm off. Yeah, well, you know, oh, the, the days when UPS are scheduled to deliver, I think everything else goes out the window. All my <laughs> responsibilities, work and, you know, picking up my door from nursery, cooking dinner. It's all just sitting there by my nails waiting for UPS to turn up, really. So uh, <laughs> that'll be one of those days in a couple of weeks, I think. So, Do you ever get tempted to go and put together back a loose run? Um, I do, but, I mean, well, life's kind of taken a bit of a change in direction over the last couple of years. I, I um, actually started up a business a, a couple of, uh, two years ago, and um, that was quite uh, tight with the funds for some, some period of time. That's why I had to make a lot of the sacrifices to kind of further the runs I was working on. It's either that or just, you know, put collecting on hold. And as such, I, I guess, um, you know, while I'm still working on these kind of runs, I think that putting a loose set together is probably unrealistic. But, you know, that, that's something I guess you could do um, at any time in the future. Of course, you know, I'm, I was quite shocked after selling off my figures that, uh, you know, six, 12 months later, the prices they all seem to be going for now is quite, quite shocking. And there's a little bit of regret uh, sitting in there. But, um, you know, you, you can't regret things. Uh, as I said, sacrifice things. But I've picked up some um, pieces I'm really happy with. Um, but, yeah, maybe in a few years' time I might uh, um, try and pick up another loose set of work on that again. I don't know if it will be the same second time round, but it would be, it'd be great. To wrap this interview up then, Ollie, one, one bit of advice would you give a collector who's ready to dip their toe into the pre-production market and you can't use the word don't? <laughs> don't use the word don't. Oh, that's difficult then. I would say uh, do your research and shop around for things. Um, so really, really understand what things are worth, first of all. I mean, you know, I, I can say that. I've probably learned it the hard way and made a few mistakes along the way myself. But um, And you, you've got to be prepared to make some sacrifices as well because you can't own it all. 
um, unless you've won the lottery. So you've got to be prepared to give a few things up sometimes. And I think that's the, the thing a lot of collectors find hardest to do. They'll say, oh, it's a lot of money. Well, you know, you've got your, you know, your, your hundred mocks sitting there on the wall and all your box items and stuff. If you want that kind of stuff, well, maybe you need to let a few things go um, because it's not worth getting to debt over any of this stuff. And, and that's one thing I say to um, a lot of other collectors and collecting friends. I say I see them taking out payment plans and stuff. And I say, just, it's not worth it, guys. Just if, if you want it that much, sell it or go without. So you sell something or go without. Well, I would definitely trade Stu for a proof card. So if, if anybody, if any of our listeners has any proof cards that they're wanting to get rid of, I would happily trade Stu for it. it you know, it, it would be tough, but I'll get over it. Well, you, you better get him wrapped up soon then. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think there's enough bubble wrap for that. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> Well, Ollie, thank you ever so much. What, one, our final question we always ask is if, if the uh, planet was about to explode and we were moving to another planet and there was only room for one piece of your entire collection, what piece are you nice. packing? I would take my Leah Pink Poncho, I'm afraid. The carded sample? I would take, no, I would take the, the, the unpainted first shot and uh, watch, watch my R5-D4 proof run burn up in flames, I think. <laughs> Well, Ollie, it's been a real pleasure and thank you so much for taking your time to discuss No, this. not at all. Thanks very much for the invite, guys. It's been a pleasure. It's been brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Ollie. Right, now over to Jess for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what happened here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. Wow, what a fantastic month has been, guys, and unbelievable purchases. It's difficult to know where to start, but as you know, I'm going to start at Star Wars Forum UK, so if you'd like to join me on page 1937, a quick shout-out to Max F., who's completed his Palatoid 12-back run. Unbelievable. I don't have a single Palatoid 12-back. He's completed his run. My word. What it would be to have one. Grant, you um, you told me about something on page 1933. What caught your eye, buddy? Yeah, this is a nice little community story. Uh, something that Star Wars from UK is, is probably best known for is its 
uh, community and the fact that everyone on there seems to support each other. And um, this was actually from an auction set up by Frank, our little baggy master, for Michael, uh, Michael Sith. And everyone knows that you know, Mike produces pictures and free pictures and artwork and sends it out to people within the community. Um, have any of you guys actually got any any pictures done by Mike? Yeah, I've got Luke X-Wing. Yeah, it's on, it's on top of my uh, Luke X-Wing cabinet. I love it. Yeah, I've got an R5-D4 as well, which is a, is a great little drone. And it has um, half of R2, like what's up the car park as well. I've got two Greedos. Yeah. I've, uh, Pete, have you got one yet? Um, I don't know. <laughs> you, oh, you, could, you, could, you need to get one, mate. I, I don't think he does. I don't really have a, a vintage focus, do I? I mean, unless he wants to do me a, a slave lair, but probably get beaten up by his wife. Um, Mike gave me uh, a picture, which I was extremely grateful, obviously, of a TIE fighter pilot. But he did it at a time when I was unemployed. And I remember feeling extremely low at that time, and uh, Mike was good enough to, to give us a pick-me-up. And because of all the wonderful work that Mike does, Frank set up an auction, and an, another forum member, EOC, or York, uh, saw the auction, and he actually purchased some of the artwork from the auction that Mike did. And he also sent a C-3PO and a hand-large-head Star Wars D-baggy to help with the, the funds raised in the auction. Mike got chatting to EOC and asked, you know, he obviously asked him if he could do a few more pictures for him. And he said that um, he would actually uh, send him out something to say thank you. And what it was was a Canadian Land of the Jawas playset. Not just a Canadian Land of the Jawas playset, but the one with the free Jawa figure offer on there, which is a, it's quite a difficult playset to come across. And um, what a wonderful surprise for Mike, and obviously uh, well-deserved as well. Mike is greatly appreciative of this gift. He's, uh, he's opened up a thread on Star Wars Forum UK for people to check out. He's actually doing some pictures now for EOC of Jawas and a Stormtrooper that he, I was fortunate enough that he showed me. And uh, it's just another wonderful community story. One of the things I really was quite happy to see, I've got one of these Canadian Land of the Jawas, Jawa off uh, playsets myself, but I've never been able to find out what baggie uh, was in the playset or whether it was actually carded figures that they put in there. But apparently it is a baggie, so finally we know that. And it's... A, I believe, looking at the baggie, it's got the white horizontal made in Hong Kong across it. And I believe that's a Star Wars A, so I'll be looking for a Star Wars A baggie to complete mine. But once again, you know, wonderful community story, typical of Star Wars from UK. Wow, well, what a gesture, and but certainly to such a worthy recipient, because Michael is always there for people. Uh, and if people are on a forum having a bit of a... Um... A bit, having a bit of a hard time, Michael's always one of the first there to be uh, offering some words of advice or what have you. So a very, very generous offer indeed for a very, very generous man. The Force will be with you, always. Can we just talk a little bit more about the land of the Jowers? Putting it out there. Pete, do you have one of these, buddy? Nope. <laughs> Stu? Um, I have a nice, loose example. Right, OK. Um, now, would that be a Kenner or a Palatoy one? Um, it is the Kenner one. Right, okay. Rich? Yeah, I've got a Kenner one as well. Right, so a couple of pa- uh, Kenner. Brian, yeah, your Canadian one. So apart from the baggy, completely uh, complete? Yeah, it's got the, um, the escape pod in it. It's got all the levers and everything. Jez, I just remembered, I do have the escape pod, and that's all I have of it. Aha. I just so, forgot about it. So Jez, do you know, also, do you know that one of these um, Land in the Jawa play sets fit exactly into a Del- Deltoff Ikea case? Do they really? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what's the difference with the palatoy one no escape pod no escape pod yeah absolutely so, what about the base as well yeah there's no plastic it's different, different base it's completely thinner yeah completely different base no pod so uh yeah once again 
where we've seen the differences before, the quite prolific differences between the Kenner and the Palatoy, particularly with the Death Star. And I think we'll all agree that the Palatoy Death Star is the winner. What would you say here with regards to the Kenner and the Palatoy versions? Yeah. I think Skatepod makes makes the set to me. Got to be Kenner. Got to be Kenner. Yeah. yeah. With regards to the uh, with the artwork on the box, Palatoy took a distinctly different approach to their uh, to their box artwork, didn't they? They did, but they did it for the entire range. If you look at the X-wing, yeah, uh, the Land Speeder, uh-huh. the Droid Factory, you know, they did it throughout the range, and I really like the look of the early Pally Toy packaging. So you said that they did it; they were consistent. What did they do, Grant? Uh, they made them the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what did they do? What was the same? What was the difference? Oh, it's like a you know, it's kind of like the Star Wars carded figures, isn't it? You've got the like the uh, the black package in with the racetrack around it, and the image. And it had children in it as well. Yeah, I, I was thinking more the nighttime theme. So when you when you look at it from the uh, from the Kenner from the Kenner Canada in this case as well, it's daylight, standard seventies kid looking at it. But the but the Palatoy one is a is a nighttime scene. I just look at it now. One's blue and one's black. What well, one is quite clearly it gives the impression of it's a daylight scene. Mm. Everything is a daylight background scene, and the Palatoy Star Wars one—it's just—it's just the image mm. of of the playset without the pods, but with a kid with a lot of stars behind him. Yes. So it either gives you the illusion of it being nighttime or in space. They also did a lot of that in their advertising as well. The TV ads—they always had like kids playing in the dark. So I guess that's the Palatoy way. Yeah, so what what um, exclusive was this then? So this one came with the Jawa baggie. Now, Grant, yes. whatever whatever variations did they come with? Do you know what? I believe that uh, the Jawa baggies is the only ones I know. I know that the uh, Kenner Canada was very generous with their uh, mint in box vehicles, so you would be able to pick up uh, vehicles with figures in it. Much like the... Um, actually, Palito did it as well with the Cantina. They put four carded figures in it, not baggies, but carded figures but uh, many of the Canadian vehicles come with uh, uh, free figures. First of all, it was the Jawa. Later on, it came with a Yoda. And in fact, it did come with some carded figures, by all accounts, that came with a carded Jawa and then later a carded Yoda. But these ones came with the baggies. And there was also the rebate sticker offer as well. But the fact that he's got this one complete, a great-looking box with the baggie as well, absolutely awesome. Right, so here we go. Pop quiz question for you guys. We've already spoken about the Land of the Jawas itself and the differences between the Palatoy and the Kenner base. Going back to the Kenner one, though, what else was the base used for? Oh, I know. Go on. Rebel Command Center. Yeah, it was. So what have they done? Essentially, they've they've just uh, molded it into a different color, yeah? Rebel Command Center. That's right, yeah. And And what other one? New backdrop and also the Hop Ice Planet. There's a bit more uh, alteration going on there. Make do amend. <laughs> That's exactly what they've done here. Completely reused that design. You know, I wonder if these. I mean, it's a pretty basic design, uh, especially ones that don't have any mechanism. I wonder if they were pretty cheap back in the day. You know, I know that a lot of them are quite expensive now, especially the Rebel Command Center. But I wonder if they were pretty che- like a cheap alternative, like you could pick up a couple of figures or one of these, kind of like you know, mini rigs were a cheap option. Well, well, I looked at it and I check online. I've checked several places online, mate, and um, Star Wars Collectors Archive, as you know, where we go to all the time. Now, I'm not going to talk about exchange rates and stuff like I did last time. I think we've already done that enough today. Uh, but in the 1980 Kenner Toy Fair catalogue, it says $10.99. So, uh, yeah, 11, 11 bucks for one of these. And you think, yeah, it's made of plastic. But the playability, it would have been really, really good. You could have 
you could have done the whole droid sail thing and then you could have done the whole going back in the land speeder after you've just seen um, Uncle Owen back at the Lars homestead. You know, I reckon there was quite a bit of playability. I didn't, I can't remember seeing it as a kid. They did say that the Palatoy one was uh, fairly scarce though. It's particularly rare nowadays. Do you know that's that's the equivalent of 11 action figures though? $11. I don't know anyone who'd want to pass up 11 action figures. What was their falcon about? 30 bucks? Something like that? So... I don't know, I can't remember. All I had was a Hoffwumper. Father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilised age. Page 1934. Bonsai Tree Ent has put on his Force lightsaber, which had the Return of the Jedi packaging and a droid's one. Totally caught my eye. Hadn't seen one of these in packaging before and certainly hadn't seen the droids one. Wanted to look into a little bit more. Rich, do you know much about these? Well, I didn't, Jez. I knew absolutely nothing about the droids one at all until you yeah, sent me that photograph. And um, obviously we all knew a little bit about the Force lightsaber, but I've certainly learned a lot in the last week. So I want to thank you and Matt for putting that picture up there because I'm, I'm now fascinated with these. So Force lightsaber which was released in 1980 to replace, and let's face it, a pretty pathetic inflatable lightsaber. They were originally released in the yellow and the red version. But in 1983, the green version was released to conform with the Jedi, um, and all all lightsabers were replaced with the original Empire Strike Back stickers and came with the Jedi stickers. Now, as discussed on a previous show, these were found in corporate boxes, and we've seen those showcased display stands before, but Matt doesn't have one of these, Jez, does he? He doesn't have it in the cardboard box. He has a reissued one, which are pretty tough to acquire in its packaging because it's, it's um, it comes with this cardboard sleeve that's attached to it. And these sleeves have a little punch hole in which they hang from pegs, which is pretty much what you see today with a lot of lightsabers. So, Jez, why aren't there many sleeves today? Why haven't they survived? Why haven't they survived? A, it's because the, it was only the latter ones, like you've said, have come with these uh, bits of cardboard, and they don't actually look like anything. It's, it's not something to, to look after it or cherish. It's just something to, to stop you getting to the fun of playing with a lightsaber. You would just rip it off and start uh, start having your jewels. So for me, this was just a, almost a transitional piece of packaging just to get it in the shop. Yeah, bang on right. I, I, I totally agree with that as well. Obviously, when they had the cardboard, um, the toy could have been, you know, packaged back in in box, but you can't package these back together with the sleeves. Grant? Yeah, I'd be quite interested to, uh, to find out from you guys. The Force lightsaber didn't actually make it to the UK. We only had the inflatable one that was released by Pally Toy. We did have the Force Beam bootleg lightsaber. Yeah. What did, you, what did you guys use when you were kids for lightsabers? Did you use anything creative? Yep. Cobble tube. I used a broom handle that I painted red that used to beat the living daylight out of my sister with. <laughs> I, I used a beach caster fishing rod. It, was, it had this big blue blue fishing rod. It was absolutely lethal. <laughs> you literally leave red marks on everyone. Nightmare thing. I had, a, I had a cardboard tube, you know, for the ones you get from wrapping paper and stuff. So after Christmas... It was uh, painted up, you know, blue or yellow or whatever the colours were from the figures. And my brother would go smashing the crap out of each other. 
wrapping paper. Yeah, it'd be a whole tube of wrapping paper. But I do remember getting one of the uh, bootlegs ones um, from a friend towards the end of my collecting days as a kid. And I just thought that was the absolute bee's knees. That was the one where you needed the batteries in it to, to ignite it and it would glow. Whereas these ones didn't need the batteries, did they? No, they made, um, it was called the Force Noise or something like that, the Force Sound, right. which is like a whistle as you swing it around. In fact, Jez is an advert for that. I saw the advert for the original floppy one. So I, I found an advert for the original um, inflatable one, which just showed them to be absolutely shocking. The guys are waving it all over the place and they're bending in midair. It's crazy. It's the new Star Wars lightsaber from Kenner. Inflation required, batteries not included. You can pretend you have powers when you switch on Kenner's Star Wars lightsaber. Ready to feel the force? Yeah! Switch on your Star Wars lightsabers. Close your eyes and go. With you. A Star Wars lightsaber, new from Kenner. Balloons not included. So you found an advert for the for these ones, have you? No, yeah, there's two different ones. There's for the yellow lightsaber that was released. Um, they've actually got the Yoda hand puppet teaching this kid to use a lightsaber, uh, which is fantastic. Your step must be quick. Your action, sure. Yoda puppet and the Force lightsaber each sold separately. As you move your lightsaber, the sound of the force moves with you. It can be a powerful friend. That is your first lesson. Learn it well. The force is my lightsaber. The force is in all things, even you, my young Jedi. The force lightsaber and new Yoda puppet, each sold separately from Kenner Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. And then by by the time Return of the Jedi uh, comes on, it goes big budget and this kid picks up like a baseball bat and the baseball bat turns into a lightsaber. And he's actually fighting Darth Vader from Return of a Jedi. It's an amazing advert. Mate, we need to listen to that. You don't scare me, Darth Vader, because I have the strength of the Force. You cannot hide. I'm a Jedi Knight, and the Force is the strongest power in the universe. Your powers are weakening, Vader, but the Force is strong in me. I can feel it. The Force with Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Figures, vehicles, and playsets each sold separately only from Kenner. The really gets me going. <laughs> that lightsaber was Luke's and his father's before him, and now it calls to you. So the other one, the droids one, which was one that really intrigued me. Now, did you notice that in the packaging, the lightsaber blade, do you notice the colour of the blade? It's green. No, it isn't. Is... I said the packaging. The packaging? Oh, yeah, yeah. The packaging, the blade is red. Pink. It looks purple? Yeah, but... no, I think I, I think that could be an early, the, the, possibly the first purple lightsaber. Okay, I was, I was just intrigued by that. I thought, what a strange colour to choose. But, <laughs> as, it, as you mentioned there, 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 was a, a, um, there was a green saber and there was a red saber um, available for the droids. Um, but there were three key differences between the droids saber and the force light saber. Did you spot what the three differences were? Well, they're major differences, aren't they? Really, that yeah, these they ones are. here. Well, it's it's the first one which actually flicks out, doesn't it? it yeah, it, it comes out like on a spring. Stubby lightsaber, isn't it? Yeah. When you first read about this, you think, "Wow, okay, so that come that comes out of the handle as if as if a lightsaber just completely coming out there, like like in real life." 
but there's actually a bit of an Achilles heel to this droid saber, isn't there? Um, oh, I haven't noticed one because I thought it was a really, I thought it was really good. Apart from the length of the saber, I thought it was a really That's good. That's it. That's the length. It. Yeah, um, yeah. In the EU books, there is um, a stubby lightsaber, and I think it's called something like a Shoto or something like that. So I wonder if this was a, an initial, you know, inspiration for that kind of lightsaber. And and there were there were two other key differences as well, Jez. The handle, the handle's a lot a, a lot better. It's a lot cooler handle on this one. Yeah, because that was modelled on Luke's saber from Return of the Jedi, and it also had um, lights. The um, lights lit up on this lightsaber, which was um, also pretty nifty. I see you have constructed a new lightsaber. Your skills are complete. Both sabers have incredibly tricky to track down, um, and and to see a droid's uh, boxed one is absolutely amazing. So. Thanks, Jess, for pointing towards this one, and thanks, Matt, for showing that. Super cool to see, and I spent a lot of time looking at uh, uh, the SWC and other places for background information on these, and I've got to get one. You see? You can do it. Moving on to page 1940. Stu, you said to me, right, what Jedi Mister has bought here definitely needs looking into. I had never heard of one of these before. Mate, what's got you in such a flutter? Just that, Jez. Every now and then, someone posts something in like their acquisitions that you've never seen before, and that's exactly what happened to me recently with Jedi Mister on the forum when he posted up his uh, Star Wars Remedial Learning Kit. Now, I'd never seen these before. These were used in schools across the states when they were released by Pendulum Press in 1978. The kit was issued in a red box and included five miniature comic books that was uh, specially produced as a reading aid. Um, in fact, on the C- SWCA, it states many terms such as Civil War are marked with asterisks so that kids could expand their knowledge while thrilling to a galactic adventure. It also included a poster, which was the main characters in various poses, and a large image of Obi-Wan holding a lightsaber, whacking Vader over the head with it. Uh, a film strip with pictures from the comic, two cassettes, one which accompanied the film strip and one to accompany the comic. Um, and I'm sure we all had film strips like that when we were at school. Uh, you know, the ones wherever a, a beep sounded on the cassette and then the nerd of the class, probably Jez, would advance the film strip to the next frame. And finally, it also came with the teacher's guide, which included things like gold stickers that were printed with gold achieved on them and worksheets, etc. Now, Jedi Misters didn't come in with a red box. He came in with a smaller blue box and came without a few bits that the red box version came with. So it was obviously a bit of a reduced package. This set is stunning and must be really chuffed to have such an obscure item in his collection. Now, whilst researching, I did chance across a video on Vimeo where someone has put all the slides together, which is 80 plus slides, together from the film strip and added the audio off the cassette. Now, I'm hoping here that Jez has been able to rip a bit of the audio because it really does need listening to. Luke's two companions were hit at once. As if he were dreaming, Luke heard a voice. Go with your feelings. Use the force. Then, another surprising thing happened. The enemy's ships had been hit. Luke looked around and saw the guns of the Millennium Falcon taking aim at Darth Vader. Luke smiled and moved on toward the target. Again, the voice came. Use the force. Luke fired, 
then sped up and away from the Death Star. Behind him, he could see Darth Vader's crippled ship spinning out of control and heading for deep space. As Han and Luke flew back toward the Rebel base, the Death Star exploded in a huge ball of fire. The next day, a great ceremony was held at the base to honor the heroes. Once again, part of the galaxy and its people were free. Now, I looked on eBay for these items, okay? Now, one of the blue sets sold for, sold for $500 in May. And there is currently a red box set on eBay, USA. What do you reckon the buy now price is for this red set? Any, <laughs> um, any guesses? I've seen it. I'm keeping quiet. Pete, do these red cardboard boxes full of these teaching aids, what do you reckon the red box is on for buying out at the moment? Well, I don't know. 150? 150. The blue set sold for 500 and it's Ooh. reduced. 300. Okay, Grant, <laughs> Grant you're, you're an oddball man. You must know what these are. I have absolutely no idea, Steve. Sorry, can I give him a clue? Yep. I'm I'm going to take a line from the uh, from the Star Wars Collector's Archives, which is, I know what you've been looking at, Stu. The line is, what's more, it's rare, especially in complete condition, so much so that Steve Sansweet compared it to the Holy Grail in the second edition to his collectibles price guide. You might want to re-look at that 150 or whatever it was. Talking many thousands in here, are you? <laughs> it is up for a staggering eleven thousand dollars. What? Um, oh. Joe, what? When I saw it, I thought, oh, "What a lovely item!" When I saw the price of it, not so lovely. And I don't think that one's complete, is it, mate? No, no. It's got uh, they, these are really, really hard to find complete. Obviously, they were used items, weren't they? But um, absolute, absolute crazy man. When I was at school, we had similar things like that. I'm, I'm sure these. You know, students these days with their digital savvy lessons and things never had these kind of videos. But do you remember those? I'm sure that we had something like um, with puppets, Cosmo and Dibs, or I might be getting them just confused with something else. But do you remember these kind of video things, slides in lessons? Pete and Jez must because they're very old. <laughs> Mate, we had an abacus. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have we didn't have slides and stuff. There was oh, and we invented. Still on slates. Yeah. yeah we, were, we were hieroglyphics. Chalk, we had chalk boards. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it's, the uh, the video on Vimeo is well worth going and watching. It's 20 minutes long, and it's all the slides put together and the sound, and it's um, that that was used in a, a teaching aid across the US. I would have loved my lessons to be like that when I was a kid. So I think uh, Jedi Mister has absolutely found an absolute stunning item there, something yeah. I've never seen before. Yeah, absolutely. He's done. He's done really well. I mean, crumbs looking at it. <laughs> it is just awesome. And it's just so great to see stuff like this on the forum. What's more, you mentioned about the stickers, didn't you? Um, the goal achieved stickers, which you can get. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put it out there that I know that we've completed our swag for uh, celebration. But I think those goal achieved stickers that you would get in this pendulum press pack would make awesome badges. Uh, pin trading badges so if anyone's out there thinking oh no what can i do for a badge yeah get the goal achieved one check it out the remedial reading multi-school media kit jedi mister and check it out on star wars collector's archive the pendulum press and the goal achieved badge what's what's with the whole george lucas thing well just uh, 
maybe i don't know because he was the brainchild behind it it's just like do well at school lads and you could be george lucas i know but you know it just it's just weird it says star wars and then george lucas underneath as if it's almost part of the logo as such it's kind of it's mentioned on on the booklet as well seemingly back in the day there was a george lucas educational foundation which championed the use of fun as a means to engage students in learning man you are the ron burgundy of this podcast you know that he was like a god walking amongst mere mortals he had a voice that could make a wolverine purr and suits so fine they made sinatra look like a hobo in other words stuart skinner was the balls so what i see next moving on to page 1941 I saw Savory 100 had some Lion's Made lolly wrappers. Man, they took me back. Now, this would well and truly fall into the oddball variety from my point of view. So, Grant, mate, Lion's Made lolly wrappers. You got them? You interested in them? Know much about them? Um, what Savory's got here is a complete set of the Lion's Made Star Wars ice cream. Uh, it's actually it's quite phenomenal that these things actually survived. You know, if you think of an ice cream wrapper, it's pretty much destroyed as soon as you take the ice cream out there's three yellow the tuscan raider vader the r2 the three red the stormtrooper c3po and chewbacca all he has to do now is get the uh, empire strikes back ones i was looking at this and i was just thinking a yeah they look great let me have a little look if they are some on ebay because as you said how on earth have these survived one man's rubbish is another man's treasure so to speak looking at the character selection as well i was like right okay so they've got this they've got the droids they've got the chewbacca and they've got the vader the stormtrooper uh, and on the reverse of the packaging, they've got the X-Wing. And uh, as you say, they move on to the Empire Strikes Back, where uh, Lion's Maid also had the Fett, Vader, Lando, Leo Organa, Han on a Tauntaun, which I thought was cool, and Yoda. So neither of the ranges, Star Wars or the Empire Strikes Back ones, came over Luke, which I just yeah. thought was really, really weird. Yeah, no, we discussed this before, and the problem with putting Luke on there is, is it doesn't say it's not Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon. That's the problem with marketing uh, Luke, but when you see someone like Darth Vader or Yoda or Boba Fett, you instantly know it's Star Wars. So it's much easier to market these, or so the theory goes. Ah, so even Luke in an X-Wing or, or Luke uh, with a lightsaber, you would say that a Tuscan Raider is more recognisable and marketable than a Luke. I'm not sure if I agree with that thought. <laughs> it's gone quiet. Oh dear, what have I said? <laughs> This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. But yeah, I would I would have thought that, that would have been a hero because let's face it, we are selling ice lollies to who? Mainly to children. And children will be watching these movies and thinking, oh, I want to be Luke Skywalker, I want the Luke. I thought they've just absolutely looked to give horse an opportunity in the mouth there. Yeah, but if you look at the um, Sigma ceramics, I mean they're pretty generic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just don't buy a Sigma. I don't buy a Sigma mug in an ice lolly van. I'm just thinking, you know, from from a kid's point of view. Hey, I want to be. I want to be Luke. I want to be Luke. Um. So yeah, from my point of view, they've missed an opportunity. But going back to it, Savory One Hundred. He's got all six in one go. I've looked on eBay, and these aren't that easy to get hold of. No. I think I'd seen one where someone was selling them for about twenty five, thirty pounds. Yep, that's about the going rate. Uh, for them they're not the easiest things to come across i gotta be honest they do they do appear in fact they probably appear a lot more frequently than you'd imagine consider, considering it's an ice cream wrapper from 1979 <laughs> yeah 
But, uh, yeah, they're not the easiest things to come across, especially not to buy a set like that. And they are in immaculate condition as well, which I think is another crucial thing, because you do see them ripped into pieces. But a really good bit of advice for this, there's a website called um, Muji or something, M-U-J-I. They sell these little acrylic frames. You could stick these wrappers in the acrylic frames. They look fantastic. Oh, sweet. Top tip. Thinking about Celebration coming up. Is this the sort of stuff which people could find on certain stores at Celebration, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Starzone. Uh, toys would be the place to go awesome there's a lion's made lolly wrapper on ebay right at this minute for 60 quid <laughs> 60 pounds for a lolly wrapper which one's that is that a vader it's got, or? it's got the x-wing on the front being shot by a tie fighter and it says written on it uh chocolate ice lolly with chocolate flavored coating and sugar balls how you get so big getting food of this kind right so there must be another must be another image with that on ebay right now so is there another image to look at it's got Darth Vader on the back. Yeah, so it's the it's a Star Wars Vader one. Nice. Because the Empire Strikes Back one, they moved away from the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter and they went to the uh, sort of Macquarie Vader instead of the spaceship. So you could have a double-sided Vader one on the Empire Strikes Back, which is pretty cool. I, I but, love what's written on the back about Vader. Darth Vader personifies the evil of the Galactic Empire. Ooh. Dressed in flowing black robes, keeps his face forever masked by a grotesque breath screen. Oh, grotesque! <laughs> <laughs> now, guys, I'm just putting this out to all of you. A few years ago, we wouldn't have seen stuff like this so much on the Star Wars Forum UK or on any of the forums, I don't believe. Now, what do you think could be one of the reasons why we're getting so much of the oddball stuff coming out now? I'm blaming Grant. I blame the prices of the toys. Two very yeah, good points yeah, there. Good point. It's possible as well that we've got a lot of people who've been at home for a lot longer than they ordinarily would have done, and they're starting to move out and finding bits of crap that they've had lying around and thinking, actually, <laughs> this might be worth something to someone. <laughs> well, it is treasure. what it is, isn't it? You yeah. know, the lid of the top of a yogurt pot, you know, that might have just been chucked in somebody's drawer in the bedroom and kept because <laughs> they might have used it, to, I don't know, as a stencil or a transfer or something. I think collecting has awakened. I mean, I mean, other collecting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is not unusual that anything with a with a logo on it of a of a franchise suddenly becomes collectible. I mean, it's just you know, I blame Grant. It's, he has awoken people into collecting other things apart from mocks. Your fault, Grant. Your fault. <laughs> well, Stephen, mate, I'm delighted for you. Page nineteen forty one. Why don't you check it out? Go and have a little look at Star Wars Forum UK. You don't need to register. You can just go and watch as a guest. Page 1941, these six Lions Made lolly wrappers. It's uh, really something quite different and uh, really something quite cool. So then I checked out page 1944. Now, there are so many things to see. But this was uh, a, a new guy called Vinyl Jower posted a UKG 85 graded Vinyl Cape Jower and three blue snaggletuffs in the same photograph saying, check out this. Now, I'm just putting this out to all of you. I've not asked any of you to look into it. But what are your thoughts on this image? It's 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 a bloody big um, acrylic case for a vinyl cape jar, isn't it? Really, yeah. really big case. It's nice to see three blue snags, and it's nice to see a vinyl cape jar, but really big. <laughs> Grant? I noticed the... Um... It's an old UKG vinyl cape shower, so it's got yeah. the old rarity ratings on it. That's and right. They give it, I think, a four. Yes. Four star rarity rating, and um, because I have one now, I would agree with that and say it's probably even rarer. <laughs> 
Well, this was it. Yeah, for those people who don't know, so UKG used to have a blue sticker with some gold stars on. As you say, the more stars, the, the rarer. And um, and they, they moved away from that because of people not agreeing with it. And then, you know, you, you get fines and stuff. So that rarity scale could um, very quickly go out of date. But it was the actual COA, which I just thought was really, really peculiar. So this is a, a graded uh, vinyl came jower, but with a um, COA sealed within a larger graded case. So this is a very big piece. But it was the COA in the background itself. It was almost the watermark of the COA was an image from the prequels. You had Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. And I just thought, that's massively, from, from my point of view, I thought, that's just dated, that's just not appropriate. This is a vintage Star Wars toy. And you've put something from the prequels. So for me, a decision coming out of UK graders, I just thought, no, that's just that's just wrong. Was that just me being a complete snob? No, no it's, right. ru- it's ruined it for me. Yeah. In, in fact... It may well have ruined it for <laughs> for Vinyl Jower because I didn't realise that he had um, so he had posted. Look at this! I'm really really loving it with my three blue snags. And this is a guy who's just come out of nowhere, and then within about a week of owning it, he's got it for sale on the uh, for sale thread. Hey, what are you trying to push on us? And he's just said, I haven't bonded with it. it it hasn't really uh, fitted with me, and it's it's just massive. There was a whole discussion about just break it out of this um, seal, get um, UKG to regrade it if you want it done separately in a, in a smaller case with a different COA. Just get them to regrade it, do it again, free the jower. So it went on and on, and he ended up um, coming back saying, no, I've just sold it on eBay. So it's just um, vinyl jower, mate. You've, you've obviously come in, you've spent a considerable amount of money and then decided within a week, yeah, I don't want it. <laughs> Jez, Jez, you can yeah. put the first 21 in that case. It's enormous. I know. It's a huge case, but I just thought the decision made by UKG to, <laughs> to put a prequel image in the background of a vintage figure was just, I don't want to say preposterous, but it just seems, mate, what are you doing? Thing is, is the um, I mean, I'm all for the acrylic and everything, but I'm more about the Star Wars. I don't collect acrylic; it just serves a purpose and makes things look great. So I don't, I don't understand why we have to have even more acrylic to have a, you know, a, a big COA. And the COA goes in the drawer, never to be seen again. <laughs> yeah. Star Wars, I'm interested in. I'm not interested in no COA. But it's not even no. that. It's not that big. I mean, the case is enormous, even bigger than that. Again, it's it's a ridiculous size thing. Well, the case is huge. I mean, I, when I got that, um. The, the the pitch coin, the Luke X-Wing prototype coin, that is a small coin, and it came with an A4 size <laughs> COA. I haven't put that tiny coin in a massive COA thing. I've just put the, the certificate in a separate frame, and I've got the coin on a little easel. Well, I mean, just... did, were, they, were they trying to make it with the fact that the jar was so small, they thought, well, let's get a load of acrylic and make it look bigger? The thing is, is a coa for a vinyl cape drama like i could understand the coa for a salesman sample or for a first shot or something that was found and it needed some form of proof it's a vinyl cape drama yeah no it doesn't need that you know they they existed in vast quantities i think it's because the coa actually doesn't have joe written on it it actually says this is a certify that the figure above and it doesn't actually say the jawa so it had (laughs) to have been sealed in the case to belong to it but surely the sealed sticker in the case is a COA in itself? Yeah, and surely the Jawa was to the side. Yeah, that's what I was... <laughs> <laughs> So I just think the whole thing, sometimes um, more money than sense, leaps to mind. 
I mean, this isn't me, obviously. Um, uh, I would go with the man Vinyl Jawa because he obviously got it and then straight away thought, yeah, what am I doing? I'm just going to sell this on. And someone on eBay has bought it for over £1,000. What? Yeah, that's how much he bought it for and that's how much he sold it for. Over 1000 Yeah, wow. for an 85 UKG Vinyl Cape Jawa. I mean, that's probably the going rate now, mate. But but there we go. I just thought it was uh, worth pointing out. You know, sometimes you could pay all this money to get something graded, and actually when it comes back, you just think, just completely wasted my money. Right, so I moved away from Star Wars Forum UK and went to uh, Tantive 11, went to their R2's projector beam. Now, Pete, I thought this was right up your alley. (laughs) And bearing in mind, (laughs) episode two of this podcast was breastfeeding a plush Ewok. I thought, right, let's have a little look at this. This was Jawa 57 put up a plush Ewok. I didn't know much about them, so I've set you a challenge. Pete, I want to know everything you know about plush Ewoks. Go. Well, for a start, I had no idea that more than one princess nieces actually existed. There's four of them. Four of them, Jez. Four. Can you guess the four? Really not sure where you're going. There are four princess nieces. Absolutely. Okay, this will be interesting. Go for it, Pete. <laughs> well, there's there's two from the Ewoks range, so ones that look like really cutesy, cutesy, kind of plasticky looking ones, and then there's two furry, furry fellows or furry feliners, and well, and one is in a tri logo box. There's, you, you can collect four Princess Nisa plush toys. That's crazy. Who's, I mean, in fact, if you look at Princess Nisa in general, her merchandise range is enormous. You've got everything in there, even banks. <laughs> you can hey, own hey, Pete. a Princess Nisa bank. Are you considering, because you go down the female line all the time, is this, a, is this the next stage? This, I mean, this is interesting. This is why I gave it to you. This is like a new range of stuff. Pete, I mean, she is on a piece of Sigma. Is she really? She's on a music box, yes. Although I don't think I'm going to collect the pyjamas. <laughs> all the socks, Fit. all the underwear, all the t-shirts. There's even a mask. But, uh, I know I'm talking to you on Skype, but I can actually sense the delight coming <laughs> from your voice. Because we've just found you a new hobby. I don't know. I don't think I'd go down an Ewok route. It's slightly scary. You can get a Wicket and Nita, Princess Nisa rainbow lavender shoulder bag. But I want to know about these plush Ewoks. What Tell me know? about them. What, so, what, I don't know. What, what do you want to know? I mean, this, they're, they're like... See, you, you've already said Wicket, so let's talk about this range then. So this this range of plush Ewoks. Uh, because of a little British thing going on at the moment, I thought I'd have a look at the Trilogo ones because I remember these in the shop. Parents refusing to spend money on them. I saw them just as teddy bears, whereas I saw them as Star Wars. So I was like, oh, this is great. And they were like, no, we're not, you're not buying teddy bears. You're having toys, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, checking out the, the Trilogo stuff, because that's why I remember anyway. I don't remember the single logo stuff. In Trilogo, only two of the large ones came out, which was Nisa and Wicket. Mm-hmm. And four of the Walklings, which is like the baby walks, which is uh, Leany, Mookie, Nippet, and Willy. I thought it was Wiley. I think, I think, I think it is Wiley Willy. rather than Willy. <laughs> I've got Willy, Grant. <laughs> Grant know, is it, it, one of the small ones, isn't it, Stu? Yeah, I've got Willy <laughs> and, Pat, and Pat Poo. Have you? I've got, um, I've got two of the big ones. I've got Wicket is obviously one of them, and I don't know, big generic Ewok is the other one. The, the, biggest, the biggest one's called Zephy. It's 18 that, inches. That was yeah. unproduced. 
was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Zephyr, Zephyr was an unproduced Ewok. Oh, there's a there's a great another great advert. Uh, Jez, this just sprung to mind. <laughs> but his kids are hiding in the bush from a biker scout. I've watched that. And then, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. They ambush this poor guy on a bike, and um, I think that the words are Ibunga. Is what yeah, I'm yeah. Say. Be careful! This place is crawling with biker scouts. Don't worry, they're not meant for us Ewoks. From Kenner's Star Wars: Return of the Jedi Collection, New Wicked W.R. and Princess Nisa, each sold separately. Quiet, Nisa. Here comes a biker scout. W. Warwick and Princess Nisa each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. Yeah, no, I enjoyed listening to those two earlier on. There was a Palatoy one and a Kenner one. Oh, is there a Palatoy? I don't know the Palatoy one. Yeah, well, there's a British one and a Kenner one. Return of the Jedi. When you make friends with an Ewok, you're making the best friend in the universe. He'll help you through the bad times and lead you to the good. There's Wicked W. Warwick, bravest of all the Ewoks, and Princess Nisa, the cuddliest in the Empire. But make sure they're not caught off guard. Who knows when the evil Empire will return? Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. Ibunga. <laughs> nub nub. But guys, just off the top of your heads, does anyone have any idea that there was another unproduced plush toy but never got produced? Can you guess what it is? Or what it was? Was it also... Chewbacca. No, go on. Chewbacca got made, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but there's another bigger Chewbacca, wasn't there? <laughs> go on, anyone else? A plush Imperial Star Destroyer. Oh, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It's got to be something fluffy. What else is fluffy? Well, it's, it, it's not very fluffy. Jabba. Uh, no, oh, you're close, though. Tonton. You're, cool. you're not so close now. <laughs> oh. You're close to Jabba. Salacious <laughs> Crumb. Yes, Salacious Crumb. There was an unproduced Salacious Crumb plush oh. doll. It's, it looks like... Now, if you've seen the Grant's latest picture on his profile on Facebook, it looks very <laughs> similar to him. Oh, I'm just going to put this in the, in the uh, thingy so you can laugh your pants off. I think, yeah, I think we need to have this on the, uh, on the Vintage Rebellion Facebook group page because it is pretty much Grant. You see the picture. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like him, doesn't it? Yeah, you've got to put it on the um, on the form. I'll do. Um, I'll, I'll put it next to him. I'll do. I'll do one alongside. Yeah. yeah, That is a grand Fraggle Rock slash. You could put that in the fanzine. Is a spot the difference? <laughs> oh, yeah, but we're not browsing. I'm not browsing. No, I, I am. Um, plushy, plushy walks. Right there was Grant. You you probably saw these at Celebration Europe, didn't you? Yeah, you yeah, see these from reproductions. Yeah, they 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 modernised them for Celebration Europe too, and there was a few of the um, the, the Wocklings, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, and that's why didn't Princess Leia's dog uh, eat one in front of Warwick Davis, and he said it was <laughs> like watching one of his family being torn to pieces. <laughs> so yeah, as you said, you've got the the tri logo versions, which I can't remember seeing as a kid. It's probably because I was still doing all my hieroglyphics and playing with my abacus and everything, but I can't remember seeing those things. Um, which, as you said, Wicket, Nisa, Mookie, Wiley, Lena, and Nippet. But then there was the uh, the Phase 2, the second generation stuff, which came out um, in States, which was Paplu and Latara. Sounds like one of Michael Jackson's sisters. 
and, and <laughs> Gwig and, and Milani's. Um, but they are pretty cool. They were in abundance at Anaheim. There was loads of them in Anaheim, um, some with the tags, some without the tags. That's right. It was like a, a big pile of them, wasn't it? Yeah, there was loads. And I just thought about bringing them back. But some of them had um, just the the name of the Ewok as a tag. And then they'd have the name and the Ewok written after them. So there are even two different types of tag. Um, but they are, yeah, just something a little bit different, a little bit cool. I'm not so sure how expensive they are nowadays. I don't know if anyone's seen any on quite eBay cheap. at all. Quite cheap, actually, mate. I, when I was at uh, Medway Comic Con a couple of months ago, yeah, there's a man there who had three, and they were all between 25 and 45 quid he had his up for. I don't know whether that's the going rate, but two I bought recently. I got the Watklin for 20 quid and um, the Pat Blue for about 40. Does anyone else own them apart from me and Grant? No. Nope. Do you know what's, what's really nice as well? If you've got your, your collection all displayed there and it's all plastic and cardboard, it's nice to have a bit of fear in there as well. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Grant. When I got them, I got the Watklin first. I just stood there for about an hour and I couldn't fathom whether I'd, I've made a big mistake. I had the same thing with Jar Jar toys recently. And <laughs> it was in that same kind of... And it ends up in the garage, yeah? Well, no. He will, he will be out at some point. No, but I mean, in general, you're, you're kind of purchasing thoughts you know oh i bought it oh, i don't really like it garage oh no i boxed him up very carefully so he's comfortable i'm surprised that the the fur has lasted you just thought that you know 30 years later the stuff would be falling out oh, they, they, they don't molt mate they're dead no no i know but uh just like decay because it's obviously fake i just thought they'd have been dead by now well i like him on page 19 of Tantive 11's R2's projector beam. Check it out. Jawa 57. Good on you, mate, with your Nisa and the rest of your collection. Uh, the Wocklings, eh? Can we make a pledge that everyone has to get a Wockling by Christmas? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. In fact, can I replace one of my five with a Wockling? This <laughs> is not going to happen. Who was it, Stu? Was it you who mentioned um, the unproduced Zephy plushy Wock? No, me. Oh, was that you? Was well, this? me and right. Stu, really. Yeah. Well, because I, I saw that on um, on the SWCA. It said, had it been produced, Zephy would have been the largest and most interesting member of the Return of the Jedi Ewoks plush line. Zephy came outfitted with a backpack of sorts capable of holding a Wocklin from like Kenner's small-scale Ewoks line. Though not as well known as some other unproduced Kenner Star Wars toys, this is certainly a fairly major one that came very close to production. So I wonder if there's anyone out there who's got some Zephys within their collection from uh, pre-production work. But certainly, nice little plush line, and uh, we've agreed then, we're all going to have a Wocklin by Christmas. I went over to the Imperial Gunnery, Tig, and on page 34, so R2 Detour put on his Meccano X-Wing and TIE Fighter advert, which just completely got my attention. And I just thought, hmm, it's not that often you see something something like this. Now, Rich, what's just so different about this poster? Well, what's great about this poster is that it's it's completely different from anything that you would expect to see. It's an action shot. It looks like it's come from the movie. And, and, and in reality, it's, it's a sequence of comic strips. I think this is one of 25, isn't it? One of 25 like mini comic stories that were played out in posters. And you can put them all together and make a full story, which is brilliant. But it's obviously shot using vintage Star Wars figures and accessories, vehicles. Well, one of the things that sticks out to it as well is you've got a Stormtrooper flying the TIE fighter 
And I wonder what one, whether it's because it was made before the TIE Fighter pilot was made as a, or released as an action figure, or two, because the TIE Fighter pilot was never released as an action figure on the Empire Strikes Back Kano card. In fact, mm. it wasn't released on the Jedi card either. Yeah, that's a good shout as well, that, yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact that he's been ejected. <laughs> just flying through space, just like, oh, it's all gone wrong, <laughs> I'm out of here. If you have a look at the other shots from the 25, you've got like C-3PO who's rescuing Princess Leia from Darth Vader um, with his lightsaber extended. There's some really unique and interesting shots on those posters. And and you, and you mentioned that this came from Paul Ford's uh, post on TIG. Well, well, Paul Ford's actually got a blog um, which goes by the vintage toy advertiser.org and he's got a shot of all 25 together so you can actually follow the story down and I was chatting to Paul about his blog about a month ago when I was talking to him about his um, C3PO Santa comic and, and it's certainly something that um, I would recommend everybody goes and checks out he's got some fantastic French um, adverts of paperwork on there oh mate top one yeah thanks for that I just noticed as well that as well as the Stormtrooper coming out of the TIE Fighter again you've got the Luke Luke Skywalker farm boy flying the uh, the X-wing. So, mm. if you notice in the bottom corner, though, it's got it's, it's like a comic as well. Where it's got a it's got a it's got a story going with it. So I can't translate all of that French, but it looks as though it says victory. But who was flying in the two two pod ship or something like that? It's saying so. It's, it's yep. mentioning something about the cloud car pilot. Mm. No, great advert. It's cool. Just no, never seen one of those before. Definitely worth a mention. So check it out on page 34. Facebook. Rich, you pointed out something in the 12-back group. Canadian cards. Now, what have we seen here? Well, yeah, uh, Darren Hinton posted uh, two Canadian 12B carded figures. One was a 2B and one was an R2. And I was really intrigued by these because you don't see Canadian cards very often. And Canadian carded figures are obviously rarer due to their lower initial quantities. But I, what I didn't realise is how different they were to the other card backs, such as the, the Kenner. Um, I mean, obviously I was aware of the bilingual text on the back, uh, but what I wasn't aware of is that the Canadian cards have their own A, B, C, and even a D rating on the 12 backs. And there are quite a lot of little differences and little quirky things about them. For example, the 12A refers to Tuscan Raiders as Tuscan Raiders, whereas on the Kenner card backs, they refer to them as Sand People. So there's, there's a couple of little quirky bits that I find quite interesting. And obviously I was wondering, well, how could they fit, you know, bilingual text on the back and basically duplicate all the text? And, and that's because there was no mail-away promotion for the Star Wars action figure stands, which give them the space to do that. So I really think we need to get a Canadian collector on the podcast to talk about these in a lot more depth. Well, thanks, Darren. Two fantastic quarter figures. I'm really chuffed for you, and it was really nice seeing them. So, Rich, what's the difference then between the 12A, the 12B, and the 12C? And the 12D. Right, the C and the D are much more rare. They don't have the Kenner logo on the front. They've got the Canadian, well, the French-Canadian, what the... <laughs> I know that Mathieu and other people are going to be killing themselves laughing now, the Laguerre de Zatoy or whatever it is. They have that logo on the front of them. The pyramid um, logo. The, the LGDE or whatever yeah. we call it. Uh, yeah, they have the, that logo on the front. The difference between the A and the B, they obviously have the double telescoping look um, switch on the back to the other uh, single telescoping um, image. 
I can't remember the top of your head what the difference is between the C or the D, but the, the C and the D are the rarer of them, although the E and the B are still pretty rare as well. I think having had a little look, the, the differences between the C and the D are, are relatively subtle. I think there was uh, some typos with uh, C3PO, and mm-hmm. they, they had corrected those and changed that over. But, yeah, the, the major difference being, so you can get the 12 backs with the Kenner logo on the front and also Canadian 12 backs with the big pyramid logo which the GDE, which just looks absolutely fantastic. Really, really stunning. They're not in the best condition, the ones which he's got, but certainly you don't see them that often. I did contact Darren and said, mate, how have you got a hold of those? And it was just by conversing with a guy about some cardbacks, because he was generally a cardback collector, uh, and he was um, collecting a load of cardbacks from a childhood collection. And he asked someone, and he had said, yeah, I've, I've got two carded left, open, uh, left over that I didn't open as a kid. They're pretty rough. Are you interested? And that's exactly how we got hold of him. And it was just by striking up communication initially about some carded figures. Um, so he's absolutely delighted with them because of the provenance as well coming straight from a, a Kenner um, Canadian collector as a, as a child. So he, he's delighted with those. They do look fantastic. They are 12Bs and the 12Bs being, as you say, um, not the double telescoping. They've just got the single telescoping and the little yellow handle underneath the arm. Absolutely cracking and good spot, Rich. Guys, that's come to the end of the new acquisitions for this month. We've been fairly forum heavy. If there's anything which you see out there on some Facebook groups, I'd really like to have a look at what's on some of the groups. Baggy-tastic, Empire Strikes Back. Let's get out there and have a look amongst the Facebook groups. And if there's anyone out there who sees something which they think that needs to be spoken about on the Vintage Rebellion, please tag one of us and, uh, and we'll see what we can do for next month. Cheers, guys. Okay, welcome to this month's Oddball section. This month we are very fortunate to be joined by Tom Burgess. Tom, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Oddball section. That makes complete sense if you're talking to me. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Burgess from IGrewUpStarWars.com. Tom, also from the Galaxy of Toys podcast as well? Yep, exactly. How is that going? It's going all right. Uh, I think uh, some of the guys have really ran with the episodes. Uh, we've got some uh, some guys, Jake and Chris, and they're doing a, a weekly podcast, so... You know, uh, Jason kind of runs the uh, runs the team as far as Galaxy of Toys, but uh, there's an offshoot uh, uh, podcast, and they have really uh, they've really knocked it out of the park with uh, with doing a weekly podcast about uh, news uh, that's new. Uh, we usually talk about stuff that might be a few years old, maybe not not a few years old. We do talk about vintage and we talk about some current stuff, but. Uh, Chris and Jake are definitely uh, taking it upon themselves to discuss the newer stuff that happens week to week, and they've been they've been banging out a, a, a podcast uh, every week now for the last few months. So okay. good on them. But yeah, w- um, the the flagship uh, podcast, Galaxy of Toys, comes out as as often as we can all get together and come up with some kind of topic. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. We've been doing it for quite a oh three four years now, I think. So yeah. That they uh, managed, well, you guys managed to do an amazing accomplishment actually last year because I was listening to your podcast whilst doing some gardening and I got nostalgic for Power of the Force 2. 
Yeah, that happens sometimes. So. <laughs> I, I contacted Rich from our podcast, and he sent me down some loose Powder Force 2 figures because I was going to do the 95 to 99 range. And then I got nice. them, and I thought, man, what am I doing? I haven't even got enough room. I can't even afford the vintage stuff. What the hell am I doing? Am I going to now collect 300 action figures, you know? Yeah, I think it uh, it uh, definitely does help when you've got folks uh, waxing nostalgic about uh, 95 figures. I actually had a little bit of input in there myself. I, I don't have much good to say about it, but, you know, back in 95, that was the only thing you could get, and... And that was pretty cool. And and of course, I was one of the one of the ones that was was finding uh, one to keep on the card and one to, uh, yeah. to display loose. So I think everybody in the world was doing the same thing when when those figures were out. It's, it's amazing to think now that we could actually be nostalgic about that period because it only feels like yesterday when all that was new. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Grant, I do have to ask you about Power of the Force, too. I, I'm in the States, of course, and that stuff just fell from the heavens like uh rain i mean you could find power of the force two figures everywhere how was that uh how was that in your neck of the woods were you able to find the figures that you were looking for or did it take a little longer uh yeah we we had we didn't have the same uh amount of runners as you did but toys r us was a fantastic place because they would import the freeze fame figures and the 12 inch exclusives ah. and it was just an amazing time because you had this you knew that the new star wars film was being made you know right. this one since return of the jedi and it was just a phenomenal exciting time to uh, be a star wars collector it's just a shame that um they diluted the water so much by just making so much stuff yeah they did they did and it's funny because a lot of people don't realize this but kenner was still in the uh, kenner was still whipping these figures out before it was bought by hasbro so a lot of the early stuff you're still seeing kenner logos on the cards and stuff so that was fun yeah man good times well speaking about nostalgia i grew up star wars is you know a pretty much never based heard, on... never never heard of it what What's that? oh yeah <laughs> Well, it's pretty much based on uh, nostalgia, um, archive of photos and memories of everyone who grew up with Star Wars. Tom, what was the inspiration behind creating this uh, website and database? Well, I think the start was when I was oh, – I've always been uh, – my dad's a big um, photography guy, and he always took pictures of us when we were kids, not – not only for Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and that kind of thing, but a lot of the time we'd go, uh, we'd go camping in the summertime. And every time he wanted to take a picture of us, he would just whip out the camera because that wasn't very far away. And uh, he'd take pictures of us a lot during our times when we were younger and we were kids. And um, I looked at these uh, 20 years ago or so, 10 years ago, and I always wanted to... Um, do something with them. And I always noticed, of course, that when I was uh, a kid in one of those pictures, I usually had like a Star Wars shirt on, one of those iron-on shirts, or holding a figure or something like that. So about 10, 15 years ago, I was looking through those albums again, and I noticed, of course, those pictures of me. And I figured if that was me in the late 70s, early 80s, I couldn't be alone in that. Uh, I figured that there would be a lot of Star Wars fans who would have the same kind of um, the same kind of pictures. So uh, we thought, uh, well, not me myself, but I was I threw the uh, idea uh, to Chris B, uh, who's also on the podcast, who does um, Toy Run with Jake, 
And uh, this was about, oh, I don't even know, 90, I'm not sure, 2000, 2009, I think. And we were in Seattle, and I said, this might be a, a kind of a cool idea for a website. And I know that he was, you know, building websites uh, for some corporate stuff that he was working for. And he said, yeah, this might be kind of a cool idea, but where are you guys, where are we, where can you get all of these pictures? So we started um, on Rebel Scum, and I put out an, uh, a kind of a thread asking if anybody had pictures. Because, you know, you see a, a sprinkling of that come in during the uh, uh, when you're on the, the website, uh, Rebel Scum, in the vintage section especially. You'd see one or two of those kind of come in. And then uh, I hit those folks up, and, uh, of course, I knew a few collectors here locally in Seattle, and uh, they donated their pictures. So one picture of mine turned into 50 pictures. And then, uh, you know, everybody uh, was nice enough that I asked to donate. They donated some of their pictures. So that uh, collection grew. And now we're up to I, – I, I still have pictures that I need to post um, because we just uh, – I just uh, changed uh, websites little bit easier for me uh, for this new website to edit it myself um, and now we're up to about 1100 pictures wow not all not all posted yet but uh, it's it's getting up there that is an extraordinary amount of uh, photos I've been whilst I've been researching for this I've been going through all of the photos on there not just from the US as well you seem to have photos from all over the place no, yeah, I've got some folks from Japan, uh, folks from Finland, Germany, England, uh, all over the place. So, yeah, it's very cool. And, of course, when I'm editing these pictures, I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm looking at every picture and, and trying to come up with a story because the new, uh, the new website allows me to comment about the pictures. Yeah. So that information is something that you can see right along with the picture. And if I can get the input from the person that donated the picture, I'll put that in the quotes as well. But there's also taglines. So if you see something in the picture, like if uh, like Jason is playing with a TIE fighter, and uh, at Christmas you'll have the tagline, Jason, uh, 1979, TIE fighter, uh, Christmas. So if you wanted to look for all the pictures in the gallery that had uh, TIE fighters in them, you could go to the search function now in igrowupstarwars.com, put in TIE Fighter, and that should bring uh, back all of the pictures that have TIE Fighters in them. Do you know the uh, the thing that really surprised me is by going through them is you you know you expect to see pictures of you know kids back in the you know late 70s and early 80s playing with the Star Wars figures. There's a lot of Christmas ones there, but what was a real punch in the gut for me from nostalgia was it started evoking uh, lots of memories of not just playing with Star Wars as a child, but the people who were around me at the time, you know, I, it was a, a, a real nostalgic trip uh, for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great because, you know, you've got you've got grandma in her in her knit sweater and you're sitting on a big beanbag chair with shag orange shag carpet. Yeah, it's the whole it's the whole uh, it's the whole package. It's not only the Star Wars. It's just the the lifestyle and the way things used to be back in the late 70s, early 80s. It was pretty uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really nice, you know, because uh, some of these memories I don't even 
you know, I, I haven't thought about it for a while, but, you know, there's pictures of kids on their BMXs, and I was thinking, God, you know, I remember my chopper when I was a kid, but some days that chopper was an X-Wing fighter, and we were going in <laughs> full throttle, you know? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's some great – there's also a few great ones with uh, arcade games in the background. Right. So yeah. there's – yeah, it's just the whole time capsule. So it's funny. I, I collect vintage toys, and now it seems like I collect – childhood photos which is kind of weird but that's nice because there's a lot of people who don't actually do that so uh, it's fun to share this stuff with people in regards to the vintage do you think that the uh, nostalgia is sort of like the stake on the plate of why people collect i would think so i'm only speaking for myself but that definitely comes to play um i i just don't You'd have to ask someone who wasn't nostalgic for this stuff, you know, someone who might have been, who might have grew up later than we did. Um, that's a good question because I, I'm run only by nostalgia for these toys. So when I go down the stairs, of course, you've seen the pictures of the staircase that I've got with all the yeah. carded figures and stuff. So whenever I go downstairs, I, I see all this stuff, and I and I love it, and it makes me happy. But it's there because I want it to be there because it reminds me of, of the way things used to be. So, yeah, it, it's definitely – it's 200% nostalgia for me. But that would be an interesting question to ask someone who who didn't grow up with this stuff because I, I surely did, and – and it's it's all about the the memories and stuff for me. So yeah, I I love it. I, I was wondering maybe that there was a dichotomy there where collectors are nostalgic, and you know I'm just as happy to see you know a carded Gamorrean guard as anything else because you know I just love the stuff because of nostalgia and from being a Star Wars fan. But I wonder if there's a dichotomy with people who just have financial interests instead and don't have that nostalgia buzz. Yeah, well I I did an article for a financial firm. Uh, a few months ago in England, and they asked, "Do you think that uh, collecting vintage Star Wars is is good to make money with? Is it an invest investment opportunity?" And I told them, "Well, if you're not really if you're not really tuned in nostalgically to this stuff, I don't see why you would in the first place, because you know things trends go up and down. There's the the interest in this stuff goes up and down." And uh, right now, the market is so ridiculously high that you would be paying probably the peak of what you'd be paying for anything else. I mean, this stuff was definitely a lot cheaper. I bought I bought a, a figure. I bought a farm boy Luke not long ago for almost a hundred bucks. Wow! So and then you know it was in great pristine condition, and that's what I'm looking for. But I mean, when you're buying stocks high and you're selling them high, you're not really making an investment. So investment is not a good idea with this stuff. So, I, I, yeah, I think I think most collectors collect because they remember playing with this stuff. I just I don't know. I, I can't imagine anybody who was coming into collecting vintage Star Wars without without previously having some kind of relationship with them one way or the other. Yeah. So if you're asking me if it's a good investment or do you think it's a good investment, uh, I don't know. I think you're going to lose your pants if you try to if you try to buy stuff nowadays. Well, it might have been okay five years ago. It's funny. I, I found a um, – I was in Maryland with, uh, with Heather, my girlfriend, and we were in an old toy shop, and we saw a – well, I bought a lot of my carded figures there, which is funny. Uh, some of the uh, – 
uh, last 21, the, the Greedo and the, that kind of thing, the Power Droid, that, that kind of part of the collection. Um, and they had a Boba Fett there and the guy wanted to sell it to me for a thousand bucks. And it was in, it was in almost perfect condition. The only thing that was wrong with it was that there was a, a big orange, fluorescent orange Toys R Us sticker on it. And I went, oh, a thousand bucks. It's got that sticker on it too. I don't know. I think I might, I think I might pass on that, which is, which is the biggest mistake I ever did because <laughs> even if you found something that was remotely that nice and that well, well, uh, cared for because this, uh, these actually came from this toy stores guy's coach at one time. So he put them in a box. So when he pulled them out and wanted to sell them, they were in, almost perfect condition so i mean if a boba fett figure like that now ungraded which was which is still in perfect condition you know sans the uh the the price sticker probably would be what ten thousand bucks maybe really as much as that now yeah well i don't know i mean if you got it graded probably probably that much but um yeah i i let it slip out of my hands for for a thousand bucks i should have just paid it See, it's always, um, it always amazed me when, you know, looking at the amount of people that are interested in the hobby and more people are bidding on these items. And you think, oh, you know, where do all these collectors come from? But when you go to your website, all the kids have this massive gleaming smile on their face holding their action figures or their box ships. And it's like, no wonder, you know, you can tell we're all, it obviously made a massive impact. Oh yeah, and, and the the funny thing is that nothing is sitting in a box, you know. Nothing, you know. There isn't an eight year old kid in 1978 that's standing in front of a cabinet with with all of their <laughs> their box stuff. No, it's 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 R2D2 with in a in a in a mud puddle and it's hammerhead and all this stuff with with playing with your friends and yeah, it's 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 awesome. Did so it, did- yeah. Some of the pictures I was looking at as well, there's some pretty rare stuff that's being opened up in some of those as well. I saw um, the uh, Darth Vader carry case with the bounty hunter offer on the yeah. front, and that's being opened up. There's open sand crawlers in the background. There's Power of the Force carded figures that have been opened up. I'm like, wow. This oh, is- yeah. Well, the, you know, once again, when we were kids, it was, oh, well, thanks, Dad. I'm going to put this away in my cabinet now, and we'll see if we can sell it in 30 years. <laughs> no, you ripped out the I, – I remember uh, uh, when I got my figures, those figures were out of package before I even got to the car. Sure, and the gun was long gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was either swallowed or dropped or – where along the way who knows where that went but yeah well uh, yeah Yeah, it's good good stuff so it's funny to see kids actually playing with this stuff and it's actually funny that you mentioned that because um a lot of i get a lot of responses like oh my god look at that look at that kid playing with that with that uh millennium falcon and the box is still brand new well of course the box is still brand new they just he just got it for christmas two five minutes ago yeah yeah, no, I remember, like, mum would be, you can have your toys, but we got to get rid of the boxes straight away, and she'd build yeah. a bonfire at the back of the garden. <laughs> right. And like, 100 pounds, 200 pounds, all going on yeah. the fire, you know? Well, you can't think about it that way, because, you know, this stuff was so, I mean, it, I remember walking into a, a, a grocery store in 1980, and uh, they just had, uh, they must have gotten boxes of figures in because I was thumbing through uh, uh, an end cap of Empire Strikes Back cards at a grocery store and, uh, you know, choosing the one that I wanted. So I, this figures flowed like uh, 
flowed like water. I was, uh, you know, you'd go to uh, some of these uh, hardware stores and that kind of thing because I was in a smaller town. I didn't have Toys R Us or anything. But I did have Kmart, and uh, I was a little shorter at the time. And, of course, I remember that this probably wasn't as dramatic as I remember it, but I, I remember seeing 20-foot aisles, 20-foot-high uh, aisles stuffed with Star Wars figures uh, for they ran until the you know the end of the store, so probably wasn't that dramatic, but I but I remember it like that. And anything that you wanted, you could find with ease. Uh, it was it was it was a fun fun time because you could find these figures all over the place. Yeah, it seems as well from a lot of the photographs are generated around the Christmas period as well, where obviously the kids would get a load of toys all at one time. Um, uh, so there seems to be like a nostalgic link there between uh, Star Wars and Christmas. Yeah, well, that you know, uh, a lot of the pictures that I get are from Christmas because that's when that's when folks broke out the camera and you know took pictures of the family opening presents. So a lot of them are Christmas because that's when you broke out the camera and took pictures of your family. And uh, I get a lot of uh, I get a lot of Halloween pictures too, which are which are fun. Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, in regards to Christmas, there was a video I saw from uh, uh, someone called Marcus from the UK. Yeah. And it's like from 1982 and 1984, I believe, where it's just videos of him on Christmas Day opening up Millennium Falcons and and everything. That's quite a, quite a find that you had there. I'm sure most collectors yeah, love to have had it, that. It was great. Uh, it was it was awesome. Uh, it was funny because if you watch the video, her his sister is kind of saying, "Well, you you got more toys than I did," and he's ch- kind of trying to calm it down because, "Well, you got a dollhouse, and look at all this stuff you could do in the dollhouse while while he's playing with his Millennium Falcon over here." I think his uh, his sister was a little jealous of him getting all the really cool stuff and and her getting. Uh, it was a big dollhouse, but it's you know it's not the Millennium Falcon. Come on. No, I know. I mean, that, that was a that and the Atta was such a major deal back in the yeah, day, for know. sure. Yeah, those are two. Did you get those when you were a kid? I I didn't get either one of those. The uh, the very first Star Wars toy I had was an Atta. Oh well, you're starting. You're already starting at a ten. Well, yeah. There was the, no working up with you, Grant. You already you already peaked at the the first <laughs> toy you got. Well, I, I don't understand because I saw Star Wars. Lucky, on, lucky kid. I, well, I saw Star Wars on, on Christmas of 1982, and then it was my birthday in February 1983, and um, my mother and a, a babysitter was walking me to get an Action Man, which is like a you know 12-inch G.I. Joe, pally toy right. G.I. Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently I went nuts, screaming at her, ran across into a store and started disassembling their, their window display and dragging out <laughs> a box that was actually bigger than me. Now, I had, not, oh, yeah. I had not seen Empire Strikes Back. I'd only seen Star Wars, which was four months before, and in the mind of a four-year-old, I knew exactly what that was. And I, yeah. don't, I don't understand. That's, that's when he must have bottled lightning there because for some reason I knew exactly what it was and, you know, that I needed it. So, yeah, it started off, I mean, we didn't have a, we didn't have a dog in the house. So the Atat sort of was the, the next best thing, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And it didn't poop either. So that was, <laughs> yeah, um, those are great. Yeah. Uh, Adat would have been, man, Adat and the Millennium Falcon. I always had friends who had those and I always felt left out, but that's you, all right. Well, you can see collectors are still going crazy for them today, which is, uh, you know, 40 years on, they're still going mental for at Yeah, absolutely. And funny, we talked earlier about, um, 
the power of the force two before we started recording and um i finally got you know the ad app and i finally got the millennium talking but that wasn't the same in no. 95 in 95 it wouldn't have been you know it's, compare 1979 to, to 1985 and ah missed opportunity that's okay didn't feel the same but i tried to recreate it and have you, have you managed to get yourself an at now I I well no I don't I think the closest thing that I have to an ad at is the uh, the master replicas ad uh, uh, at prop nice and that's the one that I of course you know that's the one that everybody really wanted to get but I did have an ad at but I think I I sold it or it either got stolen I had um, I was trying to get rid of a lot of my uh, power of the force and beyond stuff uh, 10 15 years ago or so. And I was selling it at yard sales and that kind of thing. And then finally, someone broke into the garage that I had some of my stuff in. And once it was stolen, all the boxes were gone. I didn't have to worry about it anymore. I would like to have made a little profit, but eh. it's 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 okay that I that I lost all that stuff. Now it was if it was vintage figures, I would have felt differently. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eh, that's all right. Um, some of the other photos, like you mentioned before, um, Halloween. That also. Wow, that took me back as well because of you know uh, dressing up and cosplay was such a big part when we were kids and you know looking at the photos there was so much of that back in the day of people dressing up as C-3PO and Darth Vader and right yeah you see a lot of Darth Vaders it's funny because you know the Ben Cooper costumes back in the day were <clears throat> were uh, just cheap as heck and horrible but and and the stormtrooper had of course the you know a stormtrooper on the chest yeah you know so you had the 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 stormtrooper mask which was i you know if it, it was pretty awesome but uh the the little smock thing that you had to you could wear with it was was a little ridiculous but you know i guess when you're six seven eight nine years old uh, that's pretty cool so anything you can get is 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 good and the um did you did you have one that you did you wore around? Yeah, I had a uh, in the UK. We didn't have Ben Cooper. We had uh, Akamas Toys, and they did a small run of about eight to ten masks. And the vinyl on them is really heavy, and you don't want to wear oh. it, you don't want to wear it in the day because you just melt. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I had a I had a favorite. Uh, I always wore the Stormtrooper. So yeah, I mean, um, do you know Bruce White? Yeah, of course. Yeah, me and him wore uh, the vinyl outfits to the archive party in Anaheim, but I lasted. How did I miss that? I can't <laughs> believe I, I probably saw it. And I went, "What the heck is going on over there?" So yeah, I think if you've that, got if you've got pictures of that, you've got to you've got to send it to me. Yeah, we definitely do. I think after about fifteen minutes, I mean, him started to you know turn a funny shade of white and look like we're yeah, about to pass out. Probably so. started hallucinating there for a while too. Yeah, I'm, I can imagine that got hot, but. Definitely, what def, uh, when Ben Cooper uh, came on the scene, he was it was definitely the only the only company in town that was doing that was doing costumes. So it's pretty pretty funny. You you can still find a lot of Ben Cooper stuff on site uh, uh-huh. on site relatively cheap. Uh, was it like a major thing in the the states? The Ben Cooper stuff. Yeah, because that's uh, Ben Cooper had the license uh, from Lucasfilm, so I think. For years and years, Ben Cooper was the only one making this stuff, and it wasn't the the replica kind of stuff. It was just the really crappy, the chintzy. Uh, um, I don't even know what it's called. It's kind of a really thin plastic like, that they probably vacuum formed over yeah. it, and then had some some woman in in 
Pittsburgh, you know, cutting it out and then doing the, you know, machining the, the, the details and stuff. They're, they're all, well, you know, they're all ridiculously crude, but if it's the only thing you've got, then, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Well, some you're you're going to go with it. There's some of the uh, photos on your website as well that you can see that the kids have actually got quite creative and they're all wrapped up in pieces of silver foil and cardboard <laughs> tubing and yeah, uh, there's some folks that attempted to make themselves R2 costumes and there's a few others that really did a great job of 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 creating some really nice, pretty authentic looking costumes as well. So that's all that's all there as well. Yeah, incredibly uh, creative, you know kind of takes me back to halloween when we'd make our own costumes and everything and another thing i found on your website which has really took me back as well uh talking about things that are creative was artwork yes yeah yeah, yeah. i i know i drew a lot of stuff and I, there's a few of mine out there but uh, every once in a while and i'm happy to get drawings as well for the website uh, every once in a while someone will send me some really great great stuff and it's and it's funny because when you look at the pictures a lot of some folks kind of go off the chain and do their own thing but a lot of the time some of these kids take uh, a lot of time like copying a picture off like a trading card or maybe a storybook panel a yep. picture off a storybook so you can tell you can tell where a lot of these pictures came from yeah, uh, just by you know, just by uh, what they what they drew on the on the paper. So what what's also fun is uh, a lot of the time it's not, of course, drawing paper. It's like lined school school notebooks and that kind of thing. So that's really kind of fun to see that part of the idea behind it as well. Yeah, you can see as well the uh, repetition, even from my own drawings as a child. It was so simple to draw a Tie Fighter and an X Wing. You know, yeah, you I, I I remember, and I don't have any pictures anymore. But I love to draw tr- or to try to draw adats. It they you know I I would always start with the head because the head I thought was the most difficult, and and I I wish I I wish I had those drawings, but I, I don't know what happened to them. Yeah, me too. Good stuff though. There's a, a publicity f- uh, photo that they use for Return of the Jedi, and it's um, a shot of a Star Destroyer over Endor with a shuttle leaving for the yes. Star. It was in a mm-hmm. poster magazine, and I would just draw that Star Destroyer over and over and over again and then fill the page with Star Destroyers and turn into this big, elaborate space fight. I, mean, I probably should have been doing English or math at, this, at the time. but Of course, yeah, that's how it goes. Actually, just recently I, I posted some uh, drawings from... Uh, Kenneth, and he's got some pictures up there. So, yeah, good stuff. And I know, I know exactly the uh, the angle that you're talking about because uh, Kenneth draws the same thing. And uh, yeah, for his age, I guess these were it was 1983. I'm not sure exactly how old he was, but he did a great job. Yeah, there's yeah. there's others up there as well, which I was looking at. And I was thinking, you know, because Darth Vader's mask was impossible to draw. I always yeah. find they're a real nightmare. And you can see that the kids have really put the effort in and have, you know, done you know, really really good jobs about it. Yeah, very meticulous stuff. And uh, But to see some of these where, you know, the Tauntaun, there was, really wasn't a whole lot of reference used for, for some of these. And uh, if you have no reference and you're just going on memory, I think those are the ones that are really fun to see because they are just really off the wall and and – don't look anything like a tauntaun, but there you can still kind of tell. Oh, that, that, that looks kind of like a tauntaun. So, uh, very funny stuff. 
Um, I noticed as well that you've incorporated uh, some videos into the website as well. Um, what kind of videos do you do, Tom? And what's the relationship with them and the I Grew Up Star Wars website? Uh, I think it's I. I'll take a topic like recording radio off the uh, or re- recording uh, music off the uh, radio, and I'll uh, kind of take that idea and expand upon it and uh, talk about like the eight track tapes and the records and, and that kind of thing. And I've got some dopey little puppet sidekicks that help me out. Skunk Wookie and what's that other guy's name? Minch. Uh, Minch is kind of a Yoda looking guy. And they're always kind of, they're there for comic relief, I suppose. But yeah, a lot, a lot of the time um, I will take a topic like action figures or, uh, my love for Boba Fett when I was a kid and kind of turn that into a 10, 15 minute video and try to make it uh, kind of informative because you're getting the history of how Boba Fett was created uh, and maybe uh, why they omitted the fact or why they um, uh, didn't include the rocket firing uh, effect for the figure and that kind of thing. So if I'll take uh, Boba Fett as a subject, I'll just kind of expand on it and maybe talk about the stuff that you've heard uh, about the figure itself. Uh, there's more videos in the works, and I've been working a lot with Michael uh, with Retro Blasting. And yep. um, yeah, uh, he lets me uh, add some uh, stuff to some of his Star Wars related videos. So that's that's kind of fun too. And those those videos are on the uh, website as well. Yeah, I really. Um, we've had Retro Blasting on the vintage. Oh yeah, before, yeah. And I love the work that they do. I was going to ask you um, about your co-stars, uh, Minch and Skunky, the tube. Yeah. Where was the inspiration for for bringing those guys on board? <laughs> um, uh, well, I I had a I watched uh, Hardware Wars when I was a kid. Do you remember yeah. Hardware Wars? Yeah. The very good. first uh, fan film, and of course. Uh, they had a, a Chewbacca-like creature. I don't know. I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, he had. He looked a lot like Cookie Monster, and uh, I thought that was hilarious when I saw it as a kid. So I figured when I started making videos, that uh, I I should have some sidekicks that were kind of puppets. I was always a Muppet Show fan. Yeah. So any reason any reason to uh, to do puppeteering and that kind of thing is always cool. So um, these. These uh, puppets are pretty pretty cool. Uh, uh, Skunky has uh, articulated hands, so they're just the gloves that you put your your hands in, and he can kind of grab things. But uh, Skunky's a little different. He's a rod puppet, so he really can't hold things. So he's kind of uh, uh, he's he's a little bit like uh, kind of Kermit the Frog uh, as far as build goes. Uh, so he's got some really funny, ridiculous little facial expressions that you can do with him and that kind of thing. So I hope to, that I hope that he adds a little, these guys add a little comic relief to uh, some of the videos that I do. So, well, I, th- I think they also add to the nostalgia fact as well, because I always associate the Muppet show with a close relationship with star Wars, you know, the big in the seventies, a lot of the people yeah. worked on the Muppets came over and worked on things like Yoda and, and the puppets. Yeah. Were- right. Frank Oz, of course played, uh, you know, he was, he was Yoda and, um, Luke and, uh, Mark Hamill came onto the Muppet show and that was a great episode. So yeah, yeah, that was always, that was always in the back of my mind where, uh, I had to do, uh, 
puppets with some of the videos because I like puppets. I'm going to admit that. Yeah, me too. And, uh, but they also, all, the, the, the characters that I've got also are supposed to look like Muppets as well. So that's definitely no accident. Yeah, I, was, I always wondered when I saw them whether you did it uh, consciously or subconsciously. Oh, yeah, it was all it was all subconscious. I mean, not it was all intentional for sure. So um, I'm I, the only thing that I regret now is uh, that uh, uh, the Wookiee's eyes don't spin around like cookie monsters. That would be great. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a version where his eyes just kind of spin around a little bit. I, I just recently went to the Smithsonian and I had a good look at one of the cookie monster puppets. Oh, wow. And I went, oh, so that's the way they did that. So Amazing. Tom, what do you think the 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 future is for I Grew Up Star Wars as the longer our generation goes on? I mean, kids who were born in 1995, they grew up Star Wars through the prequels and now the right. sequel trilogy. Will you be incorporating this into your website or will it be? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, the, I've already got some uh, pictures of, of prequel era stuff uh, already. It's funny that you mentioned that because I just got two pictures sent to me from a couple of... Uh, folks and they are ray uh wearing i'm looking at the picture right now i haven't put it on the site yet uh this fella is wearing a tread trade federation battle t-shirt while he's doing some gardening with a buddy of his so uh i grew up star definitely wasn't uh for our generation it's it's growing into the next generation of folks so i wouldn't be surprised if i saw kids in the next 10 years or so with with kylo ren outfits and and that kind of thing amazing um yeah so it it keeps going it's it's just i i hope that it's just going to keep going and, and getting bigger and bigger so well tom i, I really want to signpost people to i grew up star wars i'm sure most collectors already know about it but for those who don't and especially if they have images themselves how do they get in contact with you yeah you can either uh come to the website and uh, send me an email there's uh uh, page there where you can uh, actually send it directly to me. Uh, you can send me an email at uh, admin at igrewupstarwars.com. I grew up Star Wars is all lowercase and one word scrunched together, igrewupstarwars.com. So once again, admin at igrewupstarwars.com. You can uh, uh, join our Facebook uh, page, also igrewupstarwars.com, uh, all one word. And uh, I think there's a Twitter account, but all that information is on the website itself, igrowupstarwars.com, and uh, a few ways you can send that to us. So, yeah, uh, we'd love your pictures, and we're looking forward to adding your stuff to the website. Yeah, and I suggest everyone definitely checks it out because it's it's quite strange that it evokes those memories and sometimes forgotten memories as well. I was quite surprised going through it all, the amount of stuff that came came back that i hadn't thought about for such a long time i'm just absolutely devastated that i haven't got a photograph of my own because it would mean the world to me well i'd, I'd love to add one if you ever came across it and uh yeah for sure and that's it's an open invite for anybody who might uh have a picture please don't hesitate send it over and and we just once again we'd we'd love to add it to the to the gallery Fantastic. Well, Tom, listen, thank you so much for coming on the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Look forward to um, more uh, more episodes of Galaxy of Toys being released. And uh, we'll definitely keep on checking out I Grew Up Star Wars and see what other stuff you get up to. 
definitely more stuff on the way. So thanks, Grant. I sure appreciate the time to uh, talk to you today. Cheers, buddy. You bet. This month's Market Watch is the second part of a special focus on the two prominent toy shops in my hometown of Royal Lambton Spa whilst I was growing up. Previously, I spoke with David Jordan, who ran Jordan's Toy Shop, a Stackham High Sell It Quickly store south of the river in what we call Old Town. On Regent Street, north of the river, sat one of the best shops the town has ever seen, Toy Town. I managed to track down the owner, Gordon Dobson, now in his 80s, to chat about the shop and recall his memories. Gordon still lives just off the street to where he ran the store for almost 40 years. Another local resident, Johnny Burgess, shares some more specific customer-related memories to kick us off. Johnny's family moved to Lamington to run a ladies' clothes store just a few yards away from Toy Town. This shop was huge. I mean, it went, as well as going up on two floors, I mean, it went back, there were separate rooms to the side. It was just this place of toys, which is every child's dream, really, to be able to go in and and they had everything. I mean, they had this big train set set up in the middle of it that you could just watch stuff, you know, all the all the um, Hornby trains going round all the time. Um, Lego was huge then, you know, huge section on it. It, it was, yeah. It was a, an Aladdin's cave for, for children. I can see all the figures hanging up, you know, on the on, on the little metal rods. And um, I can remember going to see Darth Vader to get an autograph that they had a few times a year at, at one of the back rooms. And the queues were, were, were really long. So, I mean, I'd go in there like most days or certain... What it was for me, actually, I had... Uh, my parents said to me, I'll give you £2 pocket money every week, which was quite a bit back then. But they insisted that I needed to spend it on a Star Wars figure. Um, <laughs> and so I used to toot along and I'd spend hours choosing which figure I was going to spend that money on that week. And I had all the time in the world. I mean, walk down on my own, you know, a few shops and sit around the Lego table, look at the Star Wars stuff, you know, and watch the trains go around. It was, uh, it was like my own back garden, really. <laughs> No, Toy Town was already in uh, at Lamington when I uh, came, and Toy Town itself, I think, must have started somewhere in about 1956, I think it was. Okay. Yes, I came here in 1966, which is just a, a little bit, the more I try to think, uh, and get it. The, the, the more I, I can feel myself not being able to think clearly. I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, I mean, did did you take over the shop, or I, did I, you? I took over the shop. Yes. Yeah. The, the the person that was here, and that it belonged to a person of the name of Albert Groom. Okay. Or he owned it. He was a builder, really. Was it an independent toy shop, or was it was it like a was it no. like a chain of shops? No, or was it no. the people have it? No, what, what happened? It was a person 
that asked him um, if he would. Um, he he was out of a job. Yeah. Uh, and he asked him if he would consider opening it up as a shop. Yeah. So he thought Albert thought that oh well. Um, Two, two, two sons, I think it was, that he had. Uh, he thought, oh, well, that would be an idea. He says, if we uh, go in for toys, yes, if that's what you, you want to open it up at, uh, a model shop. He was the owner of the business and uh, when I came. And the, the person that helped him to open the shop, that, that was the manager of it at the time, um, he w was retiring. So he was wanting someone to take over and run the shop, which um, I'd moved from Newcastle under mine to come down and uh, we built it up. And I mean, they finished up nothing like the shop that it, it was because yeah. uh, he, he ran it more of a bazaar. <laughs> I, I, I changed it completely and made it a, a, a a, st a shop, yeah, a store in a way. Because I remember being, it was, I mean, as my, my childhood in the, in the early 70s, it was the focal point to go to. You know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to go into the shop, I mean, it wasn't just like a, like a Woolworth or something where you, you went in there and there was stuff on the, on the shelves. It was, um, I can't remember, was it the upstairs had all the toys kind of out there? You know, some of the, I remember the Star Wars toys seemed to be out and various toys and kids yeah. were playing with them. And it was a real place to go and see what you wanted. You know whether you bought it there or you went somewhere else. It was, it was just this. You know, it, it, it just lifted a child's imagination simply because it, there was so much stuff in there. I mean, you well, crammed it. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a big area. It was quite quite a large area. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to make it uh, bubbling, a good atmosphere for for toys. Yeah. Whereas I mean, people opened the toy shop and you had to look for stuff on the shelves and. I mean, toy shops weren't like the, the same as they are now. Mm. I mean. Uh, I've been quite critical. I mean, I don't know whether you've been in to see um, oh, the entertainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones yeah. in there now. I mean, I don't like that place. Yeah. Because <clears throat> all it is is just boxes and stuck on the shelves. And, go up and, and to me, there's no atmosphere. Like, absolutely. And, and you want something, a, a bubbling atmosphere. Yeah, for for a toy shop. It's very corporate, isn't it? It's very. I mean, if you go to an entertainer in Leamington. And going to the entertainer in Watford, for example, is exactly the same shop. That's right. I, I mean, there's no, like you said, there was no literary atmosphere in that. It is, there's no soul. No, no, <laughs> no. It d d doesn't appeal to me at all. But there's, uh, and everything's all bland. It's uh, the, the colours all the same. It's, yeah. th there's nothing to um, stand out in any way whatsoever. <laughs> uh, we wanted to make it that it re really what was um, a good. Toy place, yeah, uh, and and really that's how it started. We changed it and had it uh, altered to, to make uh, a, a reasonable colour in it to um, make it uh, as an attractive areas where they could play with different things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean that's that, that's what different to everything else. I mean, in some shops, as a kid, you go into, you touched a. A box, you got in trouble. But in toy town, it's actively encouraged. You know, yeah. like you know, pick it up, have a look around, and that's what kids do. You know, they want to hold things, they want to want to touch things. That's right. But it had a, a wonderful reputation. I seem to remember that uh, people.
people all over the all over the well, country almost knew you know, knew about it. There was a real, you know, there was it, it was definitely known, wasn't it? It was a feature for the town. Well, it, it was. I mean, everybody. I mean, you know, you could talk to people from quite a few miles around that that really knew uh, uh, Toy Town. I mean, I've come across people and say, "Oh, yeah, Toy Town. Yeah, I remember that place." And, uh, or well, you know, people come up to me still. And saying, what, what a pity that Toy Town yeah. isn't there still. Because it was quite a big shot, wasn't it? It was uh, two floors. I mean, it was. It, I mean, do you, do you remember? I mean, was there a number attached to how big it was? Because I mean, I can remember just walking through for well, as a kid, being small, for hours, just in the going for. Just, you know, you walked upstairs, and there's like downstairs. There's just endless amounts of of stuff. True. Right? I suppose the problem was that, that it was too big in a way. <laughs> But it meant that you you could spread out and and make things accessible for people. <laughs> Run away from your parents. That's what we uh, did. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it was very good. Uh, but I got the staff there, and they all looked after their own departments. Whether it was the model department, um, dolls, soft toys, yeah. and and that, that they'd all got their own departments and knew it very well, so that it was able to go on when I was not there. That's the thing. <laughs> She had more days off. Um, can, can, you, can you remember anything about dealing with... Um, I mean, uh, when I spoke to David Jordan down at Jordan's, he, he told me some great stories of when he had to deal with Palatoy, um, one of the, you know, the local toy manufacturer up in, in Leicestershire. I mean, that, I mean, they're a huge collector's thing now where you've got something with Palatoy on it. It's a big you know, collector's item. Um, but do you, do you remember dealing with companies like that? Because, I mean, he had a lot of, like... I mean, obviously, because he was smaller and he had to, you know, get stuff stocked up high and get That's rid of right. it quickly. But, I mean, you know, he had all sorts of demands put on him by suppliers that you must sell it this way. And you, if you take these, you must take these. I mean, do you have that sort of similar problem? Well, I, I, I suppose that they, they did try it, but I'd say I'd, I will have what I want. Yeah. Uh, and we, we got, got over that, that. I think we were then large enough. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I dealt with... The lights of Lego, yeah, and uh, I was invited over to the factory at, in Denmark, okay, which was quite interesting to go around, yeah, but it was on that. Um, and the same Germany, I, I, I used to go to um, Nuremberg oh, to wow. the, 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 the trade fairs, yeah, um, every January, um, that's why we had. Probably stuff which was different, and the um, Playmobil. Yes, yes. Uh, I had loads of that when I was a kid. You, you know, the thick pun. <laughs> I have loads of it. I've still got it. I've still got some of it in the loft, well, the, which my those, nephew plays with. Um, those figures. I was I was over there, and the the gas hove that we were staying at, which was just outside uh, a, a village, uh, out of the town of Nuremberg. Yeah. They got a boy there. And I saw him playing with this uh, on one of the nights that we were there and really took my eye straight away, yeah. you know, and, and we were talking about that. So we sorted it out, and the person that I was with, he, he got contacts. We, we made arrangements, and Branch Shatter, who was the owner of Playmobil, his f- factory was just outside uh, Nuremberg it, itself. But anyway, we got the, the appointment out, asked us to go out there, we made the contact and I ordered some stuff there to come in directly from 
the factory. Yeah. And uh, we were the first in the country to have Playmobil. Really? Yes. Yes, we were the wow. first on that. I think pretty much all my Playmobil came from uh, Toy Town. I still got the labels on the boxes with toy, the Toy Town price sticker on it. We'd had, had it that year, uh, which made it that we were the first really in the country to have had Playmobil. I mean, I mean, how, how how was it taken then? I mean, you know, for me, it was just it was just a toy that was always there. But I mean, was it a, a slow start? I mean, it, was it being advertised even on TV at that time? I mean, well, I I could see he, he was selling that in Germany, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he had got he he yeah, uh, used to do the telephones for the the German telephone market. Yeah, I suppose he he got the backing of business. And the factory there to to be able to cope with things yeah. hadn't been going long in Germany actually. Yeah, it was a comparatively new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why it would it not been seen at the um, trade fairs. Yeah. Uh, and I happened to pick it up because of seeing this child playing with it. <laughs> still going today as well. Still going strong. It's, it's, Very strong. It is. But it's, but they've kept to their traditions as well. They've not. They've not really taken on any major licensees, you know, like uh, they haven't, you can't get a Star Wars play people, you can't get a Star Trek play people. It's still, you know, vehicles, you know, hospitals, you know, sort of like general daily life. Because it has that, it has that wonderful sense of play. I mean, it really does, doesn't it? You can see the potential. I mean, he'd got certain things. I mean, he'd got um, knights yeah. and things like that. And, uh, you know, he'd got them with spears on and, and so forth. And as they were playing, uh, uh, or as he was playing with it, and uh, sort of thing, I joined in uh, with the play that he was doing. Yeah. I think it was my wife, actually, that picked it up, and she said, oh, that's sharp, that on the point of the spear that they were playing with. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, I hadn't noticed that. Anyway, I um, had words with uh, Branch Chatter about it. Uh, I said that could do it, just making it a little more round than that. That's because if you're going to get children playing on the floor or anything like that, they're going down, it could go into the uh, face that I... uh, It's very sharp because I've got a cavalry set. And there's some very sharp little bits of metal and stuff on on the on the actual toys themselves. And yes. And when you're still on that night set, those little little helmets has got little bits of like you know, sharp, almost sharpened points on the helmet. Which yeah, I remember. I remember having a few injuries with play people. So uh, <laughs> anyway, he, he he said, "Oh, excuse me." He says, "I'll do that straight away." So he went off and made a phone call. I think to somebody else in the factory. That, that it was changed straight away. <laughs> uh, I said, God, I, I, I'm not used to this sort of service, that when you make a, comp- uh, a comment about anything for the benefit of uh, and safety, that it takes them ages to get through to them. But he went straight through, and that when they started to really produce more, then yeah. it, it, they were... Really rounded, just that little bit. That's amazing. That's about the. I have to find. I have to find a Playmobil collector and uh, <laughs> come and see the person who helped shape Playmobil. Yeah, it was. Um, People making magazines about Lego. People my age and older collect it, build it. I mean, it's just it's endless. It's mad. It's absolute madness. Got a rocking horse. <laughs> Built up of Lego like that. <laughs> what here? Yes. Have you? Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's about that high. <laughs> you can sit on it. Uh, motorised. And it just goes back back and forth. I mean, was that someone, someone built for you? Did you build it? Or? No, it was done by the company for... Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, Salad going all day. <laughs> it was done by the company for just for demonstration. To, oh my goodness! To you know, that's you, probably worth the, a fortune. You, you use it for display purposes. Yeah, yeah. Either attraction being let go and put it in the window, or you have it in the shop for. Because yeah, because your, your logo was a rocking horse, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Lego, to, it's to mad down, madness. Le, le, uh, toy town underneath there. <laughs> So that'd be worth quite a bit then, though. I would think that'd be worth. Well, yeah. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, because the collectible stuff is is in people's minds. But I mean, a Lego collector. I mean, one-off pieces. I mean, just ridiculous amounts of money. You, you want to turn it to Antiques Roadshow and see what they say? <laughs> I can remember reading an article in the in the in the Courier, I think it was, about. I mean, it, it was about it was about you and uh, reminiscing about Toy Town and uh, and yeah, when when Toy Town ended, which is a, a very very terrible time. That's a yeah, I remember when we were being talked about in the, in the well, amongst my friends, who was like, I can't know, they can't be getting rid of Toy Town. It's like an institution now. It can't be. So, I mean, I mean, I mean how did that come about? I mean, it was it seemed terrible. It was the, the way things had gone. Al Groomer died and so mm. forth. And then I'd asked this other person if he would like to join me because it was just at the time that I, I was at my low, really low with Ab. Um, with my illness, uh, otherwise I, I, I wouldn't have um, asked anybody to join me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't want it to, to happen, but it was the only way of re really keeping things going at that particular given time. But then he collapsed and died. Oh my goodness. Um, and he had children, so they were partly interfering uh, with the, the running of things. I was not uh, very happy, but any, anyway, um, that's right, they brought in, when he died, one of the bank trust companies, uh, and so I was having to work along with them. Then they were doing the, the priors, then they were wanting to put the, the, the rent up. How much did they put the rent up, wasn't it? It, was, it doubled it or something, didn't it? Was it even more than that? The, 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 they wanted 220%. 220%? Yes. How did they justify that? Just they oh. just thought that everyone was going to swore to well, the town more than they did anyway. So, so anyway, I tried to sort it out and fought them off a, a, a little bit anyway, uh, and it brought it down. But that was the problem, and of course, it was just going up. And it was at a time when I think the only time that we were took a dip on the um, turnover was at that particular time. So, I mean, if you were taking a, a bit of a drop in turnover um, as well as, then it was making it difficult. They were being adamant and not being prepared to consider some leeway yeah. to give you time to breathe. Um, uh, and uh, it was just not worth, well, it couldn't hold on to it for much longer. Yeah. What, what, what do you think the um, the chain of turnover was? Was that because the, the the toys weren't as big as they were, and yeah, more electronic things like computers? Because I mean, I mean, I mean, in the mid eighties and stuff from that time, 
really computers were coming in, weren't they, big time? I mean, they were, they, yeah. that's right, they were. So I mean, I mean, I mean, that that must have affected it a little bit. I think that that affected it a bit. Yeah. But, you know, the increase that we were putting onto it was not as much as the increase had been in the past. Yeah. So it wasn't covering all, all the overall increases that were being put onto us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, a lot of thought had to go into it. Uh, what we wanted to do. I, I couldn't see any way of holding on to it. That was the problem. And unfortunately, at that particular time, my wife was not well. And it was when it was finally decided that to, to get rid of it, it w- wasn't because of her illness, but it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, c- I could then get out and uh, look after her a little bit more. She finished up with Alzheimer's. So things happened on the two, two or three occasions. That if one thing went wrong, we had two or three things that were not... Such as life, sadly. Uh, and, and that was it. But it was the final uh, nail, yeah. if you'd like to put it that way, um, that, that caused it to, to um, close. I mean, I, I was terribly upset about it but uh, there was nothing I could do at the time. Did anyone ever try and buy off you or anything or was it just a, not going to was it not going to be an ongoing concern as such as a business because it was Well I, I, I no it wasn't really put on the market as being okay. open to, to try to get rid of it. I suppose if things had been a little bit normal instead of a little bit of backbiting that was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and giving you time to think and sort it out, it could have gone on to the market a bit better. <clears throat> do you ever consider maybe? Um, sorry, do you ever consider moving the shop somewhere else in Leamington? I had could, and I've looked around for some reasonable premises, but there was nothing reasonable about it at that particular given time. Yeah, because I, I didn't want to go down to just a, a newsagent type of um, shop. I mean, it wouldn't have been in keeping. It wouldn't have been toy town. We needed two floors. <laughs> so uh, anyway, you know, we just had to make up the mind, and I was not getting the cooperation in any case from the the other side. Uh, with being in partnership with the others, it's very sad. I mean, it was a like I say, it was you know, uh, you told anyone my age or anyone my age and and uh, even above. You know, I remember someone phoning me up on it when it happened, saying, "Yeah, the toy town's gone." I said, "No, not toy town. I think it was when I was at college. It was it was a proper, you know." I said to all my my friends, they all talk about toy town, not with like anything other than affection. It was all it was the place we spent our childhood. Saturday morning was going down toy town and seeing what latest thing you had going on upstairs. That's what it was, and as you probably remember, kids all over the place. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, remember, I remember once waiting in a queue because a new Star Wars toy came out, and waiting in a queue to have a go. I think it was. I think it was. It might well have been the Millennium Falcon. I remember queuing up just to have a touch it. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, there's been talk about this um, explosion that went on in Birmingham uh, more recently again because they. I think the people that were put into prison 
have now come out, haven't they? Something like that. Uh, uh, and that particular, or would it be the Saturday afterwards? I, I don't know, somewhere about that date when the bomb explosion in Birmingham yeah. must have devastated business over there mm -hmm. because, I, I mean, I, I got, and I can't find it. I've looked <laughs> high and low for this photograph that I, I took and it was just like looking on that carpet for people that were actually in the shop. It was tremendous. It was absolutely amazing. I've never seen so many people. I mean, if I wanted to go to see, try to get around the shop to see if they were all right at each of the counters and something, <laughs> you trying to get through, you know. It really was fantastic, the amount of people that were in the shop that on that occasion. I wouldn't, have, I just, I wouldn't have occurred to me, you see, that people would have done that. I mean, like nowadays, something that happens, it just kind of just backs off for a while, but and there's police, and, and then people just kind of get on with it, don't they? But I, it's never, it never occurred to me that would have happened. Yeah. So they're all headed down here. Yeah, well, they, they were all in, uh, came over to Leamington anyway. That's, that's all I know. And the, sh and this, the, the shop was absolutely full of people. Oh, my goodness. So did you ever think about buying the, the, the place that you, you, you know, Twitter was in, or was that never an option? Well, it wasn't an option, really. I mean, whilst Albert Groom had it, I mean, he wasn't prepared to split it up or to share it, if you like, go into partnership with anybody on the premises. And whilst he got it, I mean, everything was in reason. Uh, I mean... The, the amount that he was charging for the rent was quite reasonable. Yeah. So uh, everything went along fine. But then when he died, I, I mean, that put a different outlook on things. Uh, I did have a different approach with having to do things. I don't know how long, I'll be, be honest, how long the partnership would have gone on for. Yeah. Um, had David uh, not... Um, or lived himself, you know, because he was the strange enough second person to have died, uh, and had to overcome that. But then he'd got the three children, uh, no four. So did he own the building then itself? Yes. And, the, and then the, the the family kept the building and, 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 and rented it back out to you. And, and the, the then, the, then, well, uh, that's right. And then when. David died, um, his side of the business, that's right, went in, into the hands of the bank trust company. And of course I had arguments continually with the bank trust company. Okay. Because uh, they were trying to overrule everything that you did. Uh, so sounds unfamiliar to things that happen these days, uh, banks in charge. Typical, typical bank. <laughs> Uh, and I, I had some real ding-dongs and I know the person that was um, my secretary then she uh, I mean the, <laughs> the atmosphere one day on one occasion I mean she really was staggered that I really stood up to him <laughs> and told them what they could do sort of thing uh, because they, they were Try to rule to to such an extent that 
it was not, not uh, any good for the business. And, uh, anyway, they calmed down and things did sort itself out a little bit. But they were like that. You never know, never knew what to accept or, or to. Uh, That's incredible from such a you know well known. I mean, it wasn't just a shop. Let's let's face it. It wasn't just a shop in Lamington. It was something that you know generations remember. It's not you know it wasn't just always oh, like a Woolworths or whatever. It was a place you spent your childhood in. So it's bigger than just a shop. So they must have known that, and they must have been trying to squeeze you a little bit because they were getting greedy. I mean, well, you couldn't close. I mean, you, I mean, if they'd close it down in in in, its, in in those days. It would have been a, a travesty, wouldn't it? Uh, oh, it would, it would. No, it was more or less. You know, do you know who you are dealing with? <laughs> yeah, you should say. Do you know who I am? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's, that is crazy, but I mean that doesn't surprise me. But that, that, that's typical of, of, of banks when they try to get their hands out. It's no wonder some of the big companies have got to the wall. Exactly, especially as you were doing well as well. Well, that's right. That's right. So I mean, have you? I mean, when I read in the paper about the uh, the pain of of ending, have you managed to walk past the old site yet, or is it still is it still haunting you a little bit? Well. Not particularly, not now. It took me uh, a good twelve months yeah. to, uh, you know, walk past the place. Um, it, it really was um, very difficult. I mean, I don't think anyone walks past it now without, we are sort of my generation going, "Toy Town used to be there." <laughs> it is. I mean, most people probably chart the shops that have been there. You know, MVC. Right. Then was it Superdry and whatever it is now. Yeah, we, we, we will remember what was there, what came after it, because well, this thing was like part of our, a centre of our world almost. Well, that part of Regent Street, I mean, the majority of the businesses would say that it was Toy Town that was drawing people along, that were co- making them go into their shops. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, at that time, I mean, it, probably the, they've got the, um, the, the priors now, which is attracting people to go on a walk through uh, but but in those days I mean it, it, the majority of people going along were going to Toy Town mm-hmm. well if they saw some shop there that, that was appealing to them then they would go in and have a look around or even buy something the nearest thing I can imagine really and having taken my children down to London is something like Hamlet's really yeah. um, which is I think you know probably the global well known best toy store you know so um there's there's all these other shops now and okay there's toys r us and all these other ones that are huge and big but they just don't have that same magic that toy town had you know the people in there really lived and breathed toys and loved toys you know they really took the time out to learn the names of the children or certainly probably because i was in every day they knew my (laughs) names Bye. 
Johnny Burgess, Lempton FC legend, and what else do you do? Um, so I have my own health and wellness business called Believe to Achieve, and I work with businesses um, who want to motivate and energise the staff. They want to be known to be a great business to work for. Um, they value. They want to save money because of sickness and absence in the workplace. And so I run corporate wellness workshops and um, run health MOTs and cholesterol testing and wellness days. And I've written an eight-week wellness program that covers like mindset, nutrition, movement, stress, and sleep. And and uh, and and how many years did you play for Leamington FC, the the mighty Leamington FC? Oh, that's a good question. I shouldn't. I'm, I'm a bit rubbish when it comes to numbers and and timelines, etc. But um, I think that was probably from around year two thousand, and I'm guessing I was there for at least seven years. I think. Seven years of service. Oh my goodness! I think so. Um, certainly went through three or four promotions, and there was a couple that stalled. So it might be six, but yeah, yeah. mentioned on last month's podcast we have this fantastic postcard giveaway at celebration from our booth each day and i'm delighted to welcome three of the artists to join me and jez this evening we have dan tell good evening dan good evening Corey galau all the way from the states Corey. good evening good evening good afternoon and mark daniels who obviously was our feature interview a couple of episodes back good evening mark good evening chaps now, it's wonderful to have you all on here. And first of all, before we get too much into this, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you for participating. All six postcards designs we've had in, all five of us been absolutely thrilled with so much talent. You, you boys have a more talent in your little fingers than most of us have in our whole <laughs> It's amazing stuff. You're, you're very welcome, mate. What we're going to do is we're just going to go through the six postcards. Obviously, three of the artists aren't, aren't with us, but we will just discuss their postcards one and two are given away on Friday at Celebration. And the first one, one of six, has been designed by Dan Tell. Now, Dan, can you tell us what your postcard is of? Because it is stunning. Yeah, it, it, it's um, a vintage figure and it's an Emperor's Royal Guard. It's one of the few figures so far that I haven't actually painted. And it was, it was actually a lot of fun to do. Is it one of your preferred figures? Because, just to let the listeners know, when, when we contacted you, we gave all of you a blank canvas... We didn't want to give any restrictions, but all we said was OT. Yeah, it was one that I'd been really looking forward to painting, and nobody had actually commissioned one yet, which was a bit of a surprise, you know. I thought, I really fancy doing that one. It was a bit of a challenge because of the uh, texture in the uh, cape and everything like that. It's a bit different. Really fancied having a go at it, so that's why I chose that one. And how do you paint? Because all, all six of you are completely different artists when you look at your... your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what, what is your style? I'm no artist, so... Uh... 90% airbrushed. So it, it, it's, um, it's literally ink on board, and it takes a lot of preparation. It takes a long time to do, but I hope that it, it, it comes out quite realistic. I'm a kind of a realism painter rather than abstract or anything like that. I've tried to sort of like, whatever I paint, try to make it exactly like 
what I've got in front of me sort of thing. Yeah, Dan, I absolutely I... love this. When this came up and you showed your latest one, I was biting my tongue. I was just, <laughs> just really, really trying to... I think, you know, I liked it and said, wow, that's really nice. But I was, yeah, absolutely stunning. It really, really is great oh, stuff. And I love the fact that the... The, the weapon it's got with it as well you just think right yeah it just defines the fact that it's the vintage figure as opposed Absolutely, to taking yeah. something out of the movie yeah perfect thank you <laughs> something i have noticed with you dan since connected with you on facebook yeah is you're a collector aren't you but you're a collector of what i would call everything from that kind of vintage era you you come up with some stunning pieces over the last few weeks in your collection do you collect Star Wars toys or anything from that vintage line? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, been concentrating mostly on, on my loose collection. I've only got two left to get. And it, it started off, I've only been collecting since March last year. This is about my third collection, like, because I'd sold them all previously. And I only started collecting about March last year. And, and it's just been amazing because, to be quite truthful, the, the art has helped a lot because I've traded a lot for it. I've sold pieces and I've literally just bought toys with it. It's great. <laughs> Very good way of uh, building up collection. What two figures do you need? I, I need a pop-up R2-D2, surprise, surprise. Mm. And um, I also need a, a Lando General. Going back to your art, what inspired you to do like, Star Wars items? What? Well, it was an, an absolute sort of chance thing where I'd, I'd not long joined Echo Base, actually. I'd seen Barry's work and I thought that's fantastic you know he's just amazing somebody said to me have you ever thought of doing one i said well i had but i haven't actually done it you know they said to me well have a go at one do one for me and it was a luke x-wing pilot and i had a go at it and i really enjoyed it and it like it went down really well and and sort of from then the the floodgates kind of opened everyone was saying can i have a so-and-so can i have a so-and-so and And it's just gone crazy from there really out of all the artists we've got on here you and barry are probably the most comparable but your art is so far away isn't it yeah, we're, we're very different. First one to say that I think Barry's miles better than me because he, he's got such a talent with what he uses. What I've seen, everyone's uh, pretty much on a level par and I <laughs> think there's some amazing work going on. So if people want a commission of you, you, you take commissions on? Yeah, I mean, most people contact me through Echo Base or um, I've got a Facebook page just called Vintage Gamer Art. And I'll explain why it's called Gamer Art just quickly because uh, when I first started doing pop culture art, it was actually video game art that I was doing. I had a lot of clients in America who wanted pictures of things like um, arcade machines and things like that. And it sort of built from there. And I thought, hang on a minute, pop culture is really popular and we're, we're a very nostalgic generation. From there, I started doing paintings of things like video games and, and stuff like that. And then action figures and you know, I've done He-Man and stuff like that. And it, it's all really popular with sort of our sort of age, if, if that makes any sense. So that's why it was, it was called Vintage Gamer Art originally because it actually started off as video games but yeah you can contact me there's a facebook page twitter as well on vintage gamer art on twitter just contact me through there wonderful and obviously if any of the listeners are, are at celebration and want more details please come and ask us at our booth we you know more than happy to pass on dan's work and uh, seriously it'll be money well spent so also on the friday is the second postcard which will be given away alongside dan's and that is Corey Galau's postcard. Now, Corey. Yes, sir. What is your postcard of? My favorite figures. Uh, I, I wanted to do some figures because uh, I know Barry and uh, Dan were going to do some, so I wanted to do some as well. I just love the bounty hunters. They're just so cool. Ever since I, I just remember setting them up as a kid, and that's exactly how I painted it, is how I would set up the bounty hunters and play with them. That's basically what my painting was all about. So how would you describe your art? Because it's, it's slightly different. I do uh, acrylic on canvas 
with a paint brush. Uh, so everything is by hand. I sketch it, and then I go from there. Mine's colorful. Is it's just uh, it's got a little bit more feel. I I, I just uh, it's different. It's hard to explain my style. Because when I was on uh, Facebook, the one that grabbed me was the was the child standing in front of all the Star Wars toys. Yes, um, that was for Matt George. Uh, that was a commission. That that painting is actually the original is five feet by three feet, so it's it was huge. I don't know the uh, British uh, measurements, but it was quite large. Uh, and yeah, that was that's one of my favorites. It's he he came to me with an idea. He just wanted a boy in the toy aisle in 1979, and I immediately pictured myself. And uh, I did a quick sketch, and we went from there. And yeah, that one that one's one of my greats. That child that's in that picture is modeled on you, is it? No, it's uh, basically uh, he wanted a kind of, it's modeled after what he described himself, Matt George, uh, black hair, and uh, he wanted that Texas uh, University color uh, sweatshirt. And so I just added what he wanted for that, because that's actually him, modeled after him. But it's, it's all of us, and that's what's cool about that painting. This picture, now... You, you put this on Facebook, partly done. One of the characters was missing. So basically, when you're drawing that kind of picture, you sketch it out and then colour one at a time? Or do you colour the background first? Yeah, I, I do uh, I do basically the background usually first. Like when I'm doing a commission, what I do is I involve my customers with it. And I'll take like um, their idea and then I'll start with the background. Then I'll send them an update. And then I will then go and do one part and then another part and... Then, then I bounce back and forth. But uh, on this one, I I started. Uh, I think I started with um, God. I on the left, IG88. I think I started with. Just went from there, and I bounced back and forth at the end. Oh, you start from the back. I thought you would have drawn the ones at the front first and then coloured in from the. Uh, I started from the back and worked my way out. There you go. I told you it was no way. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at this picture now, right from left to right, I absolutely love it. But the one thing which stands out to me is Dengar. I think it's the, it's the most it's it's the beautifully most cleanest image I've seen yet of Dengar's face because usually in the films you see him from the side you know is is a figure he's kind of washed out but looking at this postcard he's just got the um the sort of soldier's stare of a thousand miles that he's just been there and he's seen death uh, and it's just he's <laughs> looking straight at the postcard like yeah what up I'm nails uh, and I just think it looks really, really so cool. But what I, what I also like is the fact that you've almost got the 3D image of Boba Fett just in front of him. Almost looks like this has been sort of superimposed on top of the postcard and it's almost sticking out at you, particularly with the reflections coming off of his chest plate. Definitely a really, really interesting piece. I can't believe that we were spoiling people who were coming on Friday by giving them two of these cracking postcards. What's going on, Stu? They are wonderful, aren't they? How many hours does a picture like that take? It depends mostly on the, the detail and the background, um, but I'm I'm actually pretty fast. I do uh, I work my regular job, which I fix air conditioning. I come home and I spend about maybe two to three hours a day painting, and um, usually one painting. This one took me I took about three weeks on, so you know two three hours a day, couple days missed in between because of life. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they. Roughly one painting, if I sat down, I could get it done in three to four days if I sat down. So it's quite time-consuming. But obviously you're, uh, you're going to like this pun. Obviously your day job makes your painting a breeze. Dan, just out of interest. <laughs> you like that, Jess, didn't you? Yeah, I just... <laughs> that was hilarious. 
It, yeah, if you guys thought that was bad, you know, we, we've got a record of him every month, so... Um... Dan, just out of interest, how long did yours take? I think I did it. It was about six hours from start to finish. Yeah, I, I pretty much fly through them. I think once I've got the idea and once I've got it sketched out sort of thing, that that takes about an hour or so. The, the, the beauty of the airbrushes is I can cover big areas in quite short time. And as long as I've got my colours right, it's, it, 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 it's a breeze, to be honest. You know, it, it, it really doesn't take that long. Corey, just going back to yours, how can people go to you for commissions? Where can they find your work? Just like Dan and Barry, we're all like Facebook artists. That's what I consider ourselves. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, uh, Art of Corey Galau, Star Wars Art and More. I post up on almost all the pages showing off my new stuff. But yeah, you can PM me there or on my regular account. Well, once again, we'll have your details on us at a, a celebration if people want it. On Saturday, we then have another two postcards. Uh, number three is Barry Jones's. Now, he has done a picture. Oh, actually, Jess, can you explain Barry's picture? <laughs> can I explain? Yeah, so, Stu, this was one of the first ones which we saw come through. How can I describe it? Again, it's nails. I'm not sure really why we're spoiling everyone who's also coming on a Saturday. This is a stunning picture of IG-88, as if he's posing for a school photograph. And uh, so he's just sat there at sort of... Um, about 25 degrees to the camera and just looking nice and prim and proper. He's just had his hair done uh, and he's looking straight at you. But the way it's got it sort of subtly blended in there, it's so professionally done. It's just all all six of these. I, I, I can't say it any lo- anymore, but I'm just zooming in now. I'm pinching, zooming on my phone. Everything about it, this IG-88, if you haven't got a, a, a ticket for Saturday, you need to try and convince someone to get you this postcard. It's nails. Dan, I'm going to come back to you on this. Okay, You're going to help me out. Now, I believe that Barry paints with pastels, charcoals and graphite? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. mostly pastels. Can you explain his his whole art, artwork in arty kind of words? Arty kind of words? <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what he uses, he, he uses pastels and, uh, like, say, charcoal and things like that. And they're kind of, like, brushed, so they give a very smooth effect, which, which is very realistic. And he uses the tone paper, which um, with with sort of like the contrast on it, they're almost photographic. I'm incredibly jealous of his style, to be honest, because I've tried that before in the past, and, and it's really hard to do. But it, it, he's just a, a master of it. IG88 as well is one of the toughest figures. I've painted him twice, and he is really difficult to do because there's so many details, and, and you know he's a very detailed figure and very fine details, and it's really hard to get those right. And he's just got it bang on, you know. He's spot on with it. Mark, what are your thoughts on Barry's? I've um, I've always been a fan of uh, Barry's work. The first moment I saw, I can't remember which figure that he did first, but uh, when it appeared on Facebook, I just thought, oh my god, this guy is it's just unbelievable. I think for me, it's the way he uses light. He takes something rather sort of run of the mill and mundane as an action figure and gives it a bit of um, atmosphere brings it to life almost. Um, I just think the way that he uses the media really creates a, a, quite a striking piece of artwork. Actually, you, you saying that, I asked him how to describe his work and he did say, I try to create a true likeness of the subject in sepia tones, sometimes adding dramatic lighting to make the subject leap from the page, which is kind of what you're saying there. That, that, that's the impression I get from it anyway. And I, I think I think he's, I think you would class him as a, a master of, of that particular uh, artwork. I think he does it very, very well. If you're interested in getting some Barry Jones uh, commissions, you can email him at charcoalking at hotmail.com 
And again, you can find him on Facebook. Just search for Designer Doodles. You can see all his work there as well. Now, postcard number four from the Saturday being given away is from our Australian friend, Ryan Lee Taylor, who's gone down a different kind of route with his... He's a big fan of Jack Davis, who originally drew the old wacky plaque-style postcards, and that's what he went to go down in. They were reissued in the 80s, which and he used to collect them from his corner shop. So that was his background thinking on his postcards. So can you describe what is going on on the postcard? So for a start, it's a postcard with a monkey on it. The quality control department for Trilogo. If we have a little closer look at this, it's quite clearly late in the day of Star Wars production, and they're having a little look at some stuff, and are they saying here that it's monkeys putting together some of these Trilogo things? And and that might explain why there was a few errors made. There's a gentleman on the left-hand side who looks like he might be um, slightly short of sight or, or slightly wanting uh, better sight, or could be completely blind. A monkey in the middle, and someone who looks like he wouldn't be out of place in... Um, in what's that cartoon with Gru and the little girls? Despicable Me. Gru and the little girls, yeah, Despicable uh, Me. He looks like someone out of Despicable Me. Jess, uh, I just need to interrupt you, OK? Yeah. I know that that picture, that thing, was modelled on you. Really? <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> I mean, looking at it, it's just tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's hilarious. It's just taking the mick out of uh, Star Wars production. I just love seeing different people's imagination on these things. And actually having a little look, is uh, Emperor's Royal Guard there, possibly? Um, there's, um, yeah, lots going on. Lots going on in this postcard. But again, such skill. Indeed. And you actually, because you've just run the marathon, obviously, and gave away some great prizes. He donated some great prizes to you, doesn't he? Yeah, this isn't the first time. Ryan's just, again, we just seem to be surrounded by uber-generous people within our hobby. And uh, and Ryan has done prizes for, for both of my runs, both of my prize draws in the past. He's, he's particularly good at doing a caricatures there's a lot of people on the forum who've got some work out of him i know chris mann's had some work done at mumbo he, he's just um yeah i'm just overwhelmed with some of the uh it certainly breaks the uh it breaks the stereotype doesn't it of star wars collectors and geeks that we're just blessed to have such talented people amongst us um yeah ryan is just phenomenal talent and mark you and uh ryan have obviously gone down a slightly different route with your postcards yes what comes across as a, from an artist's point of view on his? What I like about Ryan's work especially is um, even though it's a caricature, it's cartoony, there's also a great deal of detail in his work, um, especially some of the caricatures. I think he did one for um, Ed, the chap who, who actually runs Star Wars Forum UK, and he did a, a really fantastic illustration of him, a caricature, and, and, and the detail and the level of skill involved in doing something, it's a lot harder to do than what you might realise, and I think he pulls it off very very well so on to sunday and we have our final two postcards again being given away in a pair and number five is actually mark daniel's postcard now mark yours is again completely different to anything else we've had mine is very much a sort of um, what if um palatoya done a, a mini rig i think if you think back to the original vintage line star wars didn't do th th there's no mini rigs in the star wars line and what i wanted to do was fill a little gap and um, maybe see if I could come up with something that might fit within that era. And being a, a big part toy collector, I wanted to make sure that it was it fitted in with with, with that that side of things, make it a, a UK looking um, product. So uh, yeah, it's it's very much a kind of wish list of um, what could have been. Obviously, we had you on for the main interview on our podcast on episode 22. Yeah. You've actually made and designed the entire box for this, haven't you? Yeah. Now, originally, what I was going to do is um, I hold them, um, well, I kind of organise a, 
a meeting normally about four times a year for some of the collectors in the Midlands. Um, we meet up in um, a, a pub and uh, we sit down and we get drunk and uh, we talk about stoles and then we go for a curry. Pretty much a perfect evening. The idea behind it was I was going to make these boxes and give them to the guys as, as, as freebies, but it quick, it quickly uh, dawned on me that they were going to cost about uh, 75 quid each to produce in a, you know, in a really sort of high quality way. So I kind of knocked that on the head. Um, and just decided to um, mock them up on screen, 3D images on screen. Now, as an artist, yeah, this is completely different to your posters you design. What what would you describe your art as? I'm not a, an illustrator in the same way that Dan and Barry Currier are illustrators or, or, or Ryan. I'm primarily what I would class as a graphic artist. So my art tends to be, um, I do work with traditional media to start with, then I scan it in and then work it up on, on, on screen. But it tends to involve a lot of typography or a concept behind it rather than just an illustration of something like Dan's Emperor's Royal Guard. Absolutely amazing. I couldn't personally come anywhere near that using those methods. That's not my style. My style tends to be more of a, my posters tend to have more of a concept behind it. So say the Run to the Suns poster that I did, that was based on uh, the old Californian surf and dragster posters from the 60s and 70s, but given a Star Wars twist. Um, so that, that's, that's where I come in. And the postcard that I've done, I wanted to uh, do something that had a link to vintage toys um, and I just think that piece of um, art as it were design would uh, fit that brief quite nicely now Mark yeah this postcard isn't all you've done for us or celebration no it isn't you've also I don't know if the rest of the boys here know but we've also designed a fanzine uh, where we've had several people in the community write articles we've written articles ourselves but Mark has also designed the front cover for our fanzine completely different to your postcard it's more one of your poster type things isn't it uh, can you describe yeah. what the fanzine cover is yeah and when, when Pete sort of told me what, what you guys were up to and he described the vibe of what, what you wanted within seconds I'd already got it planned out in my head exactly what I wanted to do and I, I ran that past him and he said yeah go for it so I Literally that same day that he got in touch with me, I, I, I sat down and I, I hacked it out and I sent it back to him. And, you know, it was, um, I think I ticked the box. Basically, it's based on a cross between an old fanzine style cover and the old 50s and 60s B-movie posters that were available at the time. Um, so what I've tried to do is cross over vintage collecting and that genre. So I've got a, a lot very large, evil, menacing looking uh, vinyl Kate Jowett with beams shooting out of his eyes and um, came up with the title It Came From The Loft which again ties in with those kind of horror films from the 50s and 60s um, yeah, It Came that. From Outer Space that kind of thing and taking some photographs of a couple from that era and I'm very pleased with it I think I think it, I think it ticks the box basically. Indeed, it does. It's uh, was genius, and I also like the whole Yak Fett offer on the front cover as well, which is a again, yeah, it, that was something that it's easy to do in Photoshop. You know, just take a couple of pictures of uh, a couple of vintage figures. And just chop and change some of the limbs. I think the first version that I sent through to you was uh, a cross between Greedo, Bosk, Yak Face and Snaggletooth. And I just chopped and changed the limbs and it, it looked okay. But I think the Yak Fett looks pretty cool. I loved it when, I first, when it first came through. I was like, oh, another great, great piece. Have you got anything else going on at Celebration? Uh, yes, I'm um, doing a, a signing at 
the Acme stand on two of the days, uh, on the Friday and Saturday, uh, for a couple of hours each day. My Force Awakens screen print is uh, being debuted at Celebration, so um, if anybody wants to get hold of a copy of that, come down and see me. Um, I'm also doing a talk with a certain Mr. Criddle and um, Craig Spivey uh, about vintage collections of Star Wars stationery. Uh, so we're covering, we're covering stuff like Helix, uh, Lettresat, HC Ford, basically that era of collecting, that area of collecting. Obviously, a lot of your prints are still available for sale, aren't they? Where can listeners find those prints? Uh, you can go to acmearchives.com or darkinkart.com um, or just do a, an online search for Sublevel Studios and um, you'll see some of the prints that I've done. Or they can get in touch with me direct. I have um, I've always got sort of work lying around that people might want. Yeah, I just want to publicly thank Mark again for all of his amazing stuff that he's done, not only for us, but... For me, over the last couple of years, with regards to the charity stuff for the giveaways, your stuff time and time again, what you produce is fantastic. I think what what you do as well, which is really, really unique, buddy, is produce something which is, whilst this Star Wars is, is also really quite subtle. And I've often said to people, it's the sort of thing which could go in a work office or even in a kitchen or something like that. You know, you look at your, what was one of your recent one, the uh, Endor Rangers, like that, um, yeah, Echo... Yeah. Winter Games, that was very popular. Jez, you, mate, you're very welcome. And I know the, the stuff that you do always goes for a good cause, and it's always really sort of inspiring to see you raising decent amounts of money for really good causes. So it's, it's, it's a pleasure, mate. No, no problem at all. Always happy to help. Always happy to help. Uh, guys on the forum as well. You know, it's uh, people get in touch with me all the time, and I'm, I'm, if I can help, then I will. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much. I, I do encourage people to go and, as you say, check out Sublevel because it just might be something, just something a little bit different. You know, gift for someone. If you think about Christmas or birthdays, uh, the uh, the run to the someone's. I know you're doing a couple of different styles now. Just brilliant. Yeah, I urge people to go and check it out. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. So let's just move on to the final postcard then. Designed by Malcolm Tween. Jez, I'm going to come to you again to describe it. Sure, yeah. I mean, this was this was great. I had no idea um, how it's going to be. Malcolm, as you know, Malcolm's been on the podcast before. And I contacted him saying, can you do something? And uh, and he kept it secret and then suddenly he just dropped it, sent me an email, a side profile of a TIE fighter pilot. And I'm going to ask the artists amongst us to actually um, assist me with exactly describing how it's done. But I would I would say that the um, the helmet itself is extremely prominent. And then the uh, the oxygen hoses uh, coming out of it and the rest of the actual body itself have been blended into the background. So what you're seeing is the helmet beautifully lit with great reflection coming off the side the imperial emblem mm. and it's it's just another nails looking nails looking picture I, I have noticed that all of our pictures seem to have a uh, bit of a bad boy theme to them don't they really um I don't, I don't think we, we don't have any <laughs> any goodies at all but this um yeah it, it's a malcolm tween picture and it is just classic uh, i look to the other guys to um to possibly describe that and actually do it justice because i know i just come across as some sort of buffoon well yeah let, let's hear from the other artists then so let's dan it's got strong lighting uh very much like like barry's piece in, in a way because that strong lighting brings out all the shapes of, of, of the helmet i like the way that it fades out you know there's no detail particularly on the hoses or the uniform itself but because of that it, it really stands out it's, it's lovely Corey, it's wonderful i love it it's got just the the definition of the helmet is just amazing just pops Mark, any different views on it? Yeah, I, I, 
looking at it, it, I think it's done digitally, but it's got a very um, sort of hand-drawn look. So I don't know whether he's uh, done it with in Photoshop with brushes or uh, another program. But it, it, again, you know, it's it's fantastic, really good striking image, nice use of light, nice use of colour. It is a stunning piece. Thank you, all three of you. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you tonight, and a real pleasure to have you involved in this. You've done way above where we anything we could have expected or imagined. It was a really, really, really good job. Thank you. Thank you so much, all three of you. And, you know, if you ever do anything in the future that you want to advertise on the podcast, you know where we are. We're always, always here. Thanks, mate. It's, um, it's always a pleasure. And um, I shall look forward to catching up with you and uh, having a few beers. Yeah. Definitely. Jez owes you all a beer at some point whenever he bumps <laughs> into you. Okay. That's true. I'll buy you all a beer. Happily do that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, and to have my art approved by Lucasfilm was just an honour. So I really appreciate you guys. Yeah, and, that was uh, huge. It's been brilliant, and uh, like we say, we think you we've got the uh, the best giveaway, don't we, Jez? Absolutely, we've nailed it this year. You guys have helped us really, really take it to the next level. Uh, we're we're so chuffed. And to the listeners, don't forget to get these. You will need the passcode each day. So the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll all have a separate passcode. So log on to our Facebook and find out what it is for that day. But um, yeah, once again, thank you so much. Right, now I want to welcome back Oliver Sudweeks for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Ollie? I'm ready. Uh, Your favourite Star Wars movie? Return of the Jedi. Your favourite Star Wars scene? Jabba's Palace um, and probably the sail barge fight scene. Favourite on-screen character? There would be Luke Skywalker. I know it's boring, but he's he's the hero of the story. So. What was your favourite new character in The Force Awakens? Kylo Ren, I think. I, I, I like his anger and his kind of John McEnroe attitude, so definitely Kylo Ren. And what was your favourite scene from The Force Awakens? When the First Order arrive on Jakku and Kylo Ren's entrance, that was pretty good. Which actor or crew member would you most like to to meet i would say mark hamill yeah definitely favorite sith my favorite sith would be the emperor padme or leia leia definitely your favorite lightsaber jewel i think the darth maul with obi-wan and qui-gon your favorite figure as a child favorite figure as a child would be stormtrooper and your favorite figure now stormtrooper or r5d4 maybe which character do you wish they'd made a figure of oh i would say uh, everyone's favorite slave leah i think what is your least favourite figure in the vintage line? Probably the Bespin Guards or maybe Rebel Commando or something like that. What is your favourite toy vehicle or playset? Atat. And a vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? I'm not too hot on the, the playset, so maybe Jabba's Cell Barge. Your favourite 
card back image. Stormtrooper or R5D4. I think I can't choose between. I love them both. And finally, what is your holy grail item? My holy grail item. Oh, God, I've got so many of them. But if I had to pick one, I would maybe go with the R5D4 photo art. Yeah, I think that might be that might clench it. Well, Ollie, thank you ever so much. No worries. So on to our rapid fire question of the month. Now, if you're on the floor at celebration, what one item would make you snap it up as soon as you saw it available? So, so nice and quick. Rich? Uh, you'd have to define the word it, what you mean by that, because I think some things might snap an up. Item, an one. item to purchase. Right. 12-inch uh, <laughs> Tuscan Vader from Mark Hockley. Grant? Ooh, Empire Strikes Back, 45, Canadian TIE Fighter pilot. Very specific. Um, yeah. Pete? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's been honest. Um, I think it would be, I mean, you know, any car did um, either C-3O or R2-D2, I think. Uh, Jezebel? <laughs> Land of the Jowers. <laughs> uh, mine would be the old um, Sigma tape dispenser. Ooh. Oh, Ooh, what about if there's any uh, Willie Ewok plush? I reckon you could all crack your Wackling out for this one, don't you? While you're at Celebration. Now, it's only been, I think, about 10 days or so since we launched the last podcast because we're we're recording this one early. So, Rich, have we had much feedback? Yeah, well, have, Joe, actually, surprisingly. um, You're right, it's only been 10 days, but, uh, yeah, lots of feedback. So we'll start off with Kato123. So Kato123 was our comp winner. And he informs us that not only was he really buzzing about his prize of £100 credit with Ian Sanderson, but his girlfriend was really buzzing too, which is absolutely brilliant. The fact that somebody listens to the podcast with uh, their partner, which was great. Uh, so my advice is to spend that as soon as the pound goes back up to the $2 mark. I wouldn't, uh, I would look to spend that around this moment in time. Um, on Stars Form UK, Chipsteak, I did many others, including Michael Cooper on Facebook. Loved the academic discussion with Lee. We've got lots and lots of positive feedback on that. Um, it's great to know that it wasn't too high level. It was aimed at exactly the right level. It helped us mere mortals understand some chemical engineering. Um, Lee was fantastic the way he presented that. It was very, very clear, and it was all great advice. Um, Chipsteak also asked a question um, of Grant, I think. What was the rock stroke Scottish version of the throne room stroke medals tune that you put in there Grant do you know what that was uh yeah it was quite easy I typed in Star Wars because that these into like rock music and metal and punk music so I just thought what would be really good is to see if I could find some music to uh bookend the interview and I just typed in Star Wars punk into YouTube and it was the first thing that came up I really like it as well yeah, so Star Wars punk into YouTube first one there and we'll put a link up on that once we uh, find that again Sure. Um, so moving on then, um, Stefan's book, which we now know is available on Amazon. We know that um, Ed Jedi from Stars from UK bought that. He thought that Stefan's interview was really good. Don't forget that you can see Stefan at our booth on Saturday and Sunday between 11 and 12, not to sell copies of his new book, only to sign. So you'll need to buy it from Amazon first. 
Um, and it's pleasing to see that other guys have also said that they've bought Stefan's book, which is great, supporting another community project. Over on Take, I, I love this quote from Trap Texan, and there's, there's hardly anything in it, but it's such a great quote. And it says, wow, great guest lineup this month. And that, I think that's brilliant because that summed up what we all thought of last month's podcast. When you look back, you know, how many guests did we have on? We have about six guests on. We had Stefan Forcourt, Craig Spivey, Lee Bullock, Oliver Sudweeks, Metty Akin, Jez. You know, we had so many guests on that podcast. It was hardly any of us and it was much more about everybody else, which was absolutely brilliant. Paul Ford gave... Lots of thanks for bringing up his French sinister comic ad. But, Paul, I assure you, the thanks need to go to you for your great explanation and background because, you know, the information that I'd found on that was nowhere near the level of death that you gave me. So, so many thanks for that. And what we haven't got a clue what's going on with our Facebook likes because that's absolutely exploded the last six weeks. And so a big thank you to everybody who is liking us on Facebook and commenting on our Facebook page. Um, so thank you for all of us from the Vintage Rebellion for your continued support come and say hi to us in Celebration London at booth S237 don't be shy, we're all normal guys come and have a chat with us, talk about Vintage Star Wars and as always if you wish to leave us feedback discuss something about the show or just want to chat you can email us at show at vintagerebellion.co.uk find us on Facebook by searching Vintage Rebellion on Twitter at podcast or on Instagram by, again, searching the Vintage Rebellion. Would we go down the Periscope route for something like Celebration? If we get yes. a good connection, yeah. Maybe something we'll look into, and uh, if we go into that, we'll put it up on our Facebook page then. I'm sorry, Periscope route? Periscope <laughs> is live videos, Jez, that people watch while you're filming them. On, on Twitter, phone. on Twitter. Oh, yeah, sorry, I don't know about that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's because you're 54. I thought you were um, in the Navy. How do you not know about Periscope? <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> A huge thank yous to our guests this month Oliver Sudweeks, Gordon Dobson, Johnny Burgess, Mark Daniels, Dantel, Corey Galal, and Tom Burgess. Of course, it is celebration. Please, please, please come and see us at our booth. Come and grab our freebies. We want to interact with as many of our listeners as possible. Um, and of course, go and order your fanzine few days before celebration so make sure you've uh, got your order in early before we say goodbyes jez you've had another great story i think the chap's name is ben allen yeah that's right could you tell us a bit what he's done yeah sure well um we with the success of the running stormtrooper I, I thought that had all gone to bed and everything had quieted down and i get a message out of the blue from uh, ben allen Who's, who's set himself a challenge and he's, he just asked me for, mis, for some assistance with regards to how, you know, how did I, how did I get a, you know, the social media stuff up and running? Just please indulge me just for a second. Uh, the story is, hi guys, this July I'll be putting myself through a gruelling seven day hike from Newport, the Isle of Wight to London. The walk will take me across the Solent, through the New Forest, into Salisbury, then up to Stonehenge. After that, I'll head east through Hampshire and Surrey. Then after a brief respite at Heathrow, head into central London, where I'll finish its Star Wars celebration at the London Excel. A total of 245 kilometres. To make matters worse, I'll be wearing my Star Wars Stormtrooper armour for the entire journey. So one could say that he's completely outdone me. I, I, I could say so. Ben is going to be doing this 245 kilometres. It's going to take him seven days. Fair play to him. Why are you doing it, Ben? 
Well, I'm doing it to raise money for the Joe Ellis Trust, which, as he's part of the Vectis Remnant Squad, Star Wars costumers, that's their chosen charity for 2016. The Trust helps the Isle of Wight children who have cancer and their families in their time of need. So, I mean, it sounds like a particularly worthy charity. It really, really does anything for, for kids in need. It's got my vote. Uh, the Trust was set up in love and memory of Joe Ellis, who died on the 30th of June 2014 at the tender age of just 13. I'm hoping to raise at least 2500 towards this great cause, and I hope you can sponsor me as little or as much as you can afford. He'll be joined on his walk by two of his closest friends. He'll be supporting them along the way. Thank you very much, and may the force be with you. So there we go, another completely inspiring, totally worthwhile event, the 9th of July to the 15th of July for the Joe Ellis Trust. So how can you get hold of this? How can you help him out? Well, he's got a Just Given page justgiving.com forward slash Ben's Imperial March. I just urge you to check it out. I think Ben's also recently likes our Facebook page. He's had a little look at that and he's going to be following us. And I said that we'll probably put something on there straight away over the celebration weekend just to see how he's doing. All right. So really, really worth it. Please check it out. And thanks very much to the podcast for allowing us the opportunity to uh, to give him a quick shout out. That is it. So it is goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant. Take care, folks. And good night from Jez. Well, good night, guys. Just one thing to remember. Football, whatever country you support, whatever's going on with regards to the whole Brexit thing, whether or not you are in or out, whether or not you're from the UK or from a different country, in a few days' time, we're all going to be together under one roof for one thing which we love. So we can put everything else aside and just really, really enjoy Star Wars Celebration. See you there, guys. Goodbye from Petey Weedy. I will never shop at Iceland again. (laughs) Goodbye from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney... Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? <laughs> Rich, you sounded really miserable then. Like, <laughs> well, end of the podcast. You know, get out, Mark. Get out, Mark. Shop. End of the phone. <laughs> Goodbye. <sighs> Late, no, later, guys. Love it.